Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Kyle Timberlake. I'm Alex Chavez. I'm Tom Annis. I'm Mike Rossi. And I'm Ralph Enough, and we're back again for another Clash of Kings army review. This time we're going to take on two armies. We're going to take on Imperial Dwarves and Free Dwarves. Yeah, I don't think we've ever actually talked about Free Dwarves. Maybe, maybe just real quickly in passing, Several playtesters on here, so I'm really excited to get you guys' take. But Alex, how long have you been playing dwarves? Too long, I guess. Right? <laughs> Actually, I guess, guess Mike is really the, the longer, longer veteran. So long that they got good again? Yeah, exactly. Right. I'm like the hipster. No, no, that's Tom. Tom's the hipster. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, I, I just been playing him so long. It's cool again. I guess right. Like yeah, I'm just the old man. I've been wearing trucker hats the whole time, and now I'm cool again. Right? That kind of <laughs> mentality. <laughs> but Honestly, I, I started Dwarves right when Second Edition came out, 2015, Kings of War, and I, I loved them at the time. I thought they were really cool and unique. I loved like the Manic's take on them with like, oh, you got these, you know, Zerker Brock Riders and Earth Elementals and all these like cool different things. And so I was like, I really want to do that. And so I played them for about three years back then, and then I played other armies in between, obviously. And then I've really played in the last like year and a half as well. So really enjoying them again. I think it's a, it's a fun play style. I've been doing it a long time. Kyle, do you even play another army? Yeah, I played uh, Basilia all of second edition. I didn't start Dwarves until third, but I've pretty much been, barring a couple like playbacks with Basilia just to kind of check them out, I've been playing exclusively Dwarves all third edition. Tom, you're the new man on the block, right? Yeah, I'm the I'm the newbie. I'm I'm here to to sprinkle a little bit of filth on these good honest dwarf players uh, who've been playing the army for the background and the lore and and the love of the dwarf, and I'm playing them because honestly because they were the best counter i could come up with the jeff radigan's uh eight scorching list last year so i i started probably early 2023 trying out a list that that uh dustin had workshopped dustin howard had workshopped a while back just came to the conclusion that it was it was the best thing to bring to to u.s masters um which i did this year um did pretty well i think i ended up like 15th or so yeah i've I'm the new guy, but right now it looks like doors for, for masters for me next year too, unless I can come up with something better. They're only only getting better as an army in this uh, Clash of Kings, which we're going to talk about tonight. Mike, over to you. I, I don't ever recall Mike ever playing anything other than dwarves. Yeah, when, when I came over, when, when Warhammer exploded, I came over and same thing like Alex. I was like, oh my God, I could take these dwarves, which yeah, they're short. And, they're sh- and, and they don't move very fast, but now I can get Earth Elementals, I can get Brock Riders. The idea of having cavalry was totally totally awesome, and it just it jazzed me up for the army. The, the mantic take on the army and the fact that you have ma- way more variable variability in the units that you can take really make the unit make the army very interesting to me. And so yeah, so I've been, I've been doing dwarves since the beginning of second. And once a year for one event, I will usually crack out a different army just to cleanse the palette, and then I always go back to dwarves usually for the big ones. So, An unknown fact, I, I do have played Dwarves. In fact, I think it was my highest finish at Lone Wolf. I think I finished fifth with Dwarves. Woo! Let's be honest. If you're in Texas and you have a pretty army, that helps a lot. Right. Yeah, it happens in the Northeast too. So we do have our first question. Aramis Berger asks, would Dwarves fare better on scoring systems that don't include attrition as part of the score? That's kind of like the age-old question, right? They don't die. They don't necessarily kill well. You know, Blackjack is prevalent. Northern Kings is prevalent. Classic, just out of the book. 
You know, they got the uh, was it called Bull Run? I think the the UK guys are playing now. The Bull, the bull Shroud, yeah. Bull Shroud, right? yes. Mm-hmm. Alex, talk to me about scoring systems and their effect on dwarves. Yeah, so I think I think scoring system is a really big impact on dwarves. I think that there's definitely something they should be aware of. Funny enough, actually, I don't think attrition is bad for dwarves. I think dwarves are actually really good on attrition. Like dwarves, very rarely are you getting tabled or like taking heavy losses. Like that's not that's not really what we're about, right? Like. So, so attrition is fine. I think I think that the systems I'd say are like kind of bad for dwarves. The things to kind of watch out for are the kind of progressive scoring, the ones where like you have to score throughout the game, like the um, like Northern Kings and Bull Shroud, like the ones where like the amount of scenario points you're scoring affects your total score. Like because the dwarves, you're usually not getting those big overwhelming victories. You're not getting that that big huge like overwhelming win. So I think because of that, those systems are a little bit harder. I think blackjack's really good for dwarves. Anything where you're you're doing attrition differences, things like that, those are perfectly fine. Or you have no problem getting edge on attrition. I mean, I think almost every game I've lost to dwarves, I've had almost the attrition advantage every time too, which is actually a really big deal too, because if you're taking a loss, you're taking a very minimal loss, which is actually, you know, it's a big deal in these systems too. So I think dwarves really want you want those the systems where you can eke out that minor win maybe major win and get a good amount of points for it. So something like Blycheck, I think is really, really ideal. I think at least that's my point of view. I'm going to agree with you. Cause that's kind of what I do. This is, and, uh, but I mean, it, it's a, to Alex's point, there are a lot of scenarios and we'll talk about this later. The movement for, we have a lot of unit strength, a re- readily made unit strength in the army, right? A lot of stuff has, you know, the, 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 the infantry regiments are unit strength three, the horse are unit strength four. But the problem is that you don't have the mobility that a lot of other armies have. So you can win a lot of scenarios, four to three, especially token scenarios, that kind of stuff. And there are other scenarios that play good. You want to play dominate, throw it all in the middle. I dare you to try to kill all my stuff. But invade, eh, right? I mean, I have no problem with invade because I'm hyper-aggressive anyway. But like, I think that that's, it's still a problem, right? Especially when it comes to tokens and things like that. It's hard to get, it's hard to own all the tokens at the end of a game. Yeah, I don't think attrition's a problem at all. At least not not the way that I build doors, which is just all the guns, all the shooting. In that scenario, you're one, you're going to be one of the killiest armies in the field, um, right up there with things like shooting goblins, and so that's that's not an issue. It's it's like you guys just pointed out. It's it's more winning big on scenario and getting max victories. It's it's difficult to get max victories against good players with doors. I think. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I have to add to that is just we don't have usually the tools to jump on objectives turn five and six. Either we're there or we're not there. So getting those big, you know, any kind of objective gameplay that requires spreading across the board is just not usually in our favor. So we'll start on that. Hi, this is Eric Trowbridge, 2020 U.S. Master, and you're listening to Countercharge. Aramis Berger does ask for Mike specifically. Mike, can you give me a brief overview of dwarves in Panathor? Yeah, I can do it. I can make it brief. So here's the, here's the important thing that you need to know about dwarves in Panathor. Right now, like the Imperial Dwarves own... If you're to take a look at a map of Panathor, where Turkey would be, Estacar, is where the Imperial Dwarves hang out. And Imperial Dwarves are like all dwarves have clans, right? So you know you're you're a member of you're a member of a clan. The clan usually in your society will come first. That is your familial extended family unit. In the Imperial Dwarf society, all of those clans are broken because it's a little more regimented into major clans and minor clans based on the based on the the acts that your clan has done over time. Right. So if your clan has done a bunch of really cool things for Dwarven society, you get awarded as a major clan. And that actually goes back all the way back through time. So it gives reverence to the ancestors, etc. But all of them, um, all those clans are ruled by a king. Right. So Gallic is the king of the Imperial Dwarves. So they're a little more regimented 
um, and centralized in their approach. The free dwarves who live in the area north of Estacar, which is the Halpy Mountains, right, were a bunch of, once again, a bunch of clans, but they're all separate. They all have their own lords that run that run each clan, and they don't work together very well. There's a lot of inter-clan rivalry. They don't battle and war as much as they'll do like, you know, I'm not helping that guy. He's a jerk. So when the abyss exploded and hordes of abyssal dwarves and all their people came south, by the time that the free dwarves had to figure out, like, we have to work together, it was too late. And they all got pushed out of Halpy, and now they're, they're refugees in, in Estacar under Gallic. And they're like, living here kind of sucks because yeah, you guys are dwarves too, but you're really kind of militant and you gave us your worst land and we're second class citizens here. And what do you mean? My more, my war Smiths aren't war Smiths. I got to go back to college. This is BS. And we, none of, none of the clans have status, right? So there's this need from the free dwarves to leave their land under Gallic and go back to Halpy and reclaim their lands. And Gallic is like, yeah, next year I'll help you next year. I swear to God, I'll help you next year. After another year, and give me more taxes, and then maybe I'll help you, right? So there's this 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 push and pull between the two societies, where the free dwarves would look at the at the imperials and be like, "Man, these guys are kind of fascist," right? And meanwhile, Gallic is like, "I'm going to go fight Basilia instead of going and dealing with like the abyssals," right? And the and the free dwarves are like, "But you promised us this land back," and there's they're demons. I thought we were good, and Gallic's like, "Well, you know, I mean." You should really just kind of love me and don't worry about it, right? So the society itself is is really bifurcated between that those two concepts of what it means. One of them, they both serve the clan first, but like the one is clan over society. So it'd be clan, self, society. The other one, the Imperials, would be clan, society, self. And they really, the free dwarves aren't down with that. I don't know if I answered that enough. Oh, that's fantastic. We need to have you on all of our shows to give us the background talk. So the cool thing is that I think Ben Stoddard's next novel is going to be a dwarf novel, and it's coming out hopefully in the next couple months. And it's going to talk about it's 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 going to be a real deep dive into into imperial dwarf and free dwarf society. And then mine comes out after his, but actually takes place before his. And it's one of the clans that has been kicked out goes back to Halpy and reclaims their ancestral land from the abyssal dwarves just before the major, you know, counter invasion. So it's, it's, if you like dwarves, there's going to be a couple of back-to-back novels coming out and they're, they'll be worth reading. I kind of like mine. I kind of like Ben's. Everybody likes dwarves, man. Dwarves are a staple of every fantasy universe, right? right. I mean, what's one thing that differentiates dwarves and Panathor from dwarves in other fantasy settings like Tolkien or Warhammer? Okay. So one of the things that Tolkien and, and, to a greater extent was, you know, the, the, the old grimdark, right. Of Warhammer, everything with Warhammer was six seconds to midnight. Everything was going to be destroyed. And you're looking at the dwarves and the, and the elves, but you know, as dying races, apparently no one can have kids anymore. And it's just, it's really bad. Like these long live races that can't get out of their own way. And they're just sad because they lost all their lands and uh, right. And to die and to die a noble death is great. Okay, fine. The dwarves in Panathor, like if Gallic wasn't a jerk, you'd be like, wow, what a vibrant and amazingly strong race that is on the rise, right? And so when you look at Panathor and you look at the way that the dwarves are situated in that background, dwarves are not languishing. They're doing fantastic, right? There's there's this cultural explosion. They have art. They're strong. They have strong family. It's, it's a different animal. 
The other thing to 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 be aware of about the doors in Panathor is even though they are a traditional race, like if you read Tolkien, it's like, where are the female dwarves? And the answer is don't worry about it. And you and you look at like the Grimdark and it's like, where's the female anybody? And it's like, well, they went to the woods and they got eaten by demons. What can you do? Right. But like in in Dwarven society in Panathor, there are clear gender roles, but there is gender equality, especially on the on the free dwarf side. The males are the ones who who um, traditionally are generals. They're traditionally the ones that trade, right? They're the ones that build. But females can be warsmiths. Females can be stone priests. Females are the ones that that take care of the clan in that traditional way. But they are of equal status between them. Which, once again, you're not seeing in 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 the other you know war games that have dwarves in them, right? So I think that that's something to be said for for dwarves and Panathor. I can't wait to read those books. Yeah, I mean, I I do like that. Like in, in general, that's what drew me to manic dwarves. Like it's very different dwarves. You have angry berserkers riding badgers. Like that's awesome, right? You have you have rocks. You have all these cool like elements of dwarf. That to me is is a more rounded dwarf. It's 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 easy to say I'm a dwarf. I carry a shield. I have a hammer. Right? Like that that's right. You know, that's all that exists. Right? It's like I love like, I love gold I, and drink beer, dude. What else is there? <laughs> right exactly right exactly so I, i've always loved that like like there's the dwarf list seems richer and it's got all these cool facets to it all right well let's get into the army obviously their alignment is good they have an army special upgrade called the throwing massive which is a basically you throw a dog right 12 inch range attacks eight piercing one i mean we've all seen them they hit on four plus regardless some dwarf players have them on a ton of units their dogs have dogs I take six on my list. It would help solve the speed four problem for me. People can't sit at eight and a half inches and go and pick up the perfect charge whenever they want to. It puts a clock on them along with other stuff we have, but it just gives that little bit of edge and helps clean up too, like other shooting is affected by cover and stealthy and all that stuff like that. Dogs don't give a <laughs> dogs go. And I like the Mantic model for it a lot too. It's really, it's a really cool Mastiff with a, a literal throwing handle on it. And I just have little round bases as tokens for my throwing dogs. And it's a good time. If you listen to the Scarring Gems episode, which will be out by the time this is out, we talked a lot about the new Twilight Kin weakness casters and how they may be a little bit unbalanced because they get to ignore all the rules for their spells. They don't take cover penalties. They don't take stealth penalties, which makes it really good. And these uh, Mastiffs are the exact same thing. Just ignore all the penalties if you're playing Trident Realms and they've got their stealthy in-cover units, then you don't care about that. You just get to to throw dogs at them and, and wound them on twos and still hit on four. So they're really good against low defense and really good against low defense that's relying on some sort of modifier to stay alive, like stealthier cover, because these things don't care about that. Similar to Kyle, I was running five regiments, all with dogs, and then three, you know, three Mastiff packs with dogs. So there's dogs everywhere, right? And a couple good tricks that you can do. One, there's a point sufficiency thing, right? So if I, let's say, let's say I have six throwing Mastiffs uh, upgrades across, across a bunch of units, that's 90 points, about the same as a war machine. That war machine, let's say it has 12 attacks, 15 attacks, it's going to fire four times over the course of the game if it's lucky, right? Once to get in range and then, you know, get shots in maybe five. So I have the same number of shots, but I have now I have these shots spread across a bunch of uh, delivery spot uh, delivery points, right? So the couple ways that I've used Mastiffs to, to great effect. One is if I can see something behind another unit, I don't care. The dogs will attack that dude. 
So if I'm on an elevated position, and I, you know, at Masters one year I was playing against a goblin player, he had a pair of his whizzes back behind a couple of units, and I said, I'm going to release the dogs and I'm going to attack your your whizzes. And he said, yeah, you can't do that. I said, well, let me show you the rules, right? And and uh, and that was the end of them. It killed both of them. Out you go, right? And always hitting on fours, take Pierce one. There's nothing you can do about it. It's happening. The other thing that I do is because your Mastiffs are height one and you can put another unit behind, right, regiment unit behind, you can concentrate if you set up correctly. You can concentrate one turn where you're releasing, releasing let's say, four or five of the Mastiffs all at once, right? And so you're putting 70 shots into a single unit to make it go away. Right. And that is, I mean, that is, that is a standard trick that if you're a dwarf player, you got to learn how to do because you want to be able to blow a hole without having to rely on you getting a charge in. And that's a way to do it. They're like flexible in what you can do with them. Right. Like I said, you want to target that individual that walked too close, pop them. Right. I don't care if you're stealthy individual and cover, right. Hitting on fours. Boom. Got them. You want to focus fire into one unit. You can pick up hammer units, right. They're like some people, you know, they walk up their, their knights are speed eight, right. They have to, they have to get 16 inches to charge you. Well, guess what? Four, I can move four and shoot 12. I'm 16 inches. I'm going to shoot with a dog. So I'm going to put a bunch of dogs into your knights. You can pick up a unit of knights easily if you put enough concentrated fire on those. I mean, it's really a good supplement to me to like a good shooting course. We have, you know, that, that shooting backbone to the list, which you don't necessarily need to run. There's stuff that people haven't run that big shooting core and been effective with it. But um, to me, it really like shores in that short range attack that, that dwarves needed. It, it's, I think it's honestly, to me, it's what enables dwarves to actually function as an infantry army. It's, it's having those dogs yes. really close the gap, put a hurting on someone. And so they can't just walk into otherwise like class earlier, like they can just do whatever they want. Right. If I can just walk eight and a half and do whatever I want and, and, and like no threat of anything, then, then you're in trouble because they, they, there's too many perfect angles they are going to get on you. They're going to try to get closer to your backfield. You have to really push them back so they can't, you know, threaten you. They can't threaten angles. There's just, there's just so much zoning, you know, that, that dogs, even if the opponent's like, Hey, I want to avoid those dogs. Let me sit back. That's great. That, you, your dwarves are like 13, 16 inches now. Right. It's like, like what the hell? Like we didn't have that kind of threat range before. Right. So like, it's really unlocked to me. The dogs really unlock a tier of this army. You, you really should take at least four, I think in, in every army you're playing with dwarves. Like I think four is about the sweet spot. You want to be at it. You know, like, I think I think you can take six or, or even more if you want to go crazy. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think you really want at least four in every dwarfless. I'd say like like that's um, that you're in that style, right? And it's and and it's a reliable two wounds, right? Because it's eight attacks hitting on fours, ruining a pierce one. It's listen. I know that there's plus or minus because there's a bell curve, but when you have enough of them, the average is two wounds every time I sh- every time I shoot, which is enough to get a nerve test on something. Absolutely. And I love shooting these in, the, in like glaze soccer. I love shooting these in the glaze soccer, right? It's like, so it feels so good, right? It's like, you know, you put, put three of those in a unit that you need. Defense you three. You don't up. give a shit about their stealthy. You're exactly. You're stealthy in cover, hitting you on fours, wounding you on twos. You know, yeah, I've had, you know, one unit get pops off. I did six, seven wounds in one unit. You know, it's amazing. As Mike said, other individual characters that are back there thinking they're safe, not safe from the dogs. They're going to get you. All right, well, there are two new rules in Clash of Kings 2024 that we do need to touch on because they heavily, heavily influence dwarves. The first one is called Secure Position. This unit is considered a scoring unit with a unit strength of zero. We covered that pretty well, both in the scenario episode and the the Empire of Dust episode. Basically, what that means is the war engines that get this rule can basically hold objective tokens or pick up a loot token. That's basically what it means. The other rule that's really important that we haven't really touched on yet is Ordered March when issuing and at the double order, the unit can make a single pivot around its center up to 90 degrees from its current facing at any point during the order. What you're going to find is most of the stuff in this list, you know, is, is speed four. There's some speed five. And uh, Tom, what did we say? There's like 20 instances of, of this sprinkled across both the Imperial Dwarves and the Free Dwarves. 
Yeah, and the Abyssal Dwarves. And the Abyssal Dwarves. And then a little bit in Northern Alliance, but also the Northern Alliance Dwarves. So. Uh, we got two questions about Order of March. First is from Mark Zielinski. Are you excited about Order of March? And how will you use it to get the most out of it? This might be the most important thing Dwarves have gotten ever. That's, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys have been in the same spot. The amount of times, like, you're a dwarf, you're fighting on your side of the board most of the time, and then you finally win those combats, and it's like round five or six, and you're going, I need to get over there. <laughs> then you're trying to do the math in your head of I need to turn around like do I, how do I reform off of this like do I, I need to go six foot it that ordered march changes all that math and in in much more into our favor so we can don't we don't have to worry about having to win first turn on some scenarios to get to where we need to we have that mobility now with our unit strength to, to go places just like the ogre players have had since day one with their stupid warlocks running around sprinting 12 inches and being unit strength now proper dwarves are doing that and I'm excited. Yeah, th- there was some concern in playtesting about maybe does this make dwarves too good at the scenario along with all their other strengths? And I don't think that's the case. I To me, it's just speed four really, really sucks. And this just makes it suck a little bit less and makes, I, I think the, the army's almost unreasonably difficult to play uh, for, for new players or for less skilled players a lot of times because you have to think so far ahead with that speed four about scenario and and a lot of players just can't can't do that and so this is just takes that edge off a little bit to yeah it's 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 not too much i think it's just right and mike lahey asks when ordered march comes out with clash of kings how do you see it impacting dwarves i'm looking at it and i i am interested in okay so we were at uh we were at master's this this year and i got asked after after my first day and my second day by by kyle brzezinski he goes well if you could have pivoted once during a double move would that have affected the end of the game and i was like not nah, really but i also wasn't playing with ordered march on turn four and five which would have allowed me to get to position right so i kind of want to see i don't know how amazing it's going to be in terms of the the reality of how often it's going to come up in play to get me the win versus a loss or or to, to for me to claim an objective, but I it certainly can't hurt to have that extra bit of movement. I actually think it's going to be more useful on things like sharpshooters and iron watch. And then if you choose to take iron watch, and we'll talk about that later. But like if you're looking at a shooting position, you know, a shooting unit to get to a position, turn and now threaten, right, and be able to move to, at the double. I think that that's 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 going to be useful for for the dwarves. I think, but I, w- I want to see. Yeah, there's some edge cases there. I could see, you know, last turn, you move up eight, pivot. Now you have a horde grabbing two tokens. Yeah, no, that's a big deal, man. I think when I'm with Tom, I don't think it's a deal breaker, but I think it does it does help them in scenario play quite a bit for certain scenarios where movement is key. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the impact is, it's, it's going to, there's going to be an impact. I think, I think the degree of it is definitely hard to measure, hard to predict. Um, I'm not a place that I haven't really played with it yet. Um, I mean, I can tell you right now, based on my personal experience, like all, all of my losses and masters, no doubt in my mind, Order of March would have been a huge factor in that game. I mean, I yeah. think I lost an invade where I, I, a unit that was like a quarter inch from getting over the line, right? Like, a, you know, I lost like another game where a unit was, was scrambling get to the middle, dominated and get a seven. Like, I didn't get seven and I think I these games. Like, you know, it's like, I think I think the edge that it takes to play like the, like correctly, like like Tom said, is, is a big deal. Because I'll catch myself too, where I'm like, oh, I didn't pay this unit just enough. Sorry, they're not scoring this game, right? You just take them off the board because they're basically right. they're going to have no impact to the game. Whereas, like now, I still get my pivot in eight, so it's 
it's more like it's easier to kind of move around. It, it also lets you play a lot wider, I think, too. That's kind of one of the things I think that can take a lot of playtesting to really understand and like the ramifications of that. But like, you know, the reason why doors kind of have to stay compact is because you're kind of playing, you know, the scenario like I need to just I need to end the game in this area. So I don't have like if I put a unit out here, they're never going to get there by the end of the game. So like I need I need units. They only have so much of a threat range that can actually get to units to, to get to certain spots of the board to play scenarios. Well, when when I have the ability to to pivot and move eight, that that range is massive now. You you change the way I can play, so I can put a dwarf all the way on the a unit on the other side, and, and I know that hey, if I pivot, move eight, pivot, move eight, I can I can get towards the center of the board in in five six turns, and that's yeah. reliably, and and that's that's a really big deal. I mean, that's the one that that would be really interesting to me. I'd love to play dwarves in a style we can play a little bit wider. Obviously, you're not gonna you know, play like some of these other alpha armies, but like, but the ability just to widen up a little bit lets you do so much more. And I'm really, really interested to see how that goes. I, I, I think it can make a big impact. I'm, I'm really curious to see it. Um, yeah, but I, it is, I, is a little early, right? I, I totally agree. I think that you're really going to see the impact in turns four and five. You're not going to see it in turn six, right? Because if a dwarf player knows he can do it, now he's setting up for the later turns, right? Which is, which is awesome. It lets you like play a little bit more reactive too, I think with dwarves, you know, it's like, you know, again, it sucks to be like out deployed. We're like, oh man, they have like one too many units here. Well, you know, that's my life now, right? I'm just gonna have to deal with that, right? It's like, whereas like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna pivot a unit, and run the mate, deal over there, right? Like, you know, again, it's one of those things like it, pivoting and, and moving eight is is effectively as fast as a cavalry unit, right? Like when, when you're if they're pivoting and we're pivoting and we're both going the same speed, that's a really big deal. That's like, you know, again, effectively doubles your movement for for that turn, which is just again, I think it's a massive, massive buff, and I think it's it's a good buff too because I think it really helps infantry and something that I'd, I'd like to see. You know, again, I'm kind of curious to see how doors develop and how like other infantry develops too. I'm really curious to see that. And huge shout out to the uh, RC. I mean, this was a very nuanced, sophisticated change. They could have just, you know, they didn't swing for the fences and give them nimble and then make the whole all the units go up in expense, right? But they found something that's like a, a bridge between that where all right well you're marching and you can have a pivot now i do think that the secured position rule though is a lot less impactful on doors than it is in an army like abyssal doors because we have sharpshooters in dwarves and you're honestly you're probably still going to want to take sharpshooters over war machines you strength one's better than you strength zero yeah well and they shoot farther and the, and the output is consistent and you can't the march a war engine yeah exactly yeah, but I mean- abyssal doors don't have that so they're going to benefit from this a lot i think all right, well, let's get into the army. We're going to cover all of the units uh, in the Imperial Dwarf list, and then we'll circle back and we'll talk about the specific free dwarf units. And then we'll close out the show with some talk about how you play this army in a competitive environment. We'll share some lists and have a lot of questions answered from the audience uh, along the way. So let's start with infantry, because let's be honest, dwarves, that's what they do well. <laughs> they got lots of great infantry. And let's start with the ironclad. The ironclad, you'll speed four, melee four, defense five, Troop Regiment and Horde, 1, 3, 4 units rank 10, 12, 25 attacks, 10, 12, 14, 16, 21, 23, Nerve, and 70, 110, and 180. They still have Headstrong, and they have Throwing Masses for 15 points. Uh, the big change is they get the Ordered March special rule. So guys, talk to me about Ironclad. They're the uh, bread and butter. You know, it's it's your efficient infantry line unit. Yeah, I mean, We'll talk about the Iron Guard later, but if you don't have the points for that or you're planning on doing some other stuff, Having a couple regiments of these guys, I've even run troops of them before with throwing dogs. It's just a really efficient mainline unit that can take a charge, that can do some damage, that can throw a dog. Is good unit strength for a good price. Ironclad are like your shield wall, right? So just bros with axes and shields, and they just bunker up. They attack on fours, so they have 12 attacks, hitting on fours. A lot of dwarven units hit on fours. 
It's just something that the army does. But it's a it once again, 12 attacks, hitting on fours. It's like two a, two wounds against defense five. You always take them with a mastiff, as far as I'm concerned. So the actual cost of a regiment is 125. The actual cost of a horde is 195, right? But still, that's cheap for a block of I mean, 180 points for a block of nerve with defense five is is pretty legit. It's pretty legit. And it controls a lot of board space and has a giant chunk of unit strength. Right. So you can't expect them to do a lot of offense, but from a defensive standpoint, you go to a spot and you're like, I dare you to kill me in two turns. Right. And you know, a lot of units can because they get the charge off, but whatever. Right. It's, it's a good, cheap mainstay unit. The big thing for me is a lot like um, goblins or ratkin dwarves actually have really good things that they want to unlock in all the different unlock slots. And so by taking a, an infantry horde, you get the heroes unlock, the war machine unlock, and the, the monster uh, titan unlock. So why you know to me, these guys, the hordes of Ironclad compete with the regiments of Iron Guard. And why would you take a horde over a, a regiment? It's because of the unlocks. And also the other thing is, is the nerve. It's just got a lot higher nerve, which, um, you know, in, our, in this new era where Titans have unit strength too, and everybody's running, you know, double Titan, double giant with a crushing four. Well, you better rely on nerve more so than defense, I think, against that kind of unit. And so that, those are the two reasons I like them. Yeah, I like, I like the Horde as well. I, I think the Horde is, is definitely a stronger choice than Regiment. The Regiment's fine, especially if you need like an unlock for, for something, but. Um, to me, the, the horde gets a much more efficient damage output out of it. Like, whereas a regiment's not going to kill anything ever. Like, it's just, it's like, you're going to like, you know, hope you do a wound, right? It's like, oh shit, I'll find a flyer. I hope I get one wound off of this thing. But whereas the horde, you get a pretty, pretty efficient buy there, especially you can throw some bane chance around, things like that. I think the ordered march on a horde is very interesting too. I think that's something that I'd like to see a lot, um, like, like played well. Cause I know, um, you know, if you're, again, if you're contesting multiple objectives, if you're just moving them across the board, they have unit strength four. So that mobility now comes on a unit strength four package. Like, I think that the hordes are much better with the ordered march. I think over a regiment, I think you're going to see, like, the, just the ability to, like, move side to side is, is really impactful for, for a horde. Just, I'm really curious to see that. Um, I generally don't like them overall. I, I think generally I, I look at Iron Guard first, but... Um, I think I think there's a lot of viability to having a you know one or two hordes to help unlock problems like Tom said. I think that's a really smart point. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to pile on here. I think that Tom is nailing something here with the change in Titans. You're going to see more of them. You're going to see a lot of Crush Three. You're going to see a lot of Crush Four. And I know 1517 nerve is pretty good on the Iron Guard, which we're going to talk about. But that Defense Six versus Defense Five, I'm not seeing the value for the added points. I'm not. So I think the blocks of more nerve are actually going to matter more in the big scheme of things. I've actually drawn up some lists. I'm not taking Iron Guard in that list. I'm looking at hordes of iron, um, hordes of ironclad in exchange for an extra 20 points. I'm getting a way more nerve, way more board presence, just because I don't, I don't see the big difference. I think you pay a premium for the jump from defense five to six. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a tricky thing too. I mean you're gonna have to use the plane that side. I know Tom, you played a ton of hordes when you, when you played your list, but like. The one, the, to me, the, the only trade-off with, with uh, something to keep in mind, I just kind of throw the counterpoint, is that like when you're a horde, you're a bigger base size, right? So so even though your nerve is bigger, you're going to get charged by everything under the sun, right? So it's like, you know, it, it, that's, that's the thing you have to balance out. Like, yeah, Titans are really good, but 
you know, if you have a regiment, they can probably only fit one, you know, maybe if you play it right, you know, not, not even two Titans into your base, right? Whereas a horde's like, they're throwing everybody, everybody's getting in there, right? Like you can't, it's only so much you can stop on your horde. It's like, you know, it's, it's just, it's one, of those, it's one of those things that hordes have always struggled with, right? Especially speed four yep. hordes where you're like, you're like, I'm not, I'm not charging you. So you're getting on me. Like how much can I prevent from the stuff getting into me? And so I, I like, I think that's takes a little bit of practice and that's what I, I tell people to like start, you know, like I start with maybe two and then see how you do that. I mean, I don't know, Tom, what, what, do you have any advice for like someone that wants to put three or four of these whores on the table? Like how do you, how do you deal with that? Or how do you, how do you learn to play with that? Yeah. I, I found that I, I didn't need, so my list I took at masters had four uh, whores of ironclad. I, I didn't need the fourth horde. Oftentimes I didn't know what to do with it. Um, the three hordes fill out, you know, kind of the, the middle of the board where you need to put something but the the fourth one is just it's too much and and you're exactly right the big threats multi-charges which is why uh phalanx getting cheaper and bulwarker is getting cheaper um if we share our list at the end you'll see how i tweaked what i, I took to masters and spoiler alert i may have swapped out the ironclad for <laughs> some uh bulwarker hordes instead well let's jump into the aforementioned iron guard uh they are speed four malay three Defense 6, they come in a trooper or regiment, 1, 3, unit strength, 10, 12, attacks, 11, 13, 15, 17, nerve, and 100, and 150 points. So they are considerably more expensive, but you're getting the, the better pip on the Malay, and you're getting Defense 6. They have Headstrong and Throwing Masses for 15 points, and just like Ironclad, they get the Order March special rule. So guys, talk to me about Iron Guard. Yeah, I mean, for me, Iron Guard, uh, their base cost is 165, because they always come with a Throwing Dog. I think it's one of those units that you don't ever ignore the throwing dot upgrade. Some of the ones you can go, okay, do I need it or not? The Iron Guard, it just rounds them out. And there's such a big block of nerve uh, because the defense six, it, it's a, I think it's a huge difference, right? Defense four, defense five makes a difference a lot of times, but there's enough stuff out there with Bane Chant to make it effectively defense two, right? When they get charged, there isn't a whole lot of crush four out there. Um, or things they can get to crush for. And if you're using terrain and stuff to your advantage, the amount of times I've survived uh, flank charges with them, and people are like, oh, I got the flank charge in this unit, and they go, they, they're they looking all juicy in their eye, and they're like, all right, cool, that was two wounds. Like, like oh, damn. <laughs> uh, if you're not bringing a lot of crushing, like it, the stuff just bounces off of them. And for me, they set up my counter charges. Uh, everything else I have go cool. The counter, though, is a Phoenix also holds up this, this regiment. Yeah. They don't put out a lot of offense. Actually, a Phoenix would be the worst thing to counter with that because they're hitting on threes. And a Phoenix is de- defense three or two. So that'd be the worst unit to hold up an Iron Guard regiment with. But a lot of times, yeah, if it's like a, a regiment of, uh, uh, was it, sto- uh, uh, not Stone Elementals, what are they, Earth Elementals? Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> defense six is, is their counter. <laughs> they don't do anything in defense six. But for me, that's not their job. Their job is to hold, and then everything else comes in and piles into a big uh, dogfight. Yeah, I mean, one thing is to comment, too. In our discussion earlier, we talked about how hordes of, of Ironclad are good. But it's also really hard to throw the dogs with those on few multi-single targets. Like, you lose Agreed. a little bit of that, right? Like, you have three hordes. Like, there's no way there's all three are going to throw the same target. Like, it's just, it's just like the amount of movement it takes to measure. Because you're measuring from the center of the base, like, like you know, like the old school. I still remember the days we used to charge from center base and try, trying to charge a horde of ironclad back then was like almost comical to like to measure the eight inches and just be like, yeah, no, I can't charge you. Even though you're, it's like three inches away from, from me on the side, like you just can't make it. So, um, so I think, I think um, regiments of iron guard, like Kyle said, with the dogs, like that's a really good dog target. You're always taking the dogs with them. Like there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, and their offense is, it's, it's not bad. I mean, I think, I think melee three, you know, there's room for melee three, especially, you know, we'll talk about it later, but if you have elite formation, you have 
ability to get him some items, maybe put him on a hill, get some thunderous going off of it, right? There, there's ways to kind of play around that. I think melee three is not that bad with 12 attacks. You know, that's it's consistent eight hits and, and you know, maybe more. And, and um, against low defense, it definitely will do the damage. I think, I think that's one thing I do kind of like about Iron Guard is that they're kind of pretty good for that, that little bit of punch you get. Do you guys think we're going to see less Iron Guard just generally now that you have Ordered March and it's more impactful on hordes of Ironclad? I don't know. I, I think if people that like Iron Guard and build their lists around that, we'll, we'll keep taking them. Um, I've pushed for like two Clash Cycles now for them to be able to swap to Crush 1 and drop down to Defense 5 like a bunch of other these types of regiments. I think if they could do that, there's a really interesting MSU Dwarf Regiment build out there that, that you could run. As it is, I, like I like we were just talking about, they they compare pretty well to ironclad whores, and that's really just about, you know, what what are you trying to unlock, what do you need to unlock, and how are you wanting to set up your battle line? I think these guys lost a little bit with the withdrawal change. Either you're not playing with withdraw, so you can't do that, or you are, and you're getting a negative one to hit. You know, there used to be a way to set up two or three regiments such that you charge one, the other one's going to get. Uh, a flank pretty easily and it's much harder to pull that off now without withdraw or, or if you can't pull it off you're at a negative one to hit so i've kind of moved away from all infantry regiments including these guys <laughs> oh no you've moved away from all infantry regiments period oh my god dude like that's the army i was for a while i was running five regiments of these guys as the line right backed up with a bunch of other cool stuff but like all with dogs um mastiffs and front you know, hitting on threes to uh, Alex's point, there's nothing more juicy than coming down off a hill and being like, and now I got TC one, right? I mean, it's because Bane Chan is so hard to get in the list, but I, I think it's good and it's a good defense. It's a hard, it's a nice hard defense against things like elf shooting. Like when Glaze Stuggers first came out, I was like, everything's defense six and everything has dogs. And I don't care if you're in the woods and here you go. But against other stuff, I was like, I'm doing three wounds. Like you're not killing anything. You're not killing anything. I mean, you're mm-hmm. not getting killed, but you're not removing any of the threats on the board without somebody else to come and save these guys. And for 150 points, 165 with the with the mastiff, it's kind of pricey. But like I don't know, it's but they're worth it. I mean, they're worth every penny. I took all of them, you know. But in this new realm, not exactly sure. Apparently, Kyle agrees with me. We're not taking regiments anymore. We're not doing it. It's not it. That that was Tom, please. I'm taking regiments of Iron Guard. I'm taking multiple <laughs> regiments of stuff, right? <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I think I mean I think it's answer like Rob's initial question. I think you'll see less of these like 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 you saw the armies of four, five regiments of Iron Guard. Like that was their their line. I think you'll see less of that. I do I do agree with that point. I think I think there's room to maybe play around that or maybe maybe switch to Ironclad or maybe tweak things a bit. Um but I think I think you'll still see like th- my armies will probably have two regiments of these guys. I, I don't see that changing. Um, but I, again, I, I just like I just really like that package they have. Tom, uh, you guys from Texas are like Notre Dameus, man. So Robert Zimmerman asks, when will shield breakers be crushed too, like God intended? <laughs> Robert, you get your wish. So shield breaker speed four, melee three plus defense four, uh, one three and four unit strength. 10, 12, 25 attacks, and 10, 12, 14, 16, 21, 23 nerve. Points adjustment, 90, 140, 230. You're saying, Rob, they got more expensive. Yeah, because they got crushing two now, and they have the ordered March special rule. So talk to me about shield these new, this new glorified, a real hammer unit. 
I'm scared of uh, I'm, I'm scared of Dustin Howard. That's what I'm scared of. He's been talking about once Dwarves get Shieldbreaker gets crushed too. Like he's been talking about this for years. I remember New York Masters, he was talking about this, and now it's now they're finally here. Crush two hitting on threes. I, I don't know what evil shenanigans he's going to cook up. That's all I'm worried about. <laughs> yeah, he has been pushing for that for a while, and, and we've been pushing for that um, for at least two years. Um, I know, Kyle, you think you like the cheaper version with the Crush one, but it's just from a lore and modeling perspective, it's it's always bugged me at least that they didn't have Crush two. Great weapons, baby. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and the list doesn't have a lot of crush two in it so i think it's a nice if you're trying to differentiate the various infantry units from each other it's it's a good way for these guys to have their own role in the list that's that's different than than others so i like the change i'm curious to hear what the longtime dwarf players think about it i'll dive in first before alex tells me i'm wrong so i i don't know i think these are i think melee three crush two this is good. And the reason why is because I was not taking sh- I was not taking shield breakers before. That defense four against uh no pierce or pierce one mid-range shooting with movement four sucks. So you take them, they inevitably get shot off. You can't use them, they're unusable. But at the least now, and then when they do get into combat, it's like, here we go, crush one. I I almost died so I could have one round of combat at crush one. Who gives a crap? Crush two at the very least. Now you're talking about with a horde, you got almost, you know, 11 wounds. So if you let me get in, I'm going to murder you. Right. And so that I think is worth the trade before it was, you're going to shoot me off. And then if I do get in there, I'll get six wounds. And that's not enough on a normal regiment to cause a, to cause anything. It's not enough. Right. Alex, do you, do you disagree? I see you kind of nodding your head. Maybe. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I think they're definitely unique now. Like, I, I do agree that they they're a more they're a different role now. Like a role that we didn't have, which is that you can can you know twenty five attacks on melee three with crush two is awesome. You know, and, and especially can you throw a banshee in there, crush three that that's insane. Like that that's a ton of damage. However, I don't, I don't know if I like it. I still don't know if I like them. I mean, defense four on a horde is just it's just so sketchy, right? Like it's just again we yeah. talked about like how multiple things are getting on your horde. They're killing them. I mean. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I still find it extremely hard to use this unit. Again, they at least have a role, and I do like that, that it's, it's unique. And, and they, if you play, maybe play enough of them that, hey, you can't kill everything, right? So something's there and someone's going to whack you. I think that works. And I think there's probably a, a legitimate playstyle to that. That is very different than like the current list of Thors I think you see out there. So I'd be curious to see the first one kind of figure out. I think maybe something like Trowbridge plays probably similar to this, where he's got a lot of melee style dwarfs. So I'm sure he's right. probably, you know, he's probably looking at his lips, looking at this change. I have to imagine like saying, Hey, what can I do with this? Right. This is really cool. Right. And, I, and I think, I think you, if you do run multiple of these, you, you, that's the way to do it. It's like, you want to have like having one year of these, is not going to do anything. They're just going to die. They're, they're no, just, I, I they stand out like a sore thumb in the middle of an army, right? Like mm-hmm. you have a whole bunch of defense, six stuff. And you have a defense for you that hits, you know, harder than anything else combined. It's like, they're going to die like every time they're just, they just don't live. But, but um, but there there is a role for them, and that, that is cool. I think. I think based on that, to your point, Alex, it's almost like you know there are some units that you know you have to take other units with them in order to either protect them or deliver them, etc. So for this, it's like okay, I'm gonna take a horde of shield breakers, which means I'm gonna take a regiment of the dogs, and I'm gonna take something else, and I'm gonna make sure that they're within range of the of the guy with the formation with the BSB, right? Like there's all kinds of other stuff that make these guys like 
super, super deliverable. But the problem with delivery systems with dwarves is you're still moving eight, right? You're charging eight. So your threat range is like, I have to counter whatever it is that my opponent wants to do to me. So, um, so I want to hear Tom say that uh, I'm wrong too, because this is what, this is really what the cast is going to be. I'm going to say something and most people are going to disagree with me slightly because I don't know what I'm doing. Well, I was going to say, I think this is a unit that's actually a lot better in Free Dwarves, uh, the Free Dwarf version, than the Dwarf version. Because in Free Dwarves, they get Pathfinder native. So you can have three Pathfinding hordes of these guys. And Alex, my mind also went to Eric Trowbridge, but to his Orc army, because these are basically Dwarf Great Axe on a smaller base. And so my mind goes to... How did he deliver those three giant orc hordes? Well, he had a bunch of uh, orclings sitting in front of it. So we we dwarves have better orclings. They have dogs with dogs, right? So so why couldn't that work? You know, and especially in the free dwarf list where they get a lot of other uh, fast flying units to kind of keep things off and prevent the multi chargers on these big hordes. I, I I think there's a really interesting list in there that I haven't quite figured out, but that's Somebody should figure it out. So correct me if I'm wrong, right? But the, the free dwarf version of Shieldbreakers could come with Pathfinder too, right? And so, yeah, so you're hanging out in the woods and that allows you to take the charge and then, you know, do the counter punch. Now, you better have big terrain pieces, right, on the table because I think the free dwarves are like, we're awesome. We have Pathfinder all, all over the place, but there's only so many woods, right, to stand in. You know what I mean? But I think that there's, so, I really think there's something there. There's definitely something there. I've been running a horde of shield breakers for the past two years. So I'll tell you how you get them across the board without dying. And it's called Barkskin. Barkskin and cover is how you protect the shield of horde, a horde of shield breakers. And then two regiments of iron guard on either side. You can use geometry with them to close down their charge frontage. So usually only one unit is getting in to charge them. And just like we talked earlier about the ironclad, their nerve is their, their defense, right? So between Barkskin, Raidens of Life from the uh, uh, Stone Priests, and Cover, they're getting where they need to be. And now it, it got, I had, I've had problems where like you know a horde of Shieldbreakers will crush one. Even Bane Chanted bounces off stuff. Crush three, 25 attacks on threes is not going to bounce off many things anymore. Uh, so that's, that's how I get my horde of Shieldbreakers there. I don't, the regiments I've run before, even with the crushing upgrade, they're now 140 points. Like I think they're too easy to handle and don't quite punch hard enough to justify their cost in most cases. And, and don't forget to read dwarf shieldbreakers also have wild charge one. Ooh. Yeah. When you're when you're when you're speed four, every inch matters. To be honest, if it ain't 10, it doesn't matter because every uh, everything else moves five. So you can stand 10 at 9.5 inches away, and I can stand there and go, I got wild charge one. Well, it looks like I'm out, right? You just need to keep brew a haste, baby. That's all. Oh, uh, see, now you're just piling it on. Keep in mind, though, that that these guys in the Freedorf list also get Ordered March, and Ordered March says you can at, you can uh, pivot when you're moving at the devil, but you can't at the devil through terrain unless you have Pathfinder. Dun, 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 dun. It's going to be really good. It's funny, because at the beginning, we were like, did we ever talk about Free Dwarves? And most people didn't, because Free Dwarves were not good. But now, no. with these changes, I'm looking at the list and going, this is legit. The board control that you have, and we'll talk about it later, but I really think the board control options that you have with Free Dwarves is, are really strong right now. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, th- I think Free Dwarves, like, that's a very unique piece. A horde that can 
nimble pivot, you know, on, on a marsh move and, and has like that much damage on it with Pathfinder is, is rare. Like that's a pretty unique piece. Like I don't, I can't think of any army that has anything even close to that, to be honest. So yeah, I'd be, to me, that's like, that's something that Predor should have, right? I think that's the one problem with Predor is like they had nothing that was really unique about them. It was like, they're just worse dwarves, right? Like, like, because they just don't have access to so many good things and nothing to really compensate for it. I think now they have the compensation. I think that's something very cool to talk to once we get to more of those units. Saying that free dwarves are anywhere close to being as good as Imperial dwarves is anti-Gallic propaganda, and I will not allow it. <laughs> we only kick down on those poor people out in the plains, can't even get their holds set up right. Come on, dude. Take care of your land, bro. But a bunch of refugees. It's true. There's I'm only one king. His name's Gallic. Why don't you forget it? Well, we'll see. All right, well, next let's jump into the Bulwarkers. We did have a comment from Adrian Scott. So a little bird told me that many Phalanx units across the game are getting a buff. And yep, a lot of Phalanx units are getting cheaper. So Bulwarkers are no exception. Speed 4, Malay 4, Defense 5, 1, 3, 4, Unit Strength 12, 15, 30, Attacks 10, 12, 14, 16, and 21, 23 Nerve. And now their points are 85, 130, and 215, and they get Ordered March. So they come with Headstrong, Phalanx, and Throwing Masses for 15. So let's talk about Bulwarkers. They're great. I mean, Defense 5 and Phalanx as a horde is, I take them with Bruce Strength and a Throwing Dog, and they do work. You put a Bane Chant on them, 30 attacks on 4s with Crush 2. They take care of a lot of stuff. Uh, and the Phalanx, I think, is a big differentiation between them and the ironclad the phalanx helps keep a lot of units that otherwise would crush them out of the way whites are hitting on minus one knights are just put in the bin there's a lot of units that have that don't have favorable charges anymore and you can use that to your advantage even if they're not using the phalanx people will often counter deploy against them go okay i, I won't put the stuff affected by phalanx over here and i know that cool i can set up for those things somewhere else i love them a horde of Fal- a horde of uh, bulwarks is in every list so, yeah, it's, I'm just going to say that, like, Ordered March, to me, helps this unit a lot because it lets them get into position to kind of get the counters. So I can kind of put, say, a regiment or a horde of these guys, like, near near kind of the middle. I want to say middle, like, middle side of the board, kind of the thirds. I know I know Tom wrote a gay article and, like, kind of split the board up in thirds, right? So if you, if you, if you put a unit in this in the thirds, you can kind of go, all right, this unit can pivot and go eight. I can go towards the middle. I can go to the side. So what are you going to do with your cavalry, right? Like, you kind of put the ball in the enemy's court saying, hey, I can get submission. I need to these guys to really counter them. And so I think that makes them a lot stronger to, to really get to like where they're holding they're they're getting to that spot. They need to faster in the right position to be able to, to like do what they need to do, which is hold, you know, hold against charges. I think that that helps them a lot. Um, having said that, hordes are really tricky to use. I think for these guys, just because it's a big investment in price. I don't know if I saw a lot of bulwarkers taken outside of the, the formation, which, which, um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about more later, but like, it's just, it's just a, to me, it's just a tricky investment. I mean, I think really depends on, it's going to depend on your mana, right? Like what you expect to see. And still 35 points more than the Ironclad, right? right? And so for that, you're getting five extra attacks and you're getting Phalanx, which, right. which is big, but it's 35 points. Well, more importantly, it's, it's 15 points less than Iron Guard, right? And so instead of the defense six, you have defense five, but you have the situational defensive ability that is, that, puts them over the top right so kind of makes sense but the offensive but the offensive output of the unit even with 15 attacks is still just over two wounds so against defense five so you're still not killing anything you're just a different way to not die fast right in position now the fact that you can take hordes as opposed to an iron guard unit that you can't that's 
pretty cool. I mean, that is it's it's appropriately priced, I think, to sit down and be like, it's really going to take you a long time to chew through this. And God forbid you have anything with Radiance of Life or something or bark skin or what have you back in this unit up because it ain't going anywhere. But you're not using it to really put out a lot of hurt. In fact, a lot of these units, except for the shield breakers, you're not putting out a lot of offensive damage, but you're playing scenario play really strong, right? You're going to a position and saying, I, I dare you to kill me. You'd only have six turns. Yeah, that's a really good point about the comparison between Iron Garden and regiments of these guys. I hadn't really thought about that, but the comparison's not favorable to the the Bulwarker regiments. You're you're definitely right about that. Now the horde, it solves the problem that we were talking about earlier, which is hordes get multi-charged really it's really difficult to prevent that from happening even when you're a really good player and so uh this solves that problem and and as far as meta i don't i think you guys are probably similar to me we're just seeing a ton of green lady lists a ton of fast lists some of the other cock changes like humans have dracons now you don't have to choose between beast cav and and the flying upgrades so it's like you're, there's going to be that guy that takes that list in your in your meta. Flying hordes are really powerful, um, so I think the hordes definitely have a place in in the new era we're about to enter. And with failings getting cheaper, I, I don't know that the bulwarkers are the better the best example <laughs> of some of the units that got cheaper, right? Like, I mean, as Mike said, it's a situational thing. You, you're slow. So how do you make sure you line them up against the cavalry or the flyer? You know, you, you're you're at a disadvantage than some of the other faster. Uh, right. even, even the speed five guys like ceremonial guard. Well, well, it's interesting because I, I the other the other comparison to make is, and I I don't like comparing across armies, but like a a, a regiment of skeleton spearmen is just as strong it, from a defensive perspective as these guys, and, and they're fearless. And there's a but yeah, right. I mean their offensive output is one point five wounds instead of two. Eh. Right. And they, they fill the exact same role. I look at these and the only thing that makes them worthwhile, the only reason I ever took them was because of the formation. And we may want to talk about the Imperial formation now, because I think it's worthwhile. But the fact that you take the formation with these guys and they get um, uh, melee three. Right. And in the old formation, you actually got to pip a nerve that that was kind of good. I mean, 15 attacks melee three is is 10 hits and you can do something with that. The Royal Guard still exists. It's two regiments of bulwarkers and one ironclad horde and one army standard bearer and all units in this formation gain malay three plus the ironclad horde gains nerve 22 24 and the army standard bearer gains nerve 11 13 and aura elite infantry only and you know i mean if you were taking this before you probably still take it yeah i mean the bulwarker regiments are cheaper than they were before right and you know that you're you're missing a pip and nerve on them but who cares Right. That's not the reason why you took this formation. And unless I'm reading it incorrectly, you can give the banner bearer an item now, which you couldn't do before. That is huge. That is correct. Yep. This formation is way better, actually. So so this formation, it was already, like, to my opinion, one of the best missions. This formation now is insane. I mean, I, th- I think it's like, you know, to me, there, there's a kind of a, there's two dwarf camps for sure. Like the formation, no formation. It was, I think it's about 50-50 probably. Now, to me, this formation is, is like phenomenal. And obviously, I don't know what else is out there in the Thatch Kings, but being able to take an item on the banner bearer is insane because you can give them that, you know, loot, mm-hmm. chant. Maybe you want to give them the item, extend the elite aura, you know, extra extra inches. Like you have a lot of options. You can do that guy. It, the sky's the limit there. And then the other thing I was going to talk about is formation too. And, and I sorry, I'm kind of hogging this, but um, I was really excited. This is elite infantry only. It used to say elite melee only. Infantry elite means all elite. So I can keep this guy back there and all my sharpshooters now get 
elite, right? For shooting, I get elite from other shooting. I can, I can, I can put this guy anywhere. This guy's, this is, it, it really, to me, it's, it, this information is so good now. Like it, it's, right. it, it's, and it's just, again, it got a little bit cheaper, but it does everything now, but better. Like I, I'm, I was very it's impressed. Bananagrams, how good they are. Yeah, it, it's very strong. And we'll put the cherry on top of the Sunday, obviously the dwarf center bearer. He has very inspiring, but now he also has for the king. Friendly units within six inches may re-roll failed headstrong rolls. The one thing that could happen, oh crap, my guys are wavered, you know, wavered. Well, you have a pretty good mitigation, right? Like I roll, I roll the one or a two, roll it again. Yeah, I mean, that's really good. I mean, it, it's it's <laughs> that's an understatement. Yeah, I mean, and again, the, the, like I talk about items, you're, you're giving this guy probably loot and say darkness like every time. I mean, it Bane Chan in this list is so, so big. I mean, like even the news we talked about so far. Like you give them with melee three and elite, you give them a bench on top of that. I mean, they're they're doing really good damage. I mean, honestly, like it's it's very strong. They're basically elves, right? I mean, that the whole whole joke in this formation is you turn dwarves into elves, right? You give them melee three, you give them elite, and then now you give them a bench on top of that. I, I mean, again, the 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 thing I like about this formation in general is that it just gives you a lot of offense output out of your infantry, and to me that was, that was a really really valuable. And then they they made that even better. So I mean, to me, the the, the upside of this formation swung heavier in that direction and the fact that you can give elite to some of your shooters too like just you know uh, you know that, that's that's like to me the cherry on top it's like all right first two turns i kind of hang around the infantry or hang around the shooters give them elite and then i'll, I'll like kind of move up towards the you know other guys and give them elite and bane when they need it you can't be understated too the advantage that a, a, a regiment of phalanx versus a horde horde you're giving them this big target they're going to hit you with the house they're going to take you out but a regiment it's harder to get two units in there right it's sneaky they undercommit, and then they're like, "Oh crap, I came up short." The other thing too, I mean, to to Alex's point, being able to to be able to give the loot to the BSB gives you a source of bane chant that doesn't cost me eighty points off the bat for bane chant too, right? And so this is just a incremental increase in the in the cost for something, right? As opposed to having to play and pay the the stone priest or the flame priest tax, right? To to get to get access to that, it's a big deal. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be that guy in the chat then and say I don't like the formation. <laughs> oh, lay like it, it down. Yeah. Tell me why. <laughs> let, let me tell you some uh, wisdom from King Gallic. All right. <laughs> uh, I didn't like it. Uh, I didn't like the formation initially. I thought it was a trap. I think it's better now with with and it uh, purely it's purely through the standard bearer, right? The standard bearer getting the very inspiring, getting the elite or uh, being able to take items like the standard bearer is insane. But that horde of ironclad bothers me to no end. And the reason why is it's so expensive. All the benefits talk about ironclad being cheaper for defense. Like you're paying a bunch of points to make that ironclad hitting on threes and getting plus one nerve. And now it has to do something. It can't just be a defensive unit that chips away at things. Now it has actual weight on the battlefield. And or what are you going to do? You're going to put more items into it to make it hit harder. Cause even threes is elite and one Bane chant, it doesn't get through a whole lot. Because again, with the shield, with shield breakers being crush one and hitting on threes is pretty similar output. They bounce off a lot of stuff, and now they're getting all this heat that they don't have phalanx. Uh, they're not defense six, uh, and they don't hit hard enough unless you put a lot of points into them to justify that cost. And I think it takes away from what makes ironclad good. If that if that horde was bulwark horde, I would take this every day and twice on Sundays. But because it's an ironclad horde, I, I I stay away from it. I don't I don't want to put that many points into an ironclad horde. I think it's valid criticism. I mean, I think um, the way that I always ran this formation because uh, is to put the hammer ready force on the horde of ironclad, um, and, and that's to me that's always a, a bit, like just a good value because that you know with with uh, with the hammer measure force, I think it's like two twenty for the unit, which again it's not cheap, right? You say you're starting getting higher, but it's still but it's still relatively cheap, right? For it's a horde two twenty, 
Yeah. And, and, they, and they will die. The Kyle's point, they're absolutely like, they're not immune by any means. They're only defense by board. They're absolutely can die to a lot of things. But the thing is that that unit with hair-measured force and elite um, and hit on threes will pretty much do, I think, 10 and a half, 11 wounds to anything. And, and that's, that's a lot of damage. Yeah. Yeah. Re- like reliably. Yeah. That's, that's, that's their kind of average output. And it's a lot of dice and you get it most of the time. So, so being able to do that to anything to me is extremely valuable. I found it valuable in like dwarf mirror matches and you find other defense six armies. You, it's, it's a very unique role that you have in your army. It's a unit that just kind of can't open anything it touches. Um, and then it's also 11 wounds is kind of right at that point where you're able to kind of one shot a lot of those mid range units too. So you're, it's like, you know, you, when you look for hammers, you want to look for units to kind of get into that threshold. And to me, that that uh, hammer force on them was the unit. Now, with with having the the bane chant, there's other options there. So I think you can maybe um, you can maybe argue for for like uh, brew of strength on them, maybe maybe something else. But um, but I, I always liked to me hammer force on this Kyle. That's, that's that was my way of running them to kind of make them a little bit unique. But but everything you said is is completely valid. I think there's a lot of ways these guys die a lot of times, and I think. That's one of the things you have to learn is not let them just kind of, you think they're invincible. Like, oh, they're a whore. They got good extra nerve. It's like, that doesn't mean shit when you're getting, getting double charged. Like you just, you, your whore dies in two seconds. Totally so you do true. have to kind of baby them a little bit. And so that's, that's um, again, with Order of March, I think you have the ability to do that a little better now. So again, we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. Well, Matthew Schneckner asks, will Berserkers ever be viable? And so let's talk about Berserkers in the Imperial Dwarf list. The big change is they get the Ordered March Special Rule, but they're still Speed 5, Malay 4, Defense 4, 1-3, Unit Strength, fifteen twenty attacks. Now, one thing that we, we've brought up with the RC is a discrepancy. The book says 14 nerve for the troop, but Companion lists it as Dash 15. I have a feeling it's Dash 14, but we'll get that confirmation, and it's a Dash 18 on the regiment, 105 and 165. And for those points, you get Slayer Malay D6, Vicious Malay, Wild Charge D3, and then you have Vengeance, while countercharging this unit has Crushing Strength 1. In the past, I know, Mike, you've taken some. I have played Berserkers in the past. Typically, like in a troop, I'll put them in the back line. They're holding it, you know, they're just, they're, they're a fearless unit that's hard to kill. You have to put something into them, but I'm not taking a whole army of Berserkers. I'll talk about these guys. I have a soft spot for them because the models that I painted for them, I think are rather good. They're old GW sculpts, like everything I own. They have 20 attacks in the regiment with defense 4. They only have melee four. They get Slayer D6 and Vicious, Wild Charge D3. So that's like an effective range of 11 to 13 inches, which is longer than any any other. The rest of the dwarves are sitting there moving aid, feeling sad, right? But it's 165 points, you know, and they're supposed to project threat and they don't really project threat because in the big scheme of things for a regiment at 165, if I add another 30 points, now I'm, I'm, I'm a regiment of Brock Riders and I have 26 attacks and I move eight. And that's and I have dash eighteen, and I just think that's better. When you compare them to their Brock riding equivalents, they're not worth taking. Berserkers on foot, I don't think are worth it. Now that being said, maybe you could take three or four of these. Uh, the free door version, I actually think are really good because you can give them Pathfinder, and they have Thunder Charge one. Sure, but they also cost the same as a Horde of Ironclad at that point, right? So, like once again, if you're doing the comparison, I don't. I don't know. They're in a weird spot because they do the they do the the shock troop thing, but they don't project enough threat to really shock compared to other stuff in the list. I'm hope I'm hoping someone else is going to pile in and tell me that I'm wrong and I'm using them wrong, but I'm I don't think I'm wrong. Well, I mean, I actually took a troop of these guys, so so I will say that that I don't know if that counts as viable or not. But like, I used to take a troop at dash fifteen. I mean, one hundred five points that that is more toughness they have any business being right. Like that's that's actually ridiculously tough, right? Like a dash fifteen. Defense for 105 points. That that's uh, you can't find it anywhere else. Right? It's literally just living sits. Like that's that's the thing. So you can use them as kind of a weird 
like dick chaff kind of element where they're kind of out there and the opponent has to respect it somewhat. Um, but honestly, most commonly I use them as kind of a backline threat, kind of like what Rob talked about. It's like you're playing force of nature. I'm like, hey, I don't want these guys to just like run rampant in my backfield. So I'll keep one unit just back far enough that like if you get through and you have to choose which way you're going to face, you have to respect them, right? And maybe they'll just charge in and tie up some air elementals and that's their life and they're just going to die eventually. But, you know, to project just enough movement threat and just enough sort of like offense to, to, and, and toughness to like be useful for, for like a random unit that you just need somewhere. And I think, you know, that that's the most use I got out of them. I used to run like two troops and I was convinced that was like the secret sauce of my list and it was amazing. And then now I have like none of them left. So, I mean, <laughs> take that for what it's worth, I guess. Mind screeches happened, right? That's that's the big the big risk of running troops as a second line. We had this conversation on the scoring gems episodes, like how do we make berserker infantry relevant? And I, I don't have a good answer to that. You know, I think if you're if you're gonna use these guys, you either do it as troops as a second wave, as Alex is talking about, or you just have to go all in and you have to basically checkerboard with regiments you take like five regiments and just run them up the board which i think works better like mike was saying in the free dwarf list where you're because they hit on fours and not threes you really need that pathfinder to make sure they don't lose everything when they charge hindered like i've seen it done with spirit walkers in the hard list where you do that kind of checkerboard thing uh the big thing to me for these guys is that their nerve is so high like suspiciously high like it might be a mistake high i'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna push that, so but it's true. like looking at it, it's like, are you sure that's right? Like that is really high. Yeah, I mean, when I ran a troop, like the amount of times they would get hit and live from something like they had no business. Li- like it happens a lot, right? And just whether well, it's just variants of dice, right? It's like dash fifteen is is a high number. Right? I mean, like it's, like it's like to try to kill that with like a, I've seen like regi- you know knights will charge them and like bounce them. Like like wait, what? I wasn't ready for that. And, and yeah. You know, and so, and they're dash, so you can you can still fight back, right, and get their all the benefits, and, and you know, so that's that's good. I mean, my mission they don't thunderous, right? Like the, the amount of times I've charged my opponent, and like they're like I like attack, I'm like they're like that's it, and like I'm like yeah, like that's it. And so like you just like opponents feel bad for me sometimes, and I'm like I'm getting like yeah, yeah, that, that they're you know that's kind of what you expect. And once again, you're talking about you charge in, you have twenty attacks, you hit on four, so you're doing what three wounds, right? Like my my. My everything in this army does two wounds. Everything in the army does two to two and a half wounds, except for a couple exceptions. But like, if you just come to grips with that, then you can kind of math it out. But everything does two wounds. Yeah, I mean, you can try to give them elite. All the stat lines are slightly different, but it's always two. I think they really need a, a hero option. Like, I think it's the Freedors that have uh, Severy, which gives extra wild charge to Berserkers. Yeah. It's like... That that where they're because thirteen where you have to roll max charge to get that anyway. It's like that's not that scary, but if you could get up to fifteen or sixteen or seventeen, where all of a sudden you're you're outranging calf potentially. What do you think, like fool, come on, right? Yeah, or, or like the new mutants in um in in the Twilight Kin. That like that's kind of what Berserker infantry should be in my eyes. So I mean to to jump back to what we were saying before when we were talking about um. You know, the free dwarf shield breakers get wild charge one so that they can charge nine. Eh. But charging 11, right, actually matters, right? Because there's nothing that moves eight except for other dwarves, but a lot of stuff moves five, you know, so charges 10. So when you charge 11, now you have a little more board control. I think the math I did on these guys, which I thought was cool at the time, was that like 
Um, if they charge a regiment of ogre warriors, I think they win that battle. Like they can charge and then take the counter, take the charge back and the counter, and then I think they win that that battle overall. Which to me, back when like nine by nine ogres was a thing, that was like that was like a cool stat. Was like oh, I can take a couple of troops of these and like time up and win. But like those those kind of like you don't really see that many ogre regiments anymore. And and you know, so so I think that's you know you talk about like lightning bolt warlock stuff like that. that that's a problem that's something they don't want to see so so i think it's cool that they have a profile where they can actually outcharge ogres and beat ogres in some situations but those situations became too rare to me to like you know make them less viable but that's if, if you have a meta of a bunch of ogre regiments i think a couple of these are pretty good but you know i don't, I don't know if anyone saw that meta or not mike take us into sharpshooters sharpshooters money how about that right so uh, you you should start with you should start with three or four troops of these that is known right? Uh, they put pressure on from turn one. They have a 36 inch range. They have unit strength. They have range four plus. They have five shots and enemy units can't triple their attacks against them. So that's pretty good. And now with order of March, it could be easier to move up in the late game and position for that last round of shooting, which you might need. I don't know. I think they're legit. When I was looking at third and when they came out and said, okay, here's your cannons and your all the other war machines. I was like, I just did some math and it's just not worth taking war machines when you have Sharpshooters. And the the other reason why, besides all the defensive abilities, they have one less nerfs. They have 911 instead of 1012, as opposed to like a can is 1012, right? But you don't triple the attacks, etc. That's no big deal. The important thing is that it is reliable two points of damage. You have five shots, you hit on fours, you have pierce two at 36 inches. It's you're rolling more dice than doing the swingy like cannon thing where like I miss, I miss, I miss, I miss. Oh, I hit twice. It made you feel bad. Right. This is just you're gonna take a little bit of pressure every turn. It's worth they're they're great. They're great. Right. My every list I take starts with three or four of these. It's a tax I pay to put pressure on and control board space. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Randy Davis does ask why are sharpshooters the best choice in the game for ventilating chest cavities from across the board? I mean, I think you said it well already. He's slightly wrong. The best one is the claw shots because they're cheaper and move faster. But I'll take these. It's fine. Right. It's totally yeah. fine you have to realize about using these guys is like you hit on fours, which means it's okay for you to hit on fives. That's why I like him over the war machines. It's like, you're not going from fives to sixes, which is a lot worse than going from, from fours to fives. You just, you just have to absolutely accept that you will not always have a perfect shot and set up as long as you can see things. Like I remember a game at masters playing elves and there was a big hill right in the center of the board. I didn't care. I just I just stuck the sharpshooters where they had the max view of the field and just shot his Dracon, shot his Dracon Lord uh, in cover. But who cares? I mean, they if you take three or four of them, you're going to do enough wounds to to threaten things. And so you know, or, or shooting stealthy units, it doesn't matter if you hit on fours. And so that's that's why these guys are so good. Yeah, they're they're scoring, but honestly, that comes up in in fewer games than you would think. It's like Control, yeah, that's amazing. But a lot of times they're going to be so far back that they're not really going to have an effect on the scenario. Um, maybe they'll capture a pillage token or something that you stick back there. But um, yeah, these things are really, really good. <laughs> I toyed with the idea of maybe swapping the fourth one in my list for a cannon or something to get shattering, but I don't even think that's that's worth it. <laughs> I, I, I don't like them just because of the low amount of attacks. And they take full penalties on stuff. And the amount of time, like rare do you get a clean shot and like a hindered organ gun like, uh, with cover 
is pretty much doing the same damage as a, a free open shot with uh, sharpshooters. And people give organ guns way more wide of a berth than they do sharpshooters. And I kind of use it more of a zone control thing. Nobody, I, nobody really respects sharpshooters. Like, yeah, like three or four across the board, cool. Uh, but even then, like the amount of times they're like, all right, I'll, they'll do a wound each. And you have four of them. That's four wounds from four units shooting. They're easy enough to shut down just like war machines are. I mean, they're, they'll probably take longer to kill in most cases, but in the end, they'll probably just die just as fast. And for me, they take up a lot of board space. They have that wide cavalry troop uh, frontage. And if you're taking a lot of hordes or everything like that, it can be hard to find spots to put them in. An organ gun is 50 by 50 and it fits in a lot of small places while taking a lot of sharpshooters can really hamper your deployment and that don't take them. But I respect the, the, you know, the proper dwarves taking rifles with scopes on them. Cause you know, that's cool. <laughs> I think they're good. I mean, I think you're, you're, I think you have a fair point. Like they can die pretty easily. And I think that's something that um, I know I've certainly misplayed before where like, I kind of throw them out there and I let them die too easily, uh, especially counter shooting to me. The thing that, that, that Tom didn't mention, which, goes hand in hand with how good they are is that range 36 that is crazy like that is so good right like it's it's lets you basically deploy in the back line and and still shoot and that's to me is that's the combination of that with the the range four up is is the two things that like i can just put them anywhere you know out and, and they just shoot and there's no issues they're just going to shoot and even recover you know you're getting shots off and set chipping away. That's gonna gonna eventually get someone right. You know if, the best thing to see is that when the opponent has a titan, right? You see that height six. You're like, oh great. I'm never. I don't even take cover, right? I'm. Not, I'm not gonna put these guys anywhere, and I'm gonna shoot the shit out of that titan um, every round, and it's it's gonna die. And your opponent knows that. We all know it. Like it's just like a titan model that has to you can hide all game or you just get shot. And, and uh, to me, that's that's like a a really big deal is hitting on four ups. When they hit on four ups, it's it's like you almost feel bad. It's like. Whoa, that's a lot of damage coming out. Um, I do not feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I said almost. <laughs> Key, keyword there. Um, but yeah, like to me, it's, it's the the unit I think is a really big deal. And that's also something they get ordered march as well. And that, that to me is, is definitely worth talking about. Cause like that's that's a unit where like, hey, I can I can pivot and go eight. Like I'm I'm scoring all sorts of weird shit, right? It's like, you know, we talk like the new scenarios, you have to get to the middle of the board, you know. They can pick up blue tokens that can pick up, you know, random, you know, then get to harder to get to pillage tokens, right? A lot of time I, de- I deploy them in a way where like, I, I, I kind of like, hey, if I shoot for five turns, what can I do on turn six to move and score? And that's kind of deploy them. But now that option has opened up very massively, right? Like when you have the ability to pivot and nimble, sorry, I keep saying nimble, you have to pivot in March, like that, that changes the game quite a bit, I think, with that ability to like score more stuff with these. And so with like two turns of movement, these guys, if you really want to dedicate to, I mean, and there's something wrong with that either. I always tell the new players, like there's nothing wrong with shooting for four turns or pivot and then just moving for two turns and scoring a whole bunch of points. Like that is a very legitimate, like fine tactic. Like that you don't have to, you know, feel like you have to get it. Cause I, I've been definitely guilty myself. Like I'm really greedy, I want to shoot, shoot, shoot these guys. And like, sometimes it's better off, like, like, you know, just sit back and score an objective, score a point, you know, claim the control point like that. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like sometimes, you know, if your enemy has counter fire, like just hide, just like hide them. And and, like, maybe I'll just score a point here. And like your opponent has to like, you know, do something about it. Right. Like it's just Mm -hmm. so impactful. I kind of agree with Tom, like with the, the secure position, I was looking at cannons too. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe that'll work. But like the more I think about it, I was like, just take sharpshooters. They're just, they're just more consistent. <laughs> and like, it's just, they're just so reliable, right? Like they're just so good. Right. Yeah. I'm in the three camps as well. I think three is a good number to take. That's, 
I've got, I've jumped between three and four. I think that's kind of, um, I think it really depends on, on the list, but I think three is usually enough to where that, that gets you the output you need. To Alex's point, I think that a lot of shooting units that don't have 36 inch range, you're only getting four, four rounds of shooting anyway. So you're just getting your four rounds in the beginning of the game and then running to go play scenario. So in the big scheme of things, you're still getting the value. I don't know. I, I love them because, because of all those reasons. And I can see Kyle where you're, where you're talking about. There are a lot of times when, you know, First two rounds of the game, I'm like, all right, here we go. Here comes the pressure. Boom. And I'll roll 15 or 20 dice. And I'm like, I'll put three wounds on whatever that was. And I'll just say out loud, I'm like, that did not cut the mustard. You're going to kill me. I'm so screwed. Right. And so there are times when they, when the bell curve doesn't help you. But if they stay around average, man, they, they will kill anything height four by turn three. They'll just remove it. And then, you know, you've removed one of the hammers from, from the other guy. And if you have those in the dogs, if I can kill two units before turn three, or turn four before the lions clash, I'm going to win that game, right? That is that is how Imperials put on the pressure. Yeah, when you compare these guys to the the organ guns and you know all the all the war engines, I mean, those things are about the the scary. They're the dog with the bark on the chain, and people are like, ah, crap! I don't I don't want to get hit by the you know. Yes, it's a gambler move. Like you got to roll and you got to hit, and if you don't, you're a sad panda. But it's that it's that threat because yeah, you could do two wounds, but you, you could do eight. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, to defense six, you know, it's like, oh, so it's all relative. And I think I think there's a role for these guys. I think now with some of the changes to the war engines, you know, that we'll talk about in a minute. I think there's there's some potential there as well. Well, let's keep rolling in terms of ranged infantry. Let's talk about everybody's favorite ranged infantry unit. Uh, or maybe it was at one time the, the Rangers. It kind of fell out of favor for a while. They are speed five, Malay four, range four, defense four unit uh, size. You know, it's a troop and a regiment. Here's the thing, though. This is one of the few units that kind of got a nerf, but also got cheaper. So you're not paying for it anymore. Uh, it used to be one, three unit strength. Now it's one and two. So the regiment's only unit strength two now, which is consistent across the board with a lot of the elite shooting units in the game. Uh, attacks are 10, 12, and the nerve is 10, 12, 14, 16. And now the points are 135 and 170. And you do get the ordered march special rule, and you still have crushing strength one, pathfinder, scout and light crossbows with a 24-inch range. I don't know there's a lot of people taking rangers. What are you guys' thoughts on rangers? I take a regiment of rangers. <laughs> For me, they're they're a Swiss Army knife. With scout and pathfinder, crush one, shoot on fours, hit on fours, 24-inch range shooting. Uh, they kind of, they're, the amount of times I've won games on objectives, just because I scouted my rangers somewhere, and I had enough drops where it's the last thing that goes down, Drop them somewhere, they scout, they shoot from a hill or something like that, and then turn five or six to go capture an objective. And they have just enough threat in close combat that nobody's going to throw a flying individual then to tie them down because they'll probably win that combat. They, they've, killed, they've killed a fair amount of things in close combat, including Inshira. Uh, Shakira's been eaten by them. Uh, flank charges from them. It, it's, they, they do a lot of damage. And the one thing that's always kind of negative for me is compared to Glade Soccer's, they were really expensive. <laughs> and now that they got cheaper, I mean, you lost the unit strength, which kind of sucks, but that 15, you know, they're now priced much more competitively. If they weren't irregular, I'd probably take more than one, but I can only ever find the, you know, I need the unlocks for other stuff. So I take a regiment and it just, it fits in where I, do I need shooting for this? Do I need something to sit in the woods and charge out of? They do a lot of stuff and their defense four. they're, they're they don't have headstrong. Wish they got headstrong back, but, uh, they uh, I've been put a staying stone on them, so it's a 15, 16 regiment running around. You know, it's it's what my unit I use all the time. The loss of Headstrong is brutal. I mean, when they lost that, I don't know why they lost it. It, was, it made no sense to me. That that 
Oh man, I, I, yeah, that that was the toughest pill to swallow. I used to take Rangers, and I think Rob, that's kind of what I think knocked them out. Like uh, most people's favorites, like why is this unit not headstrong? It just doesn't make any sense. Like they're, they're, you know, it's one thing to have like your your my shooters are headstrong, so my sharpshooters get wavered. I can I can headstrong them, but then like my Rangers get wavered and they're stuck, and then my unit actually wants to fight, can't fight. Like oh, it's so frustrating, right? Like I mean, I think I used to take Rangers and troops. I thought I thought troops were kind of a cool point value to kind of like. You get 10 shots, so it's like a decent amount of offense out of them. Um, the problem with them, I think, is they get eaten by lightning bolts, like, really bad. So, like, they're, they're just, you know, like, yeah, you can try to find some cover and hide in and, like, be cute about it. But, like, any decent amount of lightning bolts is going to really fry them. Um, and so, like, I, I do I do think they're I, – I do like them the one set. I consider that a buff overall. Like, I think I think they went up a notch in my book. I think, like, yeah, you lost your strength, but, you know, being cheaper is enough to make them viable. I, I think um, – I'd be, I'd be interested to, to try a unit of these again. Um, yeah, I still wish they had a strong back, but, you know, I don't know. I, I might consider myself trying a unit. Well, let's talk about the Free Dwarf version of these. They're exactly like what we just talked about. Uh, you know, it gets the Order of March Special Rule and the cost and the regiment unit strength is two. But they do lose the Throwing Mastiff option. And the Hernia's Handpick Rangers option is now upgraded to Hernia's Handpick Rangers regiment only. Gained stealthy and elite range for 15 points. So it's sort of like... For the original cost, you, you're losing an, a, a one pip of unit strength, uh, but you're gaining stealthy and elite on range. So if you're going to take rangers, you probably m- would more take rangers in in the, the free dwarf list, maybe. Because it makes sense with all the other Pathfinder stuff that you've got. But And the Hernius upgrade, I think, is good value. If you're going to take rangers and you have available to upgrade, I would take that upgrade first. At least if you're taking one regiment, they're having the Hernius upgrade. They're sort of Glade Stalkers, right? They're not Glade Stalkers. Stop that. <laughs> I mean, they're heading out force, 24 inch range with yeah. stealthy and elite. Yeah, for 108 points. Yeah. It's it's fine. I mean, I think there, there was a time when like the melee four up, range four up stat line was kind of special. And I think Rangers had their place. Like nowadays, it's just like so common. I don't know. It just doesn't feel as special as it used to, I guess, when you had them. Like, I don't know. It's like they just kind of suck at both things now. I, I've been playing a lot with um, the newly buffed poachers in the halfling list which are uh, now hit on fours instead of fives, which makes them real interesting. And I I think it's hard to fit these rangers into the dwarf list because they are irregular. Um, but in the free dwarf list, it's a lot easier to take three regiments, four regiments, and just stick them in terrain pieces and, and shoot out of them. Because they're, um, they're not irregular in the free dwarf list. Yeah. Because they're not irregular, that's right. That's the key, yeah. In dwarfs, I think maybe you take one... One regiment, just to, on, on the theory that every army needs something that can go play in terrain and you know do that uh, role, but but uh, more than one regiment, I don't really see a role for in the dwarves. I do like Kyle's idea. I've seen in his lists of uh, running barkskin to because these guys are pretty good barkskin targets. Yeah, I mean, I have the berserker lord. We'll talk about later the rangers and the shield breakers. Whoever needs barkskin gets it, and all of a sudden it changes your opponent's math real quick. Yeah, that's super smart, right? Especially in the context of an army that is either defense six or defense four, right? And having Barskin as a viable option to, to to give give that defensive buff on the nerve end is super smart. Well, let's keep this train rolling. Let's talk about the what was formerly known as the Iron Watch crossbows and Iron Watch rifles. You know, those two unit profiles have been scrapped for one single unit called Iron Watch. Uh, they're speed four, melee four, range five plus, defense four plus. Troop regiment and a horde, you know, one, three, four unit strength, eight, 10, 20 attacks, 10, 12, 14, 16, 21, 23, and 100, 
135 and 135. Uh, they're headstrong. They have ordered March and they come stock with 24 inch range crossbows with piercing one and for 15 for the troop, 15 for the regiment and 30 for the horde. You can upgrade them to rifles, which gives you still 24 inch range, but now you get piercing two. And so the short answer to Adrian Scott, do iron watch rifles and iron watch crossbows finally have something differentiating the two units aside from a point of piercing? The answer is no, they're exactly the same except for one point of piercing. Yeah, they're one profile now, right? So it's even they're one, one profile. Less, yeah, yeah they're not even two units direction. anymore. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which I guess is fine, but I mean, I, I guess I was like asking a question. Does anyone use these guys? Like, uh, they're still terrible, right? Like, I mean, the one thing we didn't point out is that pot shots gone. Right. So you can move and shoot now, right? So now when you move, you can shoot. You're only minus one as opposed to minus two. Hitting on sixes yeah. instead of fives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, but you get twenty attacks versus ten, so I mean, it's it, better than what it was. It certainly is. Do we get confirmation on the uh, the keyword? So in the new profile, <laughs> the Iron Watch keyword is missing. From the Iron Watch, which makes no sense. I'll color my, my comment assuming that this is just a, a, a misprint or a typo or something like that, and that they do have the Iron Watch keyword. And my plan for my army with this new edition is I'm dropping an organ gun, and I'm upgrading uh, my iron clad into a, horde, into a regiment of rifles, and then putting an engineer with them. So the engineer got a, got a bit of a boost, too. It's, it's a nice little shooting uh, corner, right? You have two organ guns. You have a regiment. Uh, the regiment fights on fours. It's the same nerve as Ironclad. Unit strength three, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's compared to Ironclad, there isn't much of an output difference in combat, and there's significant you know, shooting attack now. And with Elite and a weird engineer there, I don't think it's the best thing in the world, but I like the idea of it. It feels like a dwarf thing to do. There's an engineer guy shooting his rifle. There's two organ guns. There's a regiment of rifles. Who knows? And we should mention the free dwarf version is it gets Pathfinder and Wild Charge one and everything else is exactly the same. God, I'm gonna wild charge with my crossbows. What are we doing? <laughs> what is going wrong that that's a thing that I'm gonna do? Right. So so Tom, tell me tell me what you think about this unit before I dive in and make an idiot of myself. I don't like the crossbow option. I, I think you go pierce two or you don't take them. I've only seen one person use these successfully, and that was in a different version of the game where I think it was the UK Clash of Kings was, I think, one or really highly placed. A dwarf player who took a bunch of hordes of rifles and a bunch of uh, Brock Rider regiments back when they had like 22 nerve. And so it was just the theory of like, I'm shooting you at 24 inches with Pierce 2, and if you get close to me, I'm going to charge you with, with cavalry. And that apparently worked pretty well. But other than that, I have not seen... I would not take a horde of either of these... Um, just because they're so easy to shut down. And so I think the regiments have a place in the dwarf list, maybe like Kyle's talking about, but I don't, I don't like these guys. Um, okay. So this is just math. I would have to put them on the table to see if it's worth a damn. Right. But once again, they are 150 points. They cost the same as an iron guard regiment. Okay. So uh, for that, you get unit strength three, you have defense four instead of six. Uh, you don't force. Nobody cares. But you have 10 shots hitting on fives. So that means that uh, with Pierce 2, let's say. So that means that like every turn after the first, I'm putting two wounds on something, right? So if you're looking for an offensive capability uh, and be able to move and shoot and be able to order March, once again, we're talking about being able to get where I need to be in the last two turns of the game for scenario. I think that the offensive trade might be worth it if... You don't take one of these, and you certainly, in my opinion, Kyle, I we're going to talk about the warsmith and throw them in the garbage. But 
the uh, the other dudes i think if you take three of these three regiments of these then you're you're talking something as opposed to a single horde because to your point tom i think they are easy to shut down but you can't shut down all regiments all at once and then right and then the other thing that you have is the option of splitting your fire which i also think is important I don't I, just, I don't know. I think I think there might be something there and I want to try it and be mad after a couple months that why isn't this working, right? Matt says, but I, I think there's something there. They're trash. They're trash. <laughs> Throw them away. <laughs> Throw them right next to your war just oh, your warsmith. What are we doing with a warsmith? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. To me it's a testament to how good sharpshooters are. That like I, I compared them to these guys, I was like, "What are we like?" Yeah, it's like, what, what, "Why bother?" Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the 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 range, the the they have a higher range and the higher like range attack profile. The five up is is generally a terrible profile in this game because that means the second you take any penalty, your shots go in the garbage, right? Like it, like right, you, you hit know, twice with ten shots. You hit, you hit yeah, cares? you hit just like your output just just, just it goes so low, right? It so, so that's the problem yeah. with like range five up is like it's just, it's just you're so vulnerable to profiles and, and that's that's what good players know how to do right they know how to make you not get clean shots off it and you know whether that or maybe you're just playing nice soccer and you're like well i just invested you know all these points in the shooting that's not going to do anything all game right so like it's just there's too many like caveats of that that you you like just run into that to like just being consistent right so like i think i don't know to me it's just like super hard to get these guys to work at all i mean i think the the, the hordes used to be good because there were like more items they used to support hordes too so you could like take you know, back back in the day, you could take like Jar of the Four Winds, give them a little extra range. You could take, you know, piercing on them, like things like that. Like and like that made sense in like a bigger investment. Like okay, if they do shoot, then they're at least getting the value out of that. That those one or two times you do shoot, whatever. But to me, like I don't know, man. The defense four, like it's just so many things wrong. Like I, I need a list to like write down how many things are wrong with these guys, right? It's like yeah, it's just out of control. Like I don't know. I I, I wish they were still defense five yes. to go along with the. I I think that they would be worth it at defense five because essentially a, a a regiment of iron clad or one hundred and ten. So for forty extra points, you get consistent shooting with defense five. I think that that would be that would be worth the points, right? Because you're only plinking yeah. one and a half wounds a turn, but it is something right to to put pressure the army can't do board control based on movement the board the army has to do board control and pressure based on the shooting right and so there has to be something there across across a battle line that forces your opponent to come over and fight you because if not you're just standing there and they're nine and a half inches away you feel silly you know what i mean dogs notwithstanding you know so that's why mastiffs are so big in making the army work and this would be another example, but man, I understand the reticence to make a tough shooting unit, but boy, oh boy, you know, there's got to be something that makes them dwarfy, you know. And Kyle, I, 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 I am, I am hardly against war, warsmiths and 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 the throwing massive hero and the ranger captain, and and I don't, I don't see them as, I see them as being super flavorful. And when I wrote my novel, you damn right, there's a warsmith in there because he's cool, but I'm. I, I don't see it on the table. It's uh, something to be seen. You know, I, I play tested a little bit. Uh, he, <laughs> with all the crones running around here, I, he may need to be swapped out for something with Hex. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Uh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's just, it, it was one of those ideas. Like, I built my army. I'm like, I want a proper dwarf army doing dwarf stuff the whole dwarf time. Uh, and that just seemed like a really dwarf thing to do. Will it make my final list next year after playtesting it? God only knows. But it sounds cool. And that's the most important part. Can't argue with that. Next, we're talking about 
one of the main reasons why I started playing dwarves, honestly, the cavalry, Berserker, Brock, Riders. So they have a troop and a regiment, unit strength 1 and 3, 13 attacks, 26 attacks, which is awesome. Um, the nervous dash 15, dash 18, melee 4, defense 4, speed 8. Um, they have Thunderous Charge 1, they have Vicious, and they now have a rule called Vengeance, which says when they counter-strike, they get to get plus 1 crushing strength. I am a huge fan of the new rule, that giving them Vengeance. We saw it on Berserkers on Foot. And it, it like kind of made them viable, not really. Like it kind of put them in that weird spot where like, <laughs> it was like nice when you had it. I think with Brock's, it's phenomenal. I really, really like it. I think, um, I think it really goes a long way to, to making like at least one unit of these guys really, really cool because you can like give them J boots and stick them in terrain to say you're gonna have to deal with this unit, right? You can go ahead and charge me. I have a dash 18 nerve still, so I'm still tough enough to take hits from most things. And you know, you still hit, you still have all the same hitting power you had, and and, and you know. And then now you have it on the counter charge. So if you hit you and you counter charge with crushing one, you throw a Banshee on there, they're crushing two. That's awesome. And that's vicious. And I think, I think like the one, one unit of these, I think goes into almost every army. Now I think, I think the range threat that they offer um, is, is really big. I think you almost always take J boots on them just to kind of, you know, play that terrain game. I think um, like the other units don't really need them necessarily the J boots, I think, but, but for them it makes sense. And I can see a list where you take up a bunch of these again. I mean, I really do think, this is a, a, a crushing on the on the counter is a really good thing. They're nervous. It's not like the old Dash 22 days, like Tom talked about earlier, where, where like they just survived everything no matter what. Like, but now, but you, they have enough nerve where they can kind of take an average hit and survive. And on the counter punch, they're extremely doing a ton of damage, like a ton of damage on the counter punch um, that that people aren't really ready for when it comes to calibre. And so, like you know, you think about what outranges them, and usually it's not something that hits hard enough to have to worry about that. I, I think I'm a big fan of these guys. I really. I'd like to kind of take two units like I did in the old days. I think that'd be really fun to, to kind of run to get. I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm going to dive in here. I think that your idea of taking if in the Imperial version, you take the J boots and you do it all day, right? In the free dwarf, in the free dwarf version gets Pathfinder. And so at that point it's Pathfinder and another item. Now you're, now you're cooking with gas, right? Like now you're, now you're putting out some hurt. You're doing board control. And when, when you go in, you're not just relying on TC one and a bucket of dice. Right now you can put other things on top of them and it's, it's way more reliable. It's, you know, you're still hitting on fours, but just the, the weight you go to pick up like a a handful of chess X dice and you can barely get all 26 in your hand before you do the roll. It feels really nice. It's pretty great. You know? So I think the free dwarf version is, is money. And if I was going to do a free dwarf army, I would build it around these guys with Pathfinder to project that board space. My uh, master's list that I took this year had the four hordes of ironclad. Even before the tournament was over, I was already saying, "I am no matter what else happens, I'm swapping one of those hordes for Berserker, Brock Rider, Regiment with J Boots." Because I played against John Becker uh, in in Ogres in the Plunder scenario, and there was a big forest on the side of the board, and I realized, "Oh crap, he's going to go up and grab that." before I can even get close to him. I have nothing to go threaten that token before he grabs it and hides it behind a wall of ogres that I'm never getting through. So I think having something that can charge into terrain in melee is just critical no matter what army you you take. And in dwarves and imperial dwarves, the only way to do that really is to take a berserker Brock Rider regiment with J-boots. Um, <clears throat> 
the and I think they pair really well with uh, with the dwarf lord and large beast. Like the two of those overseeing a token stuck in the forest or something, they're gonna one shot whatever's gonna grab that uh, in in most cases. So that's a really good scenario piece. You know, it's not all about stats and um, you know how much damage you can do on average, what type of units. It's it's just you have to think about scenario too, and and these guys really help with scenario play. I think in the free dwarf list, like I am really tempted to run a list with three or four regiments of these guys, all with Pathfinder, and then all of the um, the stone claws. I think they're called in free dwarfs, which by the way also have Pathfinder. So you can have an entire army of Pathfinder units. The large cav stone claws or whatever they're called can see over the Brock Rider, so they can, you know, be a second line and charge with them. Um, it just seems really good to me and really fun. So I hope somebody does that list. I like the differentiation between the free dwarf and the imperial dwarf Brock Riders. The free dwarfs get Pathfinder, the imperial ones get the Vengeance rule. It really helps. I think both of those stick with their armies well. Like having the the counter charge crush one helps free dwarfs more. They need more of that kind of high nerve, longer threat range kind of unit that can also sustain in combat. That was the worst thing, right? They already kind of hit like a weak, like a wet noodle with Thunder One. And then the next round of combat, they're on fours with no crushing or thunder and you're just kind of sitting there saying hi to people. Uh so that helps out a lot. And then the Pathfinder is just, I mean, who doesn't like Cal- Calvary with Pathfinder? It's great. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of different loadouts you can do with these guys. I mean, Brocks are, are just, they offer something really unique to doors, right? That speed hitting power is, is something that you don't really have anywhere else on the list. And, and obviously, trade offs are the defense four, so they're, they're weaker. So you have to be careful with them, right? Like, that's one of the things I always tell door players. Like, you can't just throw them out there and expect them to live, right? It's kind of like the shield breakers. But, you know, the advantage is that you can you can hide them well, you can use terrain. Maybe use some hills to your advantage. I mean, them charging off the hill is fantastic. Again, the more crushing you get on these guys, the, the, like their damage just gets so high. I mean, they hit as hard as most things in the game, right? Like when you talk about like getting them, you know, an extra crushing, whether it's brute strength, you know, whether it's a bane chant, whatever you're fitting on them, right? You get you get crushed three on Brock Riders. That's insane, right? They're, right. They're gonna hit with vicious, and they're gonna they're gonna wound everything they hit with. So they're gonna pick up a lot of things, and that's something that dwarves aren't used to having. People aren't used to having against dwarves, right? They're not used to seeing a unit that you know, deadly. They can sit back and wait. And, and you just need to be super patient. They need to be you know, almost a second line attack. Like, hey, they're coming in and they can do one charge a game. Maybe it's turn five, turn six, they do one charge and they pick up a unit. And that's that's a, that's perfectly fine. Like that that's a very legitimate way to play these guys, I think, especially if there's things you have to avoid. But you know, if you get the chance to play aggressive with them, even better, right? That's just just a really cool unit. I, I I'm I'm excited to kind of put these back on the table. I haven't used them in a while and I'm I'm you know I'm already looking at my old units, touching them up, getting ready to go. And Alex, to your point, I think you get the the discount because you get to you get to pay regiment prices for some of these magic items, but you're still throwing twenty six dice. So you're throwing horde dice for a, you know for the regiment cost. That's not bad, you know, in the big scheme of things. Yeah, regiments like regiments of cab are a great buy for most items, right? I think like I think I think when I see regiment of cab without items, I think usually it's a missed opportunity somewhere. I mean, obviously J boots is the no brainer choice everyone takes, but like. You look at like sharpness, even sharpness is what 30 something points for, for a regiment of, of calf. Like that's awesome, right? Like imagine your Brock Riders hitting in, you know, on threes. It's, it's phenomenal, right? Like it, it, you get all the, all the hits, right? So it's, yeah, I, I agree with you, Mike. I think, I think it's something that people overlook a lot with cavalry. Well, let's keep rolling. We'll get into large infantry. Uh, this is how I met Alex and this is what I, what I known him for, for a long time. 
Lots and lots of rocks. So next up, we have the Earth Elementals, which is large infantry, speed five, four plus melee, defense six plus. They come in as a regiment and a horde, nine, 18 attacks, dash 15, dash 18, nerve, and 130 and 220. For the horde, they have brutal, crushing strength one, pathfinder, and shambling, and the earthbound keyword. Uh, earthbound keyword. We still see these guys a lot, right, on the table? I don't know. In the Northeast, I haven't seen I haven't seen a lot of dwarf players who are taking these. No, you don't see these much. I mean, I think, yeah, they just kind of fell out of favor, right? I mean, the, they don't have the synergies that you have with the other units, I think, so. It's exactly what I've written in my notes. They don't synergize with the rest of the army. And when you take, because you have to take a Stone Priest with them, you're paying it, at least in the, in the, in the old edition, I, and we may transition to talk about the Stone Priest next because I think it makes sense. But like you're paying a pretty hefty tax to take these on the table and get any value, right? Because it, it's it for me it was like okay, well I'll take a regiment or a horde, which then I need I need to take a stone priest, so that's another eighty points. Plus I have to give him some you know give him some stuff, so he's another hundred points. Well, if I'm going to do that, I'll take two of these regiments or two of these hordes. And by the time I'm done, I blew five hundred and fifty points on a couple units that sit around and don't get the bonuses from Golic, and they don't get any of the other you know, the stuff that affects dwarf infantry and you know what I mean? Like they're not, they're off by themselves doing stone things as opposed to being part of the line and, and, and helping out right now for 220 points for a horde, you're laying down four wounds with defense five and you have brutal and their defense six with dash 18. So like, they're good. I'm not going to argue with that. I just don't know if they work well with the list. Right. So once again, I'll sit back and let Tom and Kyle tell me I'm wrong. This is Rob. This is something that you saw with um, John Green's sort of throwback abyssal list with a bunch of flyer like uh, arch fiends and things that was popular probably two and a half years ago. And then he just shows up with that and wins wins the tournament. I think mm-hmm. there are certain lists that are tried and true and good, but Alex has already won Masters with three hordes of Earth Elementals. Like he wants to do something different if he's going to keep playing dwarves, you know. Jeff Shilkin at New York Masters got second running, I think it was two hordes and two uh, two of the graders. Like, it's never bad for a formation of two large infantry hordes and two titans outside of them. That's like, no matter what army you're playing, that's a solid as a rock formation to have in your center. Let's see what you did there. But intended. And titans just got better. Yeah, so maybe that'll bring that back a little bit. But I think it's not necessarily an indictment of Earth Elemental because Earth Elementals are great no matter yeah. what armor they're in. I think it's just like people move on. They want to do different things. And and so I, I like them. I think maybe in Free Dwarves where um, you want to have a faster list um, or, or you want to have your entire um, army pathfinding, you can throw in two hordes of Earth Elementals in your center and then run a bunch of Brocks and Stone Claws and things like that. I think that could be interesting. And Mike mentioned it. Let's talk about the Dwarf Priest because as Matt Carmack mentioned in the EOD episode, all of the spellcasters in the game have kind of gone to the a la carte method, right? You pay a base price and then you buy what options you want to do. And so the base cost for the Stone Priest is, is, is 50 points instead of 90, but you lose a couple things that you used to get built in. So now you have to pay 30 points for Surge 8, and you have to pay 10 points for the Stone Shapers rule. That's the one that lets you Bane Chant and Surge on the same turn. Uh, in addition, you can no longer replace Surge with Radiance of Life for free. Now you have to pay 25 points to buy it. I was taking two of them before, been paying the extra cost for Stone Shaper and all that stuff because the Radiance of Life. 
Yeah. The one thing dwarves hurt for is healing. They don't, there's no inherent access to healing and all this defense six is great. Just like we talked about with the, the, uh, earth elementals, what makes them great in other lists is healing, right? Or fast elements where you can't focus on them. We don't have those fast elements. So having some kind of healing, which radiance of life from the stone priest give is fantastic. And they come with inspiring. So they, with the changes now, they're now a toolbox caster. They have inspiring, which, which, which you want. So you don't have to waste an item on them. They have the radiance of life, which really helps any kind of MSU army or anybody who's taking a lot of mm-hmm. dwarf infantry. Right. You don't have to pay extra points for surge or the stone shaper rule. And then I give one bark skin and I give one alchemist curse and they do a lot of work and they're 11, 13 defense five. They're actually pretty difficult to kill unless you have a really dedicated anti-infantry guy. So people have wasted a lot of lightning bolts and a lot of units like, I'm going to pick that guy up and overrun. They go, no, you're not. As my as the official mantic model is, it's a guy shaking his fist in the air with no shirt on. Yeah, he's defense five because he's yoked, bro. <laughs> totally true. Now it should be noted though that when you take the when you take the radiance of life option on these guys, it's for dwarf only. So it doesn't affect the it does not affect the elementals, right? I think the the sun priest really benefited from the, this like a la carte method. They have such a strong base profile that inspiring, which is awesome. But that's, right. I feel like they kind of got that for free, kind of the way I look at it. But like, I've been running a couple different builds with Stone Priest. I've been playing a lot with that. Kyle, I like, I really like your setup. I think that sounds super cool. Uh, Barskin is, is super unique. That's fun. Agreed. I've been taking um, Shroud of the Saint on him, like just heal three. It's like, you know, when you look at Reigns of Life, you look at healing, you get Iron Resolve Aura from Galox. You know, you get you get a lot of stacking healing. And when you're healing defense six, it's basically to me. You're basically healing two wounds. Like you're you're basically doubling up on, on the amount that you're healing it, and and it's something that people aren't used to seeing from doors, right? Like if you're healing those defense six units, um, that that's just a lot of value you're getting on opponents. Like putting effort, and they're like, oh wait, I thought I was going to kill that unit for a couple of turns. Oh no, you're not. Like you know, and one thing to mention as well is that the dwarf, um, the behemoths are also not keyword dwarfs. That's a that's a big loss that that. Um, would, would like those those guys got the ratings of life that'd be insane i think and like it's okay that they're not but um something to know like those are the, the like you really want to keep this guy around i think the regiments of like iron guard bulwarkers um affects like the dwarf on large beast which is really good it's your defense piece there affects favor which is really good um yeah i, I like that guy with try the same i also taking one with veil shadows like and, and maybe even bane champ it's like hey you know if you, if you really want to um protect yourself from the from the shooting matchup like you take a veil of shadows you know, stick them around. You can, you can, um, you can still buy them like a maybe increased aura size. You know, you can, you can, you can give them Bane Chan if you want to get into combat. You throw that extra Bane Chan around. Bane Chan is a really good option in this list in general. You know, talk about all the, all the dwarves hitting like you really want it, you know, when, when you have access to it. Um, I think it's just a lot of different builds. Again, I really like the idea of this, this stone priest having access to, to like more spells and being way cheaper. Because the problems that, that I used to like rack up 140, 150 points when all said and done, now you're probably 110, 120 with those same builds. That, that's a big deal. Really adds up. Well, while we're talking about Earth Elementals, let's talk about the greater. He's getting unit strength too. He's chonky, right? And so it, when when uh, I take a look at him and I think for a couple extra points, I get. Now with unit strength two, oh my god, right? But I guess I get a square base, so easier to maneuver, easier to surge, lay down crush three. So as opposed to crush one with the with the with a horde of uh, greater earth elementals, right? Just the straight little guys, you know, little in quotes. I I think the greater earth elemental is where is where the money's at, as opposed, you know, I think in my opinion, you take regiments of earth elementals, you take the greater 
to to lay down some damage. They're you know the regiments of standard earths are the the speed bumps to just kind of like get in the way, and your big boy comes up behind and is like, "Who wants some?" Yeah, I, I think they work really well with um with hordes um of earth elementals because the 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 thing that you're saying with dash nineteen defense six on a seventy five by seventy five is literally unless you bring a night horde you are not killing me. I don't care what you are in one charge. That means you can move them up in such a way, like outside on the flank of your um, Earth Elemental Horde, and stick that base size of the greater out, give them whatever charge they want, and while also blocking a multi-charge to your uh, Earth Elemental Horde. And, And that makes it really tough to figure out how to approach that type of line. They're also height six so um you can hide your stone priest for example behind them really really easily i think they they work you know in this one if you're going to take one greater put it in the middle of your two uh, earth elemental hordes for example um if you're going to take two graders stick them sort of on the flanks of your of your center line um you know the problem though with earth elementals in this new clash of kings book is like there's going to be a lot more giants out there. Giants are faster than them. Giants have crush four. Um, so they're going to be wounding on twos. So I think it, it might be a lot of giants have slayer. A lot of giants have slayer. Yeah. So they're going to trade really well into, into the greater elementals. I totally are. But again, they're, they're a great unit. There's nothing wrong with them. The only reason people don't take them indoors is because they're kind of out of fashion, but that doesn't mean they can't win a ton of games free if you play them. Right. Let's just mention the free dwarfs exactly the same that we just talked about, but they also have the the Kragath and Cold Arm upgrade that they had before. So that's all still the same. Right. So the cool thing about the Kragath upgrade, though, is the fact that the dude scouts. Mm-hmm. So so at Crossroads, uh, one of my one of my uh, club mates took uh, a free dwarf list that was all Earth Elementals, a couple hordes, a couple regiments, Kragath, another greater, or you know, two graders, and then two kings on large beast and uh, a single stone priest. And he just took the Kragath and ran him forward and was like, deal with this. And everybody ran forward and guys freaked out and didn't know what to do. He ended up with, I think, the the highest attrition at the entire event with an army that does not, in, on paper, does not put out a boatload of, of um, a lot of, and a lot of hurt. It sticks around, but he killed the most amount of crap, right? And I, there's no doubt that I think the Kragath, because of that scout, puts instant pressure on, right? Or it's an anchor to have the rest of the rest of your army come up and hide behind, you know, to to to, to Tom's point. You know, it's it adds a certain dimension to the list that I think, you know, just taking two or one doesn't doesn't cut. I think there's something to be said about just not ignoring the earth elementals and just taking the greater and putting that in your lines. It's a square base. You know, two regiments of Iron Guard and a greater earth elemental with a surge caster is dangerous, right? Like, what do you engage? And you're able to push forward whichever units you need to to accept the charge, and all of a sudden, it's like, we have Big Papa Pump over here, and if you put a battle driller in there, too, like, they're picking up a lot of stuff. Totally agree. So, I, I, it's something. It's one of those things I, idea I've had for a long time I've never put into practice, but I think there's a build out there that uses just graders, and then the, all the regular dwarf stuff, and, and then you can, you can kind of put things in and out as need to be, uh, geometry-wise, to get things done. So I want to be a bit contrarian here. It's it's my turn, I guess. Um, I think I think the, the units aren't bad. I, I wouldn't call them bad, 
but I call them very mid. I don't think that these units stand out, particularly indoors, for, for two reasons. I think I think when it comes to both the Horde of Earth Elementals and the Greater, I think that you have to compare them to two other units. And my problem with Earth Elementals as a Horde is that they don't have access to dogs, the throwing dogs. We talked about that's one of the keys of the army, right? Having the access, you know, they're, still, they're just as slow and just as tough as dwarves, but they don't have that that dwarf, you know, throwing massive punch. Uh, when it comes to greater elemental, I don't see, I you know, he's he's a lot of points. He's not cheap. He's 230. 230, that's, that's still behemoth territory, right? And we haven't gotten to it yet, but that's, you know, if you're competing against a still behemoth for, for choices, that's a damn hard choice to make. And, and I don't know what matchups I look at that and I go, yeah, give me the greater over the steel behemoth. That, that's a, that's a tough decision to make in my mind. I agree with you. I think the steel behemoth is the, is the better choice for another 20 points, but for a starting for a beginning player, the chariot base gives you trouble. in when you get into the scrum, yeah, it's like, okay, I killed something. Now I'm stuck. Cause I can't turn. I can't face the way I want to face a GIE always turns, always looks, always gets where he wants to be. But that is a, quibbling thing between the two because i think obviously a still behemoth for an extra 20 points with a shooting attack what are we talking about right and just the the offensive potential is much better i agree with you exactly and that and that's kind of where i look at it. it's like they're, they're they're mid units right they're not bad they're, they're mid they're they're good they're like they'll do damage they'll, they'll they're they're good balance of the damage and toughness that's dwarves it is but but if you can have that and shoot like I, i'll take that shoot option right like that that's generally i think the like the safer option, I think, when it comes to the choices. But um, yeah, I guess we'll get, to, we'll get to that unit eventually. Well, let's jump in and just talk about the one swarm unit, which is the massive hunting pack. They're a regular speed six, four plus, Malay defense three plus. Uh, they only come as a regiment, nine attacks, 11, 13, nerve, and 65 points. Crushing strength one against cavalry only. That's kind of weird. I mean, I, I get the fluff, right? Oh, they're like dogs going to take the horses down. I get that. Uh, but it does kind of cut into their effectiveness a little bit but what's interesting is the dogs can take dogs for 15 points right so for uh 80 points you've got an extra you know eight shots basically so yeah beast i I, these are popular right in the builds that are really leaning into the massives and as mike alluded to earlier these are great inexpensive get my stuff that doesn't want to die into combat you know like shield breakers or if you were playing berserkers i mean yeah, you could you could use these as screens because they are the key is they're only height one, which you know the stubby lows, even the stubby uh, legs of the dwarves can see over these guys. They're shorter, right? The thing that I love about these guys is I know they're defense three, but they're eleven thirteen nerve. So there are plenty of times when like they'll get in, someone will charge them, and they're like, "Oh, I didn't pop them." I'm like, "Yeah, you just kind of like you, you wavered them." So I'm going to move off to the side now. I'm going to charge you and I'm going to murder you. Yeah, it's sneaky, right? But I don't know. I I don't leave, and except for recently, I've always started my list with like three regiment or three troops of sharpshooters and three of these, and then you fill in units to to get your unlocks right. But like these are really really good. They're really good um, because they allow you that maneuverability and board control. Because uh, if not, then because everything moves four in the infantry list, then you're just sitting around waiting to get charged. And at least these provide a screen, you know. And do a little bit of damage on the way out. But, Tom, what do you think? I don't really like that. My rule for chaff pieces is they have to fly or they have to have Pathfinder or they have to be at least speed seven so that you can kind of sit behind and then move forward. Um, and these guys have none of those. And so, it to me, if it, 
in my dwarf list, I'm going to rely on on my defense. Um, I'm going to rely on my nerve to to kind of be the chaff, so to speak. I mean, I'll just take the hit basically instead of using another unit to take the hit. Um, they they do. You can layer with them, so like them plus some um, uh, shield breakers could be interesting. Because um, you do need to chaff up shield. I mean, you need to uh, protect shield breakers with with some chaff. You can't just put a defense four super valuable horde out there on the front line. Um, and so this is one way of doing it and ensuring that you can still get line of sight with the with the unit behind the mastiffs. I, I do recognize that they're good. Their nerve is ridiculously high. They're super cheap for no other reason than that. And they're a unit that scores. You know, um, so I don't hate them. I just don't uh see a huge need for them in the dwarf list um, at least the way i play them i do like how you said that they have to be moved seven in order to be able to run across the line but that's i think for infantry that moves five right because these guys are moved six and dwarven infantry moves four so they still do the same thing yeah. <laughs> it's slower like everything else in the damn list right <laughs> that's true okay yeah point taken yeah kyle what do you think i know i know you love these uh, I have never taken them ever in my life. Oh my about? god! Really? You've no. never taken? And, and there's one reason why. I, I may have like done some test games on UB two or something like that, but I do not take them. And the main reason why is they don't have nimble. And That's because they're low true. defense, if you, if the opponent has bows or lightning bolts, they're the first thing of the so You can't have them in front, so you have to put them behind. But especially now with ordered march, there's no way they can get out in front where they need to be chaffing if your opponent has shooting. So they're kind of stuck in that limbo. Yeah, with ordered march, it's like it makes him worse. If yeah. they had nimble, perfect, because then you then you just just like Gur Panthers and, and Basilia and like that, they can be where they need to be and block where they need to block. And now you have to be a, like a savant with placement if you want to be able to put them in the right spot. And I, I'm not that smart. <laughs> Uh, but I do love the idea of throwing dogs having throwing dogs. In my mind, if they're shooting bees out their mouth, is dogs how that with works. Bees in their <laughs> mouth. They all take a big bite of like a beehive you. and then just spit it on you. You know, that's that's my head cannon for that. <laughs> I like the Simpsons reference. Yeah, well, let's get into the war engines that you guys all poo pooed on because uh, I think there's still a place for them. We're going to start with uh, the flame belcher. Big surprise, they didn't change at all. So they're still, you know, a great backline defense. They can do some cool stuff, but they are still 90 points uh, and they don't have an even strength. But Iron Belcher Organ Gun now has the secured position rule. So, you know, as we said, it, it can hold objective markers back on wherever you put it uh, and you could carry, potentially carry a loot token. Uh, but, you know, at unit strength zero, you're not really contributing for control or dominator and that stuff because you're unit strength zero. But, you know, I think it, potentially, I mean, if you were using organ guns before, they only got better. It's unique that the dwarf organ gun gets the secure position role because because all the other ones that get it are like cannons or other like um, like lobbers or yeah like yeah. siege artillery type type. This is the only organ gun. Um, you know the halflings don't get it. League of Rorty doesn't get it. And so a lot of times you just want to put these organ guns, put three of them in a line in terrain to kind of mitigate a little bit from ca- <laughs> counter shooting. Um, and that's often where you want to put like a pillage token, for example. And so it's like, it's really good that they got secured position. That's, uh, I, I'd still take sharpshooters over cannons, um, and the, the bombards, but like organ guns with secured position are really interesting to me. So I think 
That's great. I was taking three. I think, honestly, I think three is too much of any war machine, unless you're running a lot of cheap stuff. I think two is the sweet spot. I used to love running cannons, but with the change to how they work with hindrance, I was using them to shoot over the heads of my guys where they're protected nice and deep and, you know, it was hard to get to them. Uh, but now that they only ignore regular cover instead of intervening, I, I, the things I want to shoot cannons at aren't usually just in cover. They're usually behind something as well. Uh, so I picked organ guns and it's just a, it's a threat range area. Just here, here's a big zone of like, don't come here. Let's get shot. And people usually give them wide berth or put way too much stuff in to deal with them. So it's kind of like a, um, it sucks people off. And now with them being able to, to score some, on some scenarios, people are going to want to deal with them even more. Um, it's, uh, I, I still, you take organ guns. I don't, I don't like cannons anymore. The bombard is whatever. Uh, the flame belchers, I think if you're looking for a backline, um, sweeper unit, they have, they're 14 inch range. They're, uh, they don't have piercing, but they have a, sh- a bunch of shots. Uh, they have shattering, like they can really help clean up stuff. Um, if you, uh, need it to. So it's just a problem of the other unlocks and the points, uh, and more Dwarves need those unlocks to project threat, and they do need to clean stuff up. I, I love flame belchers. Is I, I played them at three of them at Masters, and holy crap, are they amazing! The big thing with them over like organ guns um, is there's only so much line of sight on the board, and if you're taking sharpshooters and organ guns, for example, you're going to be blocking yourself up a lot. But if you can just throw three flame belchers behind the, your line of infantry, then that's that's a pretty good way to get like overlocking um, um, zones of fire. And so, and they also can be deployed close enough to your sharpshooters. So they're sort of like your anti-flyer. It's like, okay, great. Go kill uh, one of my hundred point units of sharpshooters. And then you're going to get triple flame belcher and whatever else I can turn and shoot you uh, with. And I'll take you off the board. So, the shattering combos extremely well with other shooting. Like in Kings of War, you don't shoot things off um, just on accident. You shoot things off when you pile everything into one unit and get it to snakes. And the shattering makes that a lot easier to do. So I think I think they're amazing. They also prevent people in much the same way that the battle driller does. They prevent people from like uh, avoiding you and then charging in at the very last turn to win the scenario because it's like you can do that but then you're going to get uh, if you if you avoid me and charge at the end you're going to get flame belchers you're, you're going to get battle drillers and they're going to pick you up in a turn if you try to do that so that's what made flame belcher so good against jeff radigan's list for example in testing it's like you can kite me around the board all you want but eventually you're gonna have to come in to come get the objectives and when you do that you're gonna get taken off the board Right. But the key to that is the fact that you can move and shoot or you can pivot and shoot as opposed to every other war machine. And if you're not going to have a war machine, in my opinion, I know that like Unistring Zero allows you to do some stuff in some scenarios, in some situations. Fine. But it still doesn't give you the utility of being able to turn and be like, blammo. I, it, you know, it, it's just not good enough. Uh, the other war machines for me are not good enough compared to sharpshooters because of all the reasons that we've mentioned. So, you know, that's my personal opinion. I know, for example, that like I could totally see Kyle taking this is where I think a war, a war smith makes sense, right? You take three um 
you know, organ guns, you stick them in terrain, you put a warsmith behind them now with 24 inch range and you go, I have, I can reroll my ones. So just come over here and fight me. And meanwhile, while whatever you send over to like fight one of these, the other two is still shooting whatever it is you're coming up the line with like that. I can see, but I can't see taking one. I can see taking two or three, but never just one, you know, because of that inflexibility of not being able to turn and shoot with the other war machines. Flame belchers are good. I think wish, I really wish flame belchers had nimble. Like that, that's a that's a stat that is like so valuable on those pieces, right? If you can like turn, move, turn again, and shoot, like that's that's that'd make them to me like a top tier war machine. I, I think they really fight for more slots. Um, yeah, I mean flame, flame belchers to me are are the most viable of these, and I, I kind of for the reasons I think Tom mentioned, I think Tom really detailed it well. Um, organ guns. I used to run three organ guns. I have you know I used to have three organ guns. I was in that era when. You know, in the fact that 15 attacks and they were, yeah, you could, you could put them there. Um, again, it's just like that style of, is just, um, it's a little too all in. And the range is, again, it's the name of the game. Like sharpshooters have that 36 versus, tw- tw- uh, you know, 24. It's like the 24, it's like, yeah, you can zone control, you can do things with them. They're good. But sharpshooters, you know, you're going to get your value. Like you just, you just, they're very consistent in what they can offer. Um, and I think, I think, like, again, cannons, I, I, I want cannons to be good. Like, I think secure position is, like, almost good enough. And it's like, you know, the shattering is great because if you get the hit with them and, and you get to moons and, and you get the shatter, that's a lot of, like, that does put a lot of threat on your opponent. But, again, to me, it's like, you know, it, it's just it's just risky, right? You take that, you take sharpshooters, you get consistent wounds, and you just kind of, you know, you get you know what you get from this unit versus, like, the the sort of unreliability. You know, again, flame belters to me, I think, are cool. Um, you need some sort of answer to flyers in general. I think whether it's them or it's something else, you, you need to deal with a flyer that's going to get behind you. Because if, if that happens, you lose every game, right? Like if a flyer gets behind your dwarf line, you're in trouble, right? You, you just, you need some way to slow them down, whether it's that backline berserker unit, is what I kind of use traditionally, or it's it's flame belters, you know, it, it, I think just have an answer for it. So I think, you know, this is one way to check off that list. To me, otherwise, uh, the war machines are, are a little unreliable. I think it just depends what you want out of them. Yeah, I think that if care if cannons had ignore cover, period, then you could actually have a discussion between like, do I do sharpshooters, do I do cannons? And then, you know, I think that that would actually make a, a bigger difference to your point, Alex. But having it be conditional, right? It's I can we please just get rid of this rule between obscured and just can we just be done with yeah. it? Yeah. The counter to that though is that it does differentiate lobbers versus you know straight projectile shooters, right? To Alex's point. You know, the fact that cannons ignore concealed is why you don't see them, because that's most of the type of counter, most of the type of cover you're going to see. Whereas the lobbers like the Jerome Bombard or Siege Artillery or whatever, they don't take it from having units sticking behind. I actually like the change. I I like the fact that it differentiates the difference. Before it was like, you just take cannons every day, all day. Iron Belcher cannon didn't change stat wise. It's still, you know, 48 inch range, hits on fives, two attacks, blast D3 plus one, ignores concealed, piercing three, reload and shattering. And has the grape shot special ability, which very situational. But the Jerom Barbar, it also has secure position. And now its blast hit is actually 48-inch range, D3 plus 2. So if you did hit twice, it's 2 extra damage, right? Because it's rather than D3. I know it sounds like a, not a lot, but when you're hit, when you're piercing 3. Yeah. And listen, if, if, if they had Vicious, they'd be just as bad as a Abyssal Dwarf War Machine that made everybody cry. Or the bail, you know, the Balefire catapult that has better than vicious, right? The- yeah, yeah. I mean, the problem is that you still have priced units. They're still 
going to hit, you know, I think Bombard doesn't even have, like, you don't even ignore anything in that, that shot you're talking about, right? Like, Yeah, you got a point. You got a point. I, I missed that. Yeah, you're right. It's Ignore Obscure is only on the Lobbit, which is the 60-inch range with Piercing 1 and Reload, uh, whereas Blasted is, takes all the cover penalties. Yeah, so I guess I don't know why you take the Joran Barbard. You don't. I mean, again, I, I, I used to, you know, again, I, I, I feel like Dwarves having poor war machines, it like kind of hurts my heart a little bit. I'm like, what are we, you know, what's, what are we, what are we doing here, right? Like, give me a special one that at least it's like cool. Like, I, I want something with these things. Like, I, I would love to have a ton of these models, right? Like, it's like, who does, what Dwarf player doesn't have a ton of war machine models, but like, right. it's just, they're just, they're just not good. Like, no. unfortunately, they're just not effective. There's two things at play here. The first one is that the, the, the game is a unit strength game. Right. And so anytime you take something that doesn't have unit strength, even unit strength zero, which once again is conditional unit strength in a couple, a couple scenarios, right? If you're taking that unit, that thing better bring fat value compared to something else with unit strength one. And that is not what's happening with war machines. And I'm actually kind of glad because I don't want to take four cannons or four cannon adjacent things and blow my opponent off the table. Like that sucks for everybody, right? It's not, it's a non game, right? I played, I played enough goblins to know that like it's like, it doesn't matter who's on the other side of that, right? But if you were to do something with the Warsmith, once again, going back to him, where he did something to make either to give a cannon a secured position that gave them unit strength one or gave them so they are defense five with additional nerve or did something else besides be like reroll your ones when you hit on sixes most of the time, like who cares? Right. Give the war Smith a reason to exist with the war machines around him. I think that that is that's synergistic and, and flavorful and worth doing. And right. Cause now you're talking right in terms of right now, based on the consensus here, it's a no brainer. You take a flame belcher, you take nothing because sharpshooters exist. Right. But if you were to give me an option where, yeah, I pay another 90 points for a guy with four shots, with 24 inches, but also does this other thing that would be worthwhile. That would then be synergistic enough for me to want to take a war machine. The last wrench I'll throw in this, in this sort of like, you know, I guess we're all shitting on war machines here, but like the, the like one of the most, you know, I'll say talked about armies is called right now. Twilight King, right? Like you, you'll probably see a lot of them, right? Like, let's be honest, right. In the next year, you know, they're very prevalent with what stealthy and lightning bolts, right? Like, so you kind of have to deal with both of those rules coming up. And War Machines, the last thing they want to see is a stealthy unit, right? Like they, they're their stealthy units is completely new to them, right? And that's that's like that talks to Mike's point. If, if a War Smith could say, "Hey, here's a here's a like special targeting, you know, matrix targeting," you get to ignore stealthy, right? That that's unique. That's cool. That makes me consider that um, choice. But you know, in a world where uh, my War Machines basically hit on sixes and that's it, you know, best case scenario because I'm fighting Twilight Kin or, or something else, like get me the hell out of there, right? Like I, I'll go back to my sharp tuners and, and I'll I'll call it a day, right? And, and I think that's the the reality of, of what you know the, the current meta, you know meta or landscape looks like for for war machines. And I should mention, Jerome Barbar is kind of a mixed bag. They got secured position, but for blast it, they they get D three plus two instead of D three plus one. But again, as you pointed out, there it doesn't actually uh, ignore anything any any cover. But it's pot shot's gone, so now it's reload. So you, before you could have moved it and t- and and had one shot on six. But now you can't even do that. So I think I think you know to to answer Adrian's question, I don't think that Jerome Barnbard has a purpose. I think it's it's relegated to the the, the heat pile. Uh, you know, unless they play some kind of crazy scenario where sixty inch range matters, 
I, I mean, there are there are some asymmetric stuff from like Destiny of Kings where you're playing long ways. Okay, <laughs> sure. And, and that and that and that one, sure. I'll take the 16 inch range gun. And you know, Randy Davis does ask which war engines is your preferred method for putting warheads on foreheads. If you're gonna take some, you know, the organ gun can still see some use. It, it really you put it in the zone. It's a threat. And the flame belchers, right? The flame belchers could still be defensive for flyers. Things that get behind your line, cannons, and the Jerome Barbards. You know, they're just. I always call war engines the, the gambler unit, right? Like it's like, man, when they hit, it's devastating. But a lot of times they don't. Right. Do you feel lucky? I guess is the question. If you do, then then go ahead and take them. You just got to be a good player and you know, real hot. That's all you got to do. <laughs> just, exactly. just hit with the five plus all the time, and you're a good player. That's right. And it wouldn't solution. be an issue, right? But, <laughs> but this goes back to like. So I would rather have sharpshooters that shoot five times. I would rather have an organ gun that shoots 12 times than have a cannon that shoots twice with blast whatever, right? Because because of that swing. I want to know that every turn I'm causing a nerve check as opposed to every once every three turns, I'm putting five wounds on you. You know what I mean? I want to I want to put a constant pressure on from the beginning of the game. Take one, take two, take two, take one, pick them up. You got a couple of oranges. You can pick up a giant in one turn if you roll hot. No, yeah, that, and that's the other way to fix war machines is make them more consistent. But that is probably not a good idea. And if the dwarfs want to do that, I mean, that's not a good idea from like a game perspective. And if you want to do that in dwarves, then you can you can just take sharpshooters. The problem, like you guys have said, is the point of war machines is the threat, the chance that they hit. And right when you're facing armies like night stalkers or which have army wide stealth, that threat isn't there. I mean, unless you get really unlucky, right. Didn't roll a bunch of sixes. So it's like, they don't perform their role well enough to justify taking them. So, so, so here's an idea, right? And let's flip it on its head. What if instead of two shots hitting on fives with blast D three plus two, it's one shot hitting on a two with pierce five. And it just does the work every time and always puts one on, right? Or puts two on, you know what I mean? With Blast D2, something like that. Would that be worth it for 90 points? As opposed to a guy with hacks or whatever, you know what I mean? As a consensus, it seems like there's no reason to take a can or a Jaren Bombard. We all agree? I think, yeah, I think they're overpriced. That's the way I look at it. These are just overpriced, right? Like, that's really the issue. Like, you're paying for defense five. You're, like, this doesn't make sense, in my opinion. Look at this. Like, this just is just overpriced war machine. The damage to, like, which, again, you're playing dwarves. It's kind of sad that you say that. But, like, what war machines are affected? The kings of men. You look at goblins. Like, they get cheap war machines. You just throw a bunch of them out there. And, and that'd be interesting, right? Like, if dwarves could throw, if I could throw three cannons on the board and not have it cost, you know, Right, you know, three hundred and fifty points. Like that'd be that'd be cool. It'd be, it'd be cool to throw some like cheaper cannons that kind of do a couple wounds, and and you know that's that's like a flavorful thing, and that you can take that. Right. But again, the balance is not there with these. But can you imagine taking the Goblin equivalent equivalent based on the prices we're paying to take six war machines and three whatevers? I mean, that's like that's a thousand points, right? Of just you know what I mean, as opposed to whatever goblins are paying. Oh, yeah, we're, we're paying for defense five on a unit that gets triple the tax on. Like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense at all, right? I will say that the, the defense and nerve does help a lot against, like, the lightning bolt and incidental shooting war machines get. The amount of things they've, sur- they've survived from that, it, it helps a lot. But if a unit comes in, it doesn't matter, right? Uh, but the, 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 the single hero with three attacks will spend the rest of the game trying to kill them. The lightning bolt won't do much if they're in cover. Uh, but 
yeah, it's po- it's points that aren't always spent well. Well, let's close out War Engines by just answering Jason's question. He just wants to know, hey, are, are we going to see these things on the table other than flame belchers? And I think we answered it. No, I mean, you might see some flame belchers. Uh, and unless you got a gambler out there, you're probably not going to see, uh, you're certainly not going to see the cannons and the drawn barboard because they are overcosted. You could make an argument for Oregon guns at 90 points, but it's not the most efficient use of your points. No, luckily, Goblin War Machines don't get secure positions. So that's a. That is true. Maybe that's one of the things they could have done. But man, the flame belcher having it's only speed four, you know, and it can't march. Maybe they should have gave that one, you know, a uh, secure position uh, because it it is defense five, right? So it's something mm-hmm. that if it did have a loot token, at least it's a little bit more resilient. Alex, you want to take us through Steel Behemoth? Absolutely. I'd love to. So, yeah. So, Steel Behemoth, the monster on a chariot base, speed five, melee four, range four, defense six, unit strength one, attacks D6 plus 12, which is kind of a fun profile. Nerves 17, 19, 245 points. Got crushing three, headstrong, strider, wild charge D3, which is a really big deal actually in this list. Um, and then base, it comes with the flame belcher attack, which is 10 attacks, range 12, pierce one, steady aim. And then you obviously you have the Galax Fury upgrade, which is unique. You have very inspiring Aura Iron Resolve for Dwarf only, and exchange the unit's uh, Flame Belcher gun for a Galax gun, which is 18 inch range, 12 attacks, Pierce two for 50 points. Um, yeah, I mean these guys are incredible, right? I mean I talked about it earlier comparing them to the Great Earth Elemental. I mean these guys are just as tough as the Great Earth Elemental, right? You got the Nerve of 1719, but you have Headstrong, so that that's awesome. Um, but you have a shooting attack, which is actually really potent, even even at the box. Um, the Golox upgrade is is good for a lot of reasons, and I think like <laughs> we can spend a while just talking about that alone. But um, to me, the, these guys they just have a ton of damage that they put out, um, and and more importantly, they have the threat range. Right, the, that thirteen inch potential threat range is so important in this list. Um, like one of the things that again you see ogres are extremely popular at least speaking for for the kind of I think in general they're they're very popular but um, definitely in my meta there you see them a lot right and having the ability to to threaten past twelve is a very big deal because it puts people in a really uncomfortable position where they go oh do I walk into range of a steel behemoth to get charged you know you know to to effectively do do what I want to do which is you know threaten you with ogres. Um, and that's something you really need because your army, the rest of your army is slow. The rest of your army is speed four. So you want something that can threaten past 12 to really put those armies, you know, in that in that threat range. And then while also simultaneously doing a short range attack, I think is just a really important sort of role that this thing fulfills. And again, it's it's kind of like, as I talked earlier, like you have that short range attack with the dogs that you can throw. Um, so Behemoth does a similar, very similar profile, but it also does a ton of damage as well. I think, I think they're really important. I mean, I think the Golox upgrade is, 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 you see it in almost every list. I think you see it, um, both the, just a combination of inspiring and iron resolve. Again, talk about healing those wounds on defense six is, is basically healing double. So you're, you're getting a lot of value on that. And then the gun profiles is, is super threatening as well. I mean, it basically puts an organ gun on a steel behemoth. Um, and you can even, and it's range four up, so you can even move, you can take the modifier and you're still hitting on fives, right? Or, or you're shooting in the stealthy and you're still hitting on five base if you didn't move. So uh, to me, I mean, the, you're always going to see pretty much a Goss and almost every army. Um, I, I, I've taken armies without it just to, I don't know, I thought it was being cool, I guess there's some time, but, um, I think you pretty much always take the upgrade and you probably take one or I think most of my list have been taking two of these. And I think, I think two is, is a pretty good spot. I've seen this with three of these. Um, but I think one, two, you'll see in almost every army. I'm, I'm curious to hear if anyone disagrees with, with that thought. 
you are getting no disagreement from me. That Golix Fury is the bomb. It's the Iron Resolve aura and the shooting attack, right? I mean, I, the games that I've misplayed him, I put him into combat too soon. But if he's uh, in the middle of my line or behind my line and he's putting pressure on with the shooting and then putting out that Iron Resolve aura or all around him, that is that is why you take him. And I know he's like the points of a dragon and he doesn't fly. You know, he doesn't do much unless someone walks into the into, as Rob would say, the kill box. But, dude, that is the key to having that army work, that that infantry line with Golic behind it, that that makes that that army work. Right. It gives it at a resilience. It has a threat on the combo counter charge. It's it's good. Uh, I'll add a side note. Uh, All dwarves should have iron resolve just straight up. Why do a bunch of mamby pamby? You know, paladins over in Basilia who are worshiping new gods, unlike cool dwarves who worship the classic gods. All right, why do why do they get iron resolve and dwarves don't? Dwarves are the top, right? Right, preach it. I'm gonna I'll be saying this the day I die. <laughs> dwarves deserve iron iron resolve. So the Gallic giving it to him is great. Couple that with the radiance of life, healing two wounds a turn on a lot of our units. People don't like that, and I like it when stupid elf players don't like that stuff. You know, I've never been tempted to take. Um, to me, it's just, it's so many points, and I play dwarves more like goblins, and so to me, that's three. You know, that's three battle drillers and three. You know, uh, in a steel juggernaut or something, or it's like three uh, flame belchers that you get for the same same price as as one model that is only unit strength one. And unless I'm reading this incorrectly, it's not going up to unit strength two. Um, I can see in a in a melee more melee focused dwarf list that would definitely be good um i play the iron beast and halflings a lot and defense six is defense six like there's no no avoiding that it's extremely difficult to kill and i do think like in push which is changing from you can't just put everything on one on one uh, unit anymore all the tokens on one unit i think taking multiple titans makes a whole lot of sense and multiple defense six titans each with the push token makes even more sense so i think you're going to see a lot of lists going that way it wouldn't surprise me to see dwarf list go to two steel behemoths um it's just for my the way i have been playing them it's just it would be too many points i have to give up too much i don't think the regular steel behemoth gives you enough value for 250, but I think Gallic gives you plenty at 290 or 295. Personally, it's 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 hard for me to justify taking Gallic and another Steel Behemoth in a list. I'm giving up way too many other units and ancillary pieces, you know, uh, to take two of these. Right. So if you're going to take one, you add the 50 points, you give it Gallic, and you go to town. Well, you need to punch somewhere in your list, right? Like, I mean, I think I think the Steel Behemoth offers a big offensive profile in, in combat, right? Because I mean. You look at the, the D6 plus 12 attacks, which is a, is a little swingy, right? But if you if you take kind of the averages of that, right, you're getting about six 15, wins. Yeah, I mean, yeah, six, six wins. Yeah, yeah, all I mean, pretty much. Yeah, it's like it, which is which is good. That's that six wounds to like defense five is that's that's a lot of damage um, from from this, and and yeah, it's expensive, and you do pay for it. Um, but I think I think it's it's a very unique profile that that like complements a dwarf infantry line really well. Like it helps you shoot. In close range, you need it, and it also helps you kind of attack when, when you need it as well. And, and you know, if these guys catch flanks, they're picking up whatever they're attacking, right? Like it's it's they're they're doing you know a ton of damage, and and I think yeah, I think I think it's just like a unique profile. I mean, even if you look at even like Kings and Large Beasts, which obviously are a lot cheaper, but um, 
like their damage output is, is extremely low. Like I think in, in general, and these guys can grind well, they can, they can fight well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I took one for a long time and I thought like, I didn't need a second one. The second I had a second to my list, it got, it got, the list got way stronger. And I think it's just, just the threat ranges you need, um, and balance it. And I think I do agree with Tom a little bit. Like th- there is a goblin element to doors where like you have to have a certain number of drops and presence to like really to, to fight. And I think that's something really important that you don't like, you shouldn't sacrifice that. So I think like if you're getting like, I think, I think pretty much every dwarf list, I think I've seen that that's been strong has had at least 15 drops. I think that's kind of a, a balance you want to stay. Uh, you know, at or above. So if you're taking like, hey, do I take three behemoths and go down to twelve drops? I don't think that's the answer. I, I don't think that. But but if you can kind of keep that that number count up and, and get these guys, you know, where they're in threatening positions and they're doing their thing, like I think that's extremely important. So I, I, I don't know. I just really like the behemoths. Um, I think they're, they're just a super unique piece and, and and they're just super strong overall. They just you know they give your opponents so many headaches in general. All right, battle driller time, guys. So battle driller. I'm doing this all for memory because this is like I think my favorite unit in the list. <laughs> 75 points, D6 plus six attacks. Is a monster, so it counts for Slayer. Remember that. Uh, but it's on a cavalry base and it's an individual. Uh, so it's confusing people all the time and what it does and what category does it fit in. Uh, crush one, brutal two, the most important part. It is defense five with 10 12 nerve. Uh, so a lot, a surprising amount of things have bounced off my battle driller. But the battle drillers are there because oftentimes you're not taking up your monster slot with the hordes. And this guy is a monster and takes the monster slot. And he has a bunch of combat value to any combat. Being an individual with Brutal 2 and a good amount of attacks of crushing, it's probably going to add two, two, two damage to a combat. And then Brutal 2 on top of that, any, anybody will be happy with plus four to any combat you can put. And I, I have two on my list. And I need someone to sell these to me because I must be doing this wrong, right? I know Brutal 2 is good. I know they're a monster. They're 75 points. They move four. Because they move four, I usually put them within my line. Like I'll have an infantry unit and then the the appropriate, you know, battle driller hanging out next to them. And so it's like, okay, I get charged. Cool. I'm coming in on the counter charge. Here comes my infantry unit that's going to do two wounds because everything does two wounds. And here comes the battle driller. Boom. Take a punch in the face. Take it. And then eventually, and then essentially what happens every single time is I fail to break the unit that charged me on the counter charge. They charge back. They charge the battle driller, which they get to kill because it's, you know, they get to hit, slide to the side, murder that guy. And it's still an individual, so then it gets to overrun into my flank. That sucks. So am I doing it wrong? Well, let me let me give you the secret sauce in the battle driller. You don't charge them the first time you get charged. What? That's the key. Who lives yeah. through two charges? Everything of mine dies. Iron guard, hordes of bulwarks. What? Alex is laughing. Am I doing breakers it? With- am I- <laughs> what? What? I mean. I, I like they're. I mean, they're. I think in theory they're kind of flyer defense. I mean, I, honestly, I, I've That's tried battle drillers. Yeah. Um, I know Tom, you take a bunch of rice. Right? I mean, maybe I shouldn't be talking right now, but um, yep. yeah. I mean, it'll turn it to you. Yeah, so let's talk to Tom. Teach me, please. Yeah, no, I I, I do agree with Kyle. Is if if you are fi- uh, facing a unit that you know you're not going to have any chance of killing on the counter charge. You might not want to charge back in and and with or charge in with a battle driller on the counter charge, but if it's like regiment level nerve or below, then yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing, the key that you guys have already stated is the brutal two. I mean, like math wise, they'll you'll do two wounds to defense five, 
Um, and then you add essentially two more wounds with the brutal two. So it's like you have 18 attacks on a 75 point unit. That's pretty insane. No, it's great. Um, right. Yeah. And the other thing is like, I, I love combat individuals in every army that I play. And these guys are like, you know, I know you can have the flying King or like the berserker Lord or whatever, but these guys to me are, are just really slow combat individuals. And when you have all these unwieldy hordes, at least the way I play, it's like, even flame belchers that you have to clean up things, they don't have nimble, like Alex was mentioning. So it's sometimes hard to get them in the right place. These guys just they'll fan out and clear up your line um, and do it do it really really well. Um, they are extremely slow. Really sucks. Um, it's be, I mean, it's just it's sad sometimes. Even with three sixty charge range of or three sixty charge with an individual how often you can't get to something move five would be a difference. You know what I mean? Yeah, it really would. For me, these were always my first three drops. It's just like one, two, three. Okay. Not giving anything away. Um, your, your turn. <laughs> uh, so that's how I gained a little bit of de- deployment advantage with them, but they're brutal one. I wouldn't take them. Brutal two makes them really good and adds a little bit of extra punch to units that, that need it. Um, I think when you combine them with high offense units, like a horde of shield breakers or a horde of bulwarks an item and bane chant, you can charge them in on the first charge. You get charged back. And then here comes 25 attacks with crush three plus brutal two plus two wounds. What, what survives against that? Nothing. Right. Like, and then now you have this horde that goes somewhere and you have this shopping cart of death doing wheelies in the back that can just go anywhere, killing, killing whatever it needs to kill or even just holding units up. Right. It's going to do the wound, so it'll count as mighty for whatever it charges, and if it's far enough ahead, it's holding stuff down. And those first couple turns where you're not using them in the combat, they're still their flyer defense, their jump over defense, their surge defense. People learn to fear the battle driller. <laughs> I mentioned that I played my dwarf list that masters specifically in response to Jeff Radigan's eight, eight uh, Scorching Horde list, and he said after playing the list a couple times, the battle drillers were the scariest thing in it for him, because he couldn't just kite around me and go in because a single battle driller could take out the horde of uh, of his scorch wings um, in a single charge. So the threat was definitely there. So I think it's a, it's a fire defense. Right? I mean, obviously they're they're effective to a degree. Right? Like you guys have taken them, and, and I think they were. So I think there's there's a way there to, to deal with flyers. I, mean, I also played I played right again first round of the Masters and and I, and I lost. So I, like I, I agree that like I was definitely missing tools to like deal with flyers in the degree. So, so you definitely need something there. I think, um, I, I lost close games to be fair. Right. It was, it was very close, but, um, I think if I had order March, I probably would have got to the middle of the score. It was, it was a raise, which is dwarves kind of nightmare, but, but like, yeah, I think, I think like they do, they do that. It's just like, you have to be a genius. I feel like to get these in position to be useful. Right. Like, it's like, you have to, you have to really say, okay, like I'm going to put a battle driller here and I have an eight inch bubble around that like it protects these units, right? And you kind of have to assume that those units are going to get charged or like, oh, my enemy might fly to this land space. If he does that, he's going to get a battle driller to the face, right? Like you have to, I think you have to really plan ahead with that. So I think if you're going to take battle drillers, like make sure you're doing that and make sure you're not leaving them out to dry where they get charged in weird spots, right? Or like stuff like that. You have to, all the individual, um, things that happen individuals i still like they're not unit strength like that's that's my big thing it's like it's like if i get, i'd rather take a role that does it that scores like that's that's how i look at it and that's that's john how i look at most armies these days like i just i just rather have 
you know, everything, everything score. Like if I hit to really take an army that or a, a drop that doesn't score, it has to do something incredible to me. Yeah. These aren't there, but, um, but you know, clearly they do something. So I'm not going to, not going to say they're, they're obviously useless. Well, let's keep rolling. We'll get, we, we did already cover the Titans, the, the greater earth elemental. So we won't cover that again. Now we're into heroes and we did already talk about the dwarf army standard bearer who has the new very inspiring rule and has for the King, which allows him uh, friendly units within six inches to re-roll failed headstrong rolls. So that's pretty powerful. Let's get to the next hero on the list. And that's the dwarf Lord. Uh, he's mostly the same. So he's speed four, melee three, defense six plus, you know, um, attack five attacks, 13, 15 nerve and 105 points. I two, crushing strength, one headstrong individual, inspiring and mighty. Uh, the one change here is that horn of the heroes has changed. Uh, it used to be uh, a friendly unit within six inches gets to reroll headstrong rolls, reroll headstrong rolls, which is now built into the, the army standard bearer. Uh, so now, Horn of Heroes, you gain the secured position special rule for 10 points. This upgrade cannot be taken in addition to a magical artifact. So what do you guys think about that? You cannot because he's unit strength zero. He's got secured position. He can carry a, a loot token. Yeah, as long as no one's next to him, right? Here they get objective markers. So an objective marker, he has no unit strength, but he can, can he can he can capture an objective marker. Hmm. As soon as unit strength shows up, it's it's over. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he can carry a loot token, but the, you have that same sense that that to me ruins like most of these special abilities. You can't have is, a magic item. You can't take a magic item. So like, if I could give him flying and he could like you know I could fly him and like tag a raise token or like do some cool shit like that, that sounds awesome, right? Like that that'd be great. That all of a sudden gives you a giant dimension to play in in raise, which I think is one of the worst scenarios for dwarves, hands Absolutely. down. Right? Absolutely, yeah. It's our, it's our nightmare, yeah. Yeah, because I guess he actually could destroy the token, right, in raise because he's got secured position. If, yeah. If there was nothing there, then yeah, like so you could you could like you know your opponent decides not to guard one, right? But he only moves four, so. <laughs> but he but that problem is he moves four, so so without items, I, I still I don't like it. I mean, I don't know. I I I I wish I could take items. Are you the voice of uh, voice of reason here or no? Well, he's totally the voice of reason because he's going to agree with us. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I just I, the secure position is really interesting because it's so hard to kill defense six, and it's, it's extremely hard to kill that on a twenty by twenty infantry base. Uh, so, give him a push can, token. Yeah, give him a push token. Give him a loot token. You're gonna you're gonna score that. You're gonna you're gonna get that. But um, I don't know. There's too many other things that I want to take. I, I, I've not been able to make these guys really work in any army. And I don't think this, uh, this really does anything to change that. I just think there's a big conspiracy against dwarves and there's always has been. It's mainly led by elves, but there's other people and, you know, <laughs> goblins and stuff like that. Right? <laughs> but- like uh, it's, they had to limit, you take this item, you can't take a, a magic item, right? So you can't have the cool dwarf Lord flying around doing objectives. Bulwarks used to have big shield. It took that away. Right. Everyone's afraid of dwarves being a good army. What's the, what's the fear? We're just we're just mild men who like mining and gold, and we may take your land in the name of Gallic, but it's for your own good. Give us big shield and bulwarks. Give us iron resolve. Let our dwarf lord take magic items. It'll be okay. All right, it'll be fine. Trust me. The free dwarf version though gets an iron resolve aura. And can combine that with a magic item. Right. That is infinitely better. Like that is because because the free dwarves don't have access to Gallic, but you can have a 20 by 20 running around, giving iron resolve to the people around him and a magic item to boot, which means he can give him the horn 
that gives or whatever it is that gives them nine inches to that aura or whatever. Like that's there's other stuff that you can do with that free dwarf lord that is actually worth looking at. To Alex's point, he doesn't give unit strength. He actually will add a boatload of value if with the right with the right um, loadout. Right, that dude is worth looking at. The, the Imperial Dwarf one, just just leave me home. He stinks. All right, next up we got the Berserker Lord. You know he's exactly the same, but you know speed five, melee three plus, defense four, seven attacks, dash sixteen, one hundred and ten points, crushing strength one, individual inspiring, vicious melee, wild charge d three, and then obviously the auto you always put him on a Brock. You lose wild charge d three, but you increase your speed to eight, and you know you become cavalry height three for thirty points. We do see these guys. Right, they're, 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 I've in the past they've run around and tie stuff up. I mean, how are you guys using these guys, or are you not using these guys anymore? Are you you're too cool for these guys? Again, it does fall on the same problem. Right? I can't keep bringing up this issue. Like you have to deal with flyers in some way, and it, it solves it. Now, I used to take one all the time. I have I had one, and it was awesome. I haven't taken one in a long, long time, and, and I don't know if I'm still taking them here. I think. Um, Again, if it's not, if it doesn't score, if it's not, doesn't have unit strength, it better do something damn special. And and I don't know if seven attacks on threes is enough anymore. I don't know. Just to me, it's like it's just not enough. I think I think it's like yeah, it's gonna do like you know five wounds, four or five wounds to like your random monster, mm-hmm. but like is that enough? You know, can can I can I just take a, 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 a troop of Brock Riders and like keep them back and they do kind of the same thing? Like I don't know, as long as you position pro- like properly and they still score, like. That's the way I look at these units these days. Like to me, this guy isn't good enough. And I think um, I think individual is is good for for like chasing flyers around all game. But I think you can also get around that with, with positioning and, and like playing you know the scenario and keeping kind of a backline unit. And I, I I've, I've kind of reverted more to that style. So it was maybe it's just a style choice. But like I've gone to that style over over these kind of characters. Fiddled around with one of these with the wings. Right, I know the idea is to take the dwarf lord with the wings, but take a Brock lord with the wings because he keeps the the wild charge d three. So now he's now he's charging twenty one to twenty three inches, and uh, you know who cares about defense three? Nobody, right? So get him out there and get him causing problems in the backfield early. You know, I I think that actually is worthwhile now. To your point, Alex, I think that yeah, uh, unit strength or be amazing. The Brock Lord on a or on the Brock Lord on a Brock, right? Or the Berserker Lord on a Brock allows you to have 360 degree charge range that's 16 inches. As opposed to a battle drawer that goes, Well, you're nine inches away. Guess I'll stare at you and wait for you to kill all my guys, right? Like he actually can protect your backfield and ground a flyer reliably. But boy, you're paying a boatload of points to get that. And I don't think it's worth giving the blade of the beast slayer if all you want is a single wound. Right, because seven attacks hitting on threes, crush one. You should put a wound on anything that flies into your backfield, in my opinion, until it doesn't work, and then you're sad, feeling silly. Well, we've mentioned the warsmith a few times, the much maligned warsmith, uh, and you know the big the big change is that rather than a pistol, he now has a twenty four inch range rifle with piercing one, but he's still speed four. He's still a melee five plus range four plus defense five, four attacks eleven thirteen nerve and ninety five points uh he does have aura elite range warsmith and iron watch only but as we said we have a question i think that was an error but right now the the shooting the guns of the crossbows don't have the iron watch keyword so i guess you could still use it on the the cannon and the jerome barbard and those kind of things you would imagine that the iron watch has the iron watch keyword it's in the name right but like i'll start and i want you guys to try to like convince me out of this warsmiths are garbage convince me otherwise why wouldn't you just take another cannon 
or another whatever for 90 something points like just take it take sharpshooters and call it a day the only reason i would ever take him is if you had like three cannons and you just wanted to give him elite i, I you know and that's still not a good reason but it's not a good reason if you have three shooting units that can all benefit from it he he makes value and he's inspiring and he shoots and he's close combat. It's, I'm not saying it's great. I'm not saying you probably shouldn't take him, but at that point he is doing something <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to, I'm going to run it into the ground. Like I do every other dumb dwarf idea I have Dude, and I'll force it to work. You even and if both. it's not good. <laughs> right. We're, we're stubborn at heart. Right. But he's not, yeah. listen, he may not be hot garbage, but he's still trash, you know? So Alex, do you disagree? I don't. Tom is already no, looking. Man. Tom's looking at his phone. I'm looking at like the, the camera. He's like, I'm so out. Like, whatever. Let me know when you're done. <laughs> this guy is just like, yeah, he, he needs something special. Like, especially in the like Twilight King era, where like I feel like every unit has a unique special rule that like does something really awesome. Like, give this guy the like anti magic bullets or whatever. Where like he shoots a mage and they're like they're hexed now or something. So something, give him something, right? Like. Give me something that like makes this guy like not just another like shitty four attacks that like doesn't hit and, and doesn't score right like is you know again it's like what is he doing I I, I don't know I, I mean there's a genius out there he's probably using this guy and he's doing amazing I, I don't know I don't know who it is but I'm sure they exist so I've been playing a lot of the engineer and halflings which is similar to this guy and it's like it's not it's not amazing but it inspires it shoots twenty four inches. Um, and and it always adds that extra wound. Now the the engineer has a radiance of life, um, but this guy has elite, which at least in the version of dwarves that I've been running, where I have my three flame belchers uh, behind my line, and then my four sharpshooters <laughs> behind that, I can get seven units elite with one unit while still inspiring them. Uh, that's pretty enticing to me. So, you know, and he's he's a cheap inspiring source too that can still add to shooting if that's what you're going for. So, I've I've built one into my list with the Sacred Horn. I don't know if it's worth it necessarily, but I I've been getting value out of it. So, I mean, I look at the new army standards which are like we kind of, you know, we glossed over but like Headstrong reroll is is absolutely vital in my opinion. Like there's 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 games I've lost because I failed a headstrong roll, especially if you're running behemoths. And again, some things some things are like you know built on synergy. So if you're if you're not running behemoths, maybe you don't care about that headstrong reroll as much because that's that's a big swing when you're when your behemoth fails a headstrong. Like that that's something you absolutely want to reroll when you have it. So if you have army standards running around with you having very inspiring, you know, covering all these bubbles, maybe, maybe you don't need warsmith. But if you don't have that, you don't have behemoths, maybe inspire the army standards aren't as good. You look at the warsmith, maybe, maybe there's a role there, right? Like, I don't know. Does, does this shots do anything now? Like, I mean, what, I guess the horn is obviously a good item to extend the elite range aura. Like, is there any other items that makes this guy make sense? Like, I'm, I'm trying to see if I miss something here. Like, I don't know. Do you give him like rampage for extra D3 shots or something? I don't know. Like, is that, is that good? I wouldn't. I would just give him the aura. Uh, if I'm going to give him anything, but tw- you know, it's 24 inches piercing shooting. It's basically elite. You know, it's like lightning bolt five essentially because it's you give yourself elite, so you're going to get you have five attacks basically. So lightning bolt five on an inspiring guy who also gives your other shooting units elite. But I think that's okay. To close it out, Aramisberger asks, you know, what would you do to make the warsmith worthwhile? I think Alex hit it on the head. You've got to give him something. There's an effect of that sh- that one little wound, one or two wounds that you put on, yeah, it makes them frozen. It, do- it does something. 
that will augment some of the other shooting that you, or the other combat you have in the list. And Adrian does ask, you know, are they ever worth taking other than for the laughs? I think at this point, you really have to build towards it, right? Like, oh, like, you know, I mean, Tom, you hit on the flame belchers with 15 attacks. Yeah, that's that's effective use of elite. Uh, but when you have cannons with two shots, not as effective. Uh, but if you have a bunch of, you know, if you have a bunch of Iron Watch and you have some Flame Belchers, I think there's definitely some use there. And he does inspire. So let's keep moving. We got the Flame Priest. Let me just ask you guys, does anybody, have you guys ever used the Flame Priest? I'm just curious. He's in my list right now. That dude is money. <laughs> well, then, Mike, <laughs> you should take us through the Flame Priest. And I love how I said it and Alex laughed at me, which is fine. It's totally no, I, fine, I, right? I love that because I knew you had one. And I was like, the second Rob said it, I was like, I know Rossi takes one. So go ahead take it away. So I stole this idea from Greg Person because he is the, the onus of all my good ideas. But you take a flame priest, you bump him up to the fireball 10, and then you give him diadem of dragon kind. And he clocks in at about 105 points. And he is 16 fireball and in a individual package. So he does the same thing as a, um, as a uh, flame belcher, but he doesn't have any of the downside. So he doesn't, no one triples attacks against him. He's super easy to hide. Every time I've taken him, he lives the entire game. He's just putting out fireball 16 after turn three, and he's just shattering stuff. He's murdering things. You position him behind other units in between like impassable terrain in the unit. So no one can get at him. And he's just, he's really good for the additional couple points that you're paying for him, as opposed to like a flame belcher. I think he's worth it. I don't think it's worth taking Bane Chant on him. Bane Chant 2. I know that math says 75% of the time Bane Chant 2 works. 40% of the time, whenever I need it to work, that does not work. It is not worth taking. So I actually have gotten away from relying on Bane Chant in my list. And instead, I'm just like, I'll shoot you. And I'll just let you on fire and call it a day. I'm not saying he's great because he doesn't inspire. So all I'm doing there is just doing a substitution between like he, for me, he's a war machine with a very small base. You know, is anyone else taking this guy? Well, I think it's interesting that he's like he didn't he didn't get the discount everyone talked about right like what happened to being a, a corporate he he kind of got left out of that you know he, he didn't make the meeting so he's got left out like I don't know what happened to this guy but like, he's a flame priest he's got one he's got one spell right, <laughs> right, he's, right. without no, fireball he's not a bane priest he's a flame priest right exactly like that and that's fine but like it's just it's just funny that like we're like oh yeah every caster's getting reset now except for except for the flavor i mean is there any other caster game that also didn't get reset is he the is he the lone one that'd be kind of cool if he was uh yeah I don't, i'm not sure i'm not sure i think i think there's like value to what mike said like uh, you know i, I think i'd take that over a, a flame cannon like a little little fireball and angry ball yeah i mean the, the flip side is there's other units in the game that do that like the the salamander priest right and like he gives you other stuff like inspiring and, uh, you know, so it's pretty, it's, I mean, I see what Mike is saying, but man, fireball is so such like hitting on force, no piercing. You're like, yeah. oh. now it's, you do get the shattering, you, the you know, shattering you can smack it in there with something which helps, but you're looking at what a hundred points. Listen, like I said, I'm not saying it's good. I have a really cool model. I painted him up. He looks nice. That's a good reason, right? Like the, the Vanguard flame priest model is amazing. It's an amazing sculpt. Why not get him to the table? Well, let's keep rolling. Steel Juggernaut's up next. He's large infantry. Nothing's changed. Speed 5, melee 3+, plus, range 5+, plus, defense 6. Uh, he's still unit strength 1, 5 attacks, dash 13, 150 points. Crushing strength 2, inspiring nimble. Hand cannon, 24 inches. Steady aim with piercing 2, and he's got the dwarf and the warsmith. So he would benefit from 
the Warsmiths Elite. So talk to me about the Steel Juggernaut. Yeah, well, I mean, I took three to Masters plus favor. So um, I, I don't, this is probably why it's good that I'm on the cast tonight. And uh, even though I've only been playing Doors for, for a little less than a year, it's like from an outside perspective looking in, I'm like, why would you not love this guy? He's defense six he's uh crushed two he's pierced two he shoots 24 inches yeah it's on fives but that's okay um he's nimble like for every reason an ogre character is good this guy is good so i i, I don't know why you guys don't like him it's it's a little expensive i get that um but for all the problems that that dwarves have with scenarios this these guys seem to solve a lot of those um so i I don't know. I I got huge value out of them uh, when I play them, but but maybe I just play weird. Dash thirteen nerf. That's the only thing I don't like about him for one hundred fifty points. I dash thirteen nerf. Faber Ironheart. Now listen, you're gonna compare to a special character who is supposed to be great, but for another twenty five points, I get plus two attacks. I get wild charge D three, and more importantly, I get plus two nerf. That dash 15 as opposed to dash 13 at defense six makes a world of difference. It's going to sound stupid when I say this, but dash 13 is squishy-ish for the amount of points I'm paying. Dash 15 gives me some staying power on the table. That's the only difference. To be honest, if you made these dash 15 and kept five attacks and all the other stuff, they'd be great. But when you compare them to 175 for favor or 175 for a king on large beast, I, I I don't see it. That's fair. And I will say I had a game against elves at masters one of the two games i lost and where turn one uh alchemist curse mage one-shotted faber <laughs> turn two he one-shotted another steel juggernaut turn three he one-shotted another steel juggernaut it's like it's hard to put that much damage on this small package on defense six but not with alchemist curse so maybe with uh with the nerf to the the boots of levitation we won't see that as much or it won't be as easy to do that it'll take them an extra turn to get up there yeah, yeah eric schaefer's a bad man dude I, i've i've uh <laughs> ridden this, those issues and those dice sometimes so many times but i mean like yeah i, I think i kind of agree i think i think it's like the vulnerable like he's not quite tough enough he, he's kind of a to me he's kind of like that you would always say like uh, Jack of all trades, master of none, right? He, he's kind of like, he does a lot of things, but he doesn't do them any of them well. It's like, yeah, he's he's five attacks. It's good. He, if he flanks something, he he's okay, but he's not going to like kill it on its own. Like if he's, if he's shooting, he's like not going to do it on its own. I, I do think if you're taking like multiples of these, like the, like it kind of starts to make make more and more sense because you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get to, to just sort of spread out the shooting, you know, spread out the toughness, spread out the damage. Like it kind of starts to make more sense. And I see why your list is affected and why it works that way. I think, I think that these in pairs like start to make more sense. But I think when you look at one individually and if you're only going to take one, that it doesn't just, it doesn't add up enough. Like again, you can't quite take a punch. You can't quite do enough damage when it matters. You can't quite, you know, do enough chip damage. I, I think like, it's just one of those things that like individually doesn't, and Faber is, so good that like it's hard to like you know take the mini favor and just go like yeah he's he's this guy just sucks compared to favor right? i'm not gonna even bother taking it maybe that's a, more of a psychological leap that i'm able to take but like um yeah I, to me to me the biggest thing is him is like threat range against that wild charge d3 that favor has and that you know the, the same kind of effective threat range you get from a king of large beast where it's 14 inches like that's that's good i can do things with the nimble you know, speed 14 unit that I can't do with a nimble speed 10 unit that only has five attacks. Like that to me is kind of my thing is like, I, when I've, I have tried them a few times, like 
they're to me their output is not quite there. And, and again, I think I think you have to use them really in tandem, right, to like get the most out of them because like one in the flank alone just doesn't kill anything, right? Like you have to get right. other stuff in there, right, to like to to do the damage. And I think that's that's a it's a harder thing to, to, to jump out to me, at least to me. It's like, it's like, you know, like, can I fit two or threes in the list instead of a silver behemoth? Probably, but I'd rather just take a silver behemoth and throw him in there and have fun with him. Right. Like, you know, he, he does just as much damage, like, you know, on the front, you know, yeah, like, yeah, if you're, if you're double flanking with this, the darkness would probably do more damage, but like, that's, that's, you know, that takes a lot more work and effort. And I think the silver behemoth answers more problems, you know, and questions initially than, than this guy. That's like my initial take on him. I'm just waiting for Mike to compare Faber to a regiment of Iron Guard. I'm not going to. Faber's infinitely better. He's in because of the crush two, because of the damage output, because he shoots, and because he inspires. You go through the list, right? But listen, Iron Guard is for me the to your point, Rob. If um it Iron Guard for me is like the 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 base dwarf unit that you should compare everything to, right? Yeah, I mean the difference is obviously the unit strength three, right? In the regiment. But yeah, I get it. He's got a lot of other output. The, the anvil is just going to sit there and get punched on, but it's not going to punch back. Right. And this guy with the crushing string two, he's going to hit back and he's got more threat range with the wild charge D three um, yeah. and, and speed five. Right. So that's and potentially nimble, 13. And also and, and nimble. Nimble. right. And also it's, you could argue that he's, he's, I know he's only dash 15, but rather than dash, uh, rather than 18, 15, or, right? 17, fi- right, yeah. 15, 17, but it's a much smaller package. So you're very hard to get more than one unit into, mm-hmm. into him. Right. Right. So, you know, hopefully, Chuck, that answers your question that, you know, there's no new updates from Clash of Kings for the, the Steel Behemoth or Paper Ironheart. Let's keep this train right. rolling. A Dwarf Lord on a large beast, large cavalry, speed seven, melee, three plus, six plus defense, and he's uh, seven attacks and nerve 15, 17, and 175. Crushing Strength, one headstrong, inspiring, nimble, thunderous charge two. Severy in the Freedorf list is better than this. Yeah. I, I do see this guy from time to time, right? I mean, I know Kyle has played played this guy. He's great. And Alex likes him better, obviously, because he has unit strength versus the the guy on a Brock. Yeah, I think I think they're good. I mean, I think I think 175 is a really good value for these guys. I mean, I think for one of our other discussions, like you have like he, he's like so tough and, and so valuable. Like I think um something I've seen Mike do sorry, Sir Thunder, I've seen take Orb of the Towering Presence on this guy, right? Like I've seen that that's unit strength too. That that's yeah. been a staple of like every list I've taken since I've seen you do that. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm gonna steal Mike's idea there because that's because because Unitrend two. It's legit, dude. Yeah, he's very good on this guy. I think they're great. They, they they just they just answer so many things that dwarves don't have. Like it's that you get the square nimble base right, which which is phenomenal value. You get you get flanks and stuff, and he's not a world beater. Doesn't do a ton of damage, but. He he's you can put one on a flank and he kind of controls that flank on its own. Like I, I found to me he he's been my answer to the flyers. I can put him on a flank on their own. The flyers they they kind of spend so much time just dealing with him, either trying to dance around him or like be cute with him. That like by time like they don't have enough time to deal with that and get to like around my army right. And that's that's how I found is my answer. And on top of that, he scores unit strength. You know, and some, and every now and then he'll he'll like win a plank on his own somehow. Like, it doesn't even make sense, but he's just like so tough enough that they just can't answer him, and so they just deal with it. Like I, I love the King of Large Beasts. I mean, I used to take I've taken three at one point. And that, that's I think it's a bit much. I think I think now I have like one in my list, and that's I kind of put him in that flank to kind of play support, and I throw something else there to kind of help him out. But he he's just he to me he's great. I mean, he he does enough damage with the Thunders too that he can threaten a flank on his own and and, and really provide that damage output that you need to really like pick up a unit. Um, whereas like the juggernaut or, you know, he's only, you know, there's only five attacks, 10 attacks is not enough. I think with 14, he's a little bit better with that. 
Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's just a really good package. I think I think I take one in every list. I don't know if I take more than that, but I definitely take one. No, I think I think you take I think you take one or two. And so for me, the the, the reason why these guys are cool is there's two reasons. One, because to your point, if you take two of them and favor, those are the things that I use for scenario play. When you're looking at tokens on the other side of the table, when you're looking at late game trying to get unit strength into a spot, because of the nimble and the and the and the speed seven and the speed five plus you know plus D three, these are the things that I use. These pieces, if they're not fighting by turn five, I'm going to win the game because they're going to go and they're going to they're going to take over. They're going to do control. They're going to do whatever. The other thing that's really cool is their height four. So giving one the orb is awesome. If you take a second one, give them hex. Right, give them the tricksters wand. I can see over most things, and I can. I'd rather you didn't shoot me. I'd rather you didn't surge. You know, you have line of sight to all the stuff. And for the first couple of turns before they get into combat, it's really nice to have that. Um, I think that you know he's he's my caddy for that wand, and he he does work in most games that I take him. Let's keep rolling. Uh, we got Rodan the Dwarf next. He really hasn't changed. Speed four, melee three, defense six, five attacks, thirteen fifty nerve, and one hundred twenty five points. The one change he does has is now is now I'm angry rule has changed. It's just simply once per game after given an order in the movement phase, Rodan can choose to gain aura rampage D three infantry only until the start of his falling turn. Feels like it's cool, but I don't know how. I mean, it's an expensive non scoring unit for a one trick pony. I don't know if that helps enough to not even close. In my opinion, you're paying a trillion a trillion points for a guy that doesn't score any moves for. Who cares? Get this dude out of here and replace him with the next guy. Right, right. Get heavy yeah. hand. I'm just going to skip him. Did anyone else want to say that Rorden is good? Alex is laughing. The next dude you want to talk about though is Garrick Heavy Hand, and that dude rules. 150 points, and yeah, he moves four. He's a dwarf lord, but he comes off the out of the box with crush three. He has 14, 16 nerve. He has regen five plus, and he has radiance of life. Not conditional radiance of life, dwarf. But he stands next to Gallic and goes, "Don't you feel better?" He makes your he makes your greater earth elemental go. I do feel better. Thank you, Gallic. Like Garrick is legit. He belongs in in for a while. I took him over the course of an entire year. That dude solves so many problems once the grind starts. He's really good and synergizes really well with that defense six wall. If you want to do that. Crushing three is awesome. Crush three. Mighty and, is and amazing. Mighty. Like I've I've had I've had flanks go go to hell and he runs over and just runs over there and just holds up whatever it is. Well, you know, to to buy me time. He's really good. The only downside is he moves four, like every other dwarf lord, but he gives you the value that a dwarf lord should bring. So I don't know. I said all the words. Does anyone want to disagree? No, other than I think it takes a very specific list to I mean, the way I would take either of these last two guys is in like a, a almost like an MSU dwarf list where you're taking a bunch of regiments and stuff and you just need that extra punch and inspiring that you get from these guys. Uh, I have a hard time fitting them in over scoring units, especially when they get up to 150 points. Yeah, I think that I agree with that just 150 points is it's that's a lot for five attacks that, you know, yeah, he's going to hold up whatever he attacks, but put this guy at 130, you know, then then I'm I'm interested, right? Like I'm looking at him like, oh, it's kind of cool. It's a very unique role, but oh, man, it's just, just so expensive. I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't think this way. Well, all right, let's get into the free dwarves. There are a few units in free dwarves that are specific to free dwarves that we haven't touched on, but I did want to mention that there's no change to the army special upgrade or what units you can take uh, from the master list 
in, in relation to Clash of Kings. But in terms of infantry, we do have Mike. I know in the past you have lamented mightily the free dwarf spear levy. Hailings across the board has gotten a little cheaper, and this unit is no exception. And so uh, their speed four, melee four, defense four. They can be trooper or regiment, 12 or 15 attacks, 9, 11, or 13, 15, 80, and 120 points, which has been amended to 75 and 110. And their regiment is now unit strength three. And they get the ordered march special rule, and they already have Pathfinder, Phalanx, Scout, Wild, Charge, one. And they can take throwing massives. I'll tell you something right now. This unit still stinks. This unit stunk before. It still stinks now. There's no reason to take this unit. I'm sorry. Even with the scout and the phalanx and stuff, and I know it's a little cheaper, but you can shave 10 points off a unit and still have it not be worth it. The only thing they did good for this unit is they gave it unit strength three. Before it was unit strength two. If you were going to compare this unit to, let's say, an ironclad unit, right, uh, for 10 points cheaper, ironclad give you plus one defense. You still get the ordered march. You get all the other stuff. I know that they don't get scout, so maybe you're paying for the ability to scout up and then die. But the unit doesn't do anything. It it doesn't do anything. It goes to a spot and it goes, I guess I'll hold this token until you kill me. Right? Like it's just a block of nerve that does nothing. Right? You know? So I mean Alex is laughing, but am I wrong? No, dude. I mean, the, this this to me was easily, easily the worst unit in the entire game. I think I think hands down. Like I, I challenged someone to find a worse unit than the Spear Levy in, in all of King's War. Um, and I, I, you know, I'll fight that one to the death. And, 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 <laughs> you know, the, the economy is actually, I think, I think favor, we kind of gloss over him a bit, but I think favor is actually, to me, he's actually the strongest unit in the entire game. I think favor is absolutely an S tier unit. Um, we, I think we gloss him because he's just so good, right? Like you put him in every army, like favor to me is, is insane. Um, but the spirit of are just, I mean, they were, they were starting at the bottom. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know, man, like 110 points for a unit does nothing. I mean, like there's there's better ways to lose points and, and the, like spirit level you're not them i think yeah you compare them to the bull workers there are 20 points more at the regiment level but they are an extra pip of defense uh and they're an extra nerve so like they win in that comparison even though they're 20 points more well let's keep rolling we did talk about the the free dwarf shield breakers and the free dwarf berserkers uh and the in terms of range infantry uh they get the exact same thing uh in terms of uh iron watch um, they have the free dwarf iron watch, but the difference is they get uh pathfinder and wild charge one. All the things we said about those two rules uh still apply. You know, wild as Mike pointed out, when you have a speed four unit, great, you're you're charging nine. So that's still less than 99% of all the infantry in the game. You know, I think it's a little little tougher. And then we, we did uh, talk about the dwarf rangers, right? Uh Pathfinder and Scout is nice and being able to upgrade to the Hernia's Hampic Rangers. Uh, the Brocks, did we, I, I actually cut out for that. Did we talk about the Free Dwarf Brocks? The only thing we mentioned is that they had the Pathfinder, right? But we didn't mention that they come with an upgraded shooting attack, which is not worth taking at all in any way, shape, or form. Free Dwarf Brocks, they get the Pathfinder for free now, right? Which is just built in. So yes, so they get throwing axes to 12 inches, attack 6 and 12, range 5 plus steady aim, and that's 10 points for the troop and 20 points for the regiment. Do you want a shooting attack? You're trying to get him into combat, I would think. No, I don't think you do. It's useless. I And I haven't mapped this out, but with the Stoneclaw riders, who we're going to talk about in a second, who also have a shooting attack, is there something maybe where you take shooting attacks on all your Brocks and all your Stoneclaws and, like, you know, just have a, a bukkake of dwarf throwing axes 
and grenades and stuff. I don't maybe that could work, but probably it's not. The upgrade isn't worth it. The Brocks are worth it. The upgrade, maybe not. That is phrasing. But yeah, that's I mean, exactly. That, what <laughs> I wasn't even phrasing. That's just the way you said it. I think. Exactly. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I think there's a way to play that list, but I think I think it's a master list. I don't think like. To me, if you're gonna do that, like just take fucking, you know, take your spirit levy out. Fucking one thing that I'll play spirit levy can do is that that's the cheapest way to get a throwing mastiff on the on the table. So take take you know <laughs> spirit levy, give them all throwing mastiffs. Take it, you know, we'll talk about them later. Take the, the throwing mastiff pack master, or the fuck he is, and then just put them all together and just throw a whirlwind of dogs and axes. I guess maybe that does something. I don't know. Probably not, but it's fun. I guess. So the Stoneclaw Riders are what people have already seen in the i guess in what the northern alliance list and so they are uh speed 10 melee 3 defense 4 um they have 9 and 18 attacks in the regiment and horde size um 11 13 nerve in the regiment 14 16 in the horde uh 140 points and 245 points they have fly nimble pathfinder which is the big one for them thunderous charge 2 um, they can purchase a, a grenades attack and for 10 or 15 points, depending on which size of the unit you're shaking, um, which is pretty good. It's a range 12 uh, uh, melee, I'm sorry, range value of four, four and eight attacks, D3 blast, pierce one shattering. So that, that can definitely leave a mark. Um, I think these guys are great. They hit like Dracons. Um, they have Pathfinder, so the TC2, you don't mind that because uh, you're going to be wounding um, with both of those TC on every charge um, that you, uh, you know, is not a counter charge. So I think they're amazing. They're height four. You can layer them really well with Brock Riders, who you also have Pathfinder native. I think there's a really cool list in here that you can put together. And even if you're not going to go um, an all speed list, just taking one or two of these guys gives dwarves something that they've never had before, uh, which is a flying unit. And that just changes the game so much as far as flank protection, you know, threat projection. It's just, it's really interesting to see this unit in a dwarf list. I agree. I think, I think, I think they're super cool. I definitely like them. I, I've always liked them in regiment package more than horn. I feel like the regiment's just a little bit better value wise. Like if you just look at like, um, the attacks and the kind of the threat projection. I think 140 is good. 240 is a lot of points, right? That's like, yeah. I mean, they're 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 almost in like dracons. Not quite. They don't have elite, right? But they're they're close. But but you, they're all on fence four package. So like, and they're thunderous too. So they get hit first in any way. If they get wavered in any way, which their nerve is low, they're, they're losing all those things. Um, again, I think a couple of regiments of these guys are awesome. I do like that a lot. I'd be curious to see, honestly, to me, I'd love to try like a Rangers and Stoneclaw Rider list where like you kind of have this core Rangers like that project like a decent amount of shooting threat. Um, and you kind of have the Stoneclaw Riders that, that kind of like is your your counterpunch. So you like to me, that's a that's a pretty scary list to, to deal with. I don't know. I think that'd be that'd be a lot of fun to play with. Um I don't know. I, I, I think that, like I said, it just unlocks a lot of potential. Like there's a lot of cool things. You know, I think I think this is again, we talked about free dwarves and you need a reason to play them, right? Like what, what do they do that Imperial Dwarves don't do? Stoneclaw, you know, riders. There you go. That, that's the first thing I can say. Yeah. That's a very unique piece that you can add to the list that 
you know, doors and pair doors can't do at all. And, and I'm curious to see what people will unlock with that. Cause I, I don't know what else you can do, but I'm sure there's a lot of it. Totally agreed. My only concern with them is the 12 inch range on the shooting. So if you're moving up to shoot, you're probably going to get charged. You're not going to have the TC because you're, you're going to take the punch. Yeah. Or you just use your speed 10 and nimble to kind of like dart out of arc, you know, sort of like a dragon's breath or something. In terms of other things in the list, the War Engines are the same, the Titans are the same, but I do want to point out a couple other things. The Dwarf Army Standard Bear has been replaced by the Free Dwarf Army Standard Bear, and the big change, rather than the Headstrong reroll aura, it's Rally 1, guys. That's pretty good. So you have Rally 1 for Dwarf only. I like it better, to be honest. I know I know, I know, that I've been, I've been boned a couple times by failing the old Headstrong roll when you need it, but Rally 1 everywhere is consistent. It is in, it's just, it's, it's. I think it's better, you know, just from a consistency standpoint. Oh, it's definitely better. I think. I think no question about it. Like it's because I mean, you, if you don't get waved in the first place, like you, you don't have to worry about the head rolls, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Your nerves gonna be. Yeah, I mean, I think I think to take two of these guys, right? You got rally two now, right? I think that those work, right? Where you kind of stack them. Together, Do they right? stack so, like that? I think so. Right. If you have two rally ones, you'll get rally two. Yeah, for your unit. It, right? It's not so, an aura, right? Yeah, I think. Oh, a, it I think is. That would work. That wow, yeah, so like that's that's good. Yeah, I mean that's not bad. Like, like you know, our spirit levy almost decent out there. If you can post a nerve, like I don't know. Spirit levy are great if you added a bunch of buffs and a bunch of <laughs> items to them. <laughs> you know, these guys are only fifty points. It's not terribly expensive, right? Nah, you know, hundred points cheap. you could add add two nerve. We should mention the free dwarf lord also has you know the iron resolve, so he's he's still an interesting purchase yeah, he's better i will say the free dwarf pack master he's an an interesting character so he's speed four melee four range four defense four three attacks 10 12 nerve and 90 points and he's got crushing strength one individual inspiring pathfinder scout homing mastiff 12 inch attack six piercing one this attack always hits on fours uh, and then he's got upgrade with M- mastiff munch berries gaining aura vicious ranged Throwing Mastiff and homing Mastiff range attacks for 10 points. I have been the victim of this. <laughs> Billy Smith brought out the uh, the Mastiff gun line and used a couple of these guys to very good effect and just wiped out half my kingdoms of men list before it even got to, to fight. Situational for sure, but I mean, it's one of those things that kind of make the, the free dwarves a little bit unique. Yeah, can't argue with that. It's fun. The interesting thing about the free dwarves versus the Imperial dwarves, if you're going to give me 30 seconds, the Imperial dwarves... Control have board control because they have ranged attacks that uh, you have to respect, right? There's a lot of Pierce two long range shooting that you have to deal with, and so the Imperial Dwarf list has board control and puts on pressure that way. The Free Dwarf list has got a lot of stuff that doesn't care about uh, terrain that moves really flat fast. The 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 Frostclaw Riders, right? So you can build a base of dwarves and add a couple pieces on the outside, and all of a sudden have a very different play experience. Uh, on the table in terms of how you have to, how you, the tools you have to dictate what's going on on the table, the way that you put on pressure, the way the, you know, it's, it's, it's a very cool um, difference between the two sub lists, you know, the, the, the free dwarves versus the Imperial dwarves, very different play. I think it's super cool because of that. And we should mention the free dwarf stone priest uh, has a lot of the same things that were the regular uh, dwarf stone priest in the sense that he's, he's 50 points and he's now pays uh, for surge eight for 30 and 10 points for the stone shaper rule. But he also has alchemist curse three for 40 points and martyrs prayer. That's the other thing too, is in a, in a list that doesn't have any healing, this is the closest you're going to get to like, you know, a, a, a bucket of dice. He could also take Bane and Martyr's Prayer, as Mike's alluding to as well, which were already, in, yeah, which were already options. So you have a lot of options there. Ranger Captain? Nope. Stoneclaw Champion. So that's basically the, 
yep. flying large cavalry. I, I played against them a little bit in the, the Northern Alliance version. I assume it's not dissimilar. I mean, it's it's a nice little, you know, you know, he's got five attacks, which you have to expect that, you know, you have to respect if he's going to if you give him a flank, it could be a problem. Uh, and then obviously with the, the range attack and blast D3 piercing one shattering so he can he can add. I don't know, Tom, have you played played with these guys at all yet? No, not no, not in the Friedorf list, but they, they'd be my go to inspiring choice. I mean, this unit type is just really strong across the entire game. I don't see any reason why it'd be different in the Friedorf list. Perfect unit to carry the Trickster's Wand, right? Yep. Fast yep. unit to tight four. I'll take it all day. Oh, yeah. Uh, we get to the unique units. They're the same. They've got Bannock, Colarm, and Hernius the Hunter, and Severi. So, and the formation also hasn't changed. So, really, I want to get to this question because this is an interesting question from Jason. He says, do the dwarf players feel free dwarves will become the superior dwarves with the addition of ravens in their list? I don't think so. I mean, I think I think it's some, some interesting build options here. And that, that to me, is, is cool. Like, I think... You know, I saw um, Tom earlier talked about, hey, can you recreate Eric Trowbridge's like Masters winning list? It has, you know, three hordes of, you know, like crushing two infantry hordes. Like, I think if you're going to do it, you're going to do it in Free Dwarves, right? I think that's that's the build yep. for it, right? You can throw some dogs in there. You can throw some supporting characters, like some more chaff. Like, I think the Free Dwarves have that, like, really cool like my whole army pathfinds, I don't care. I mean, that was that was part of like when I when I won masters. Like a big part of my list was actually said my list, my whole list had pathfinder. Like it's like, you know, I, I think minus one unit Brox, think one brought one unit Brox had a uh, pathfinder, one didn't. But like literally, my whole army was earth elementals, strider behemoths, rangers. Everything in the list ignored terrain, and then, like in in the early days, especially like that was a very important piece of the puzzle. Was, like I don't care about terrain in the slightest. Like you can do whatever you want. I can, I can move through at the same speed. Like it's consistency in your army. I think I think there's something to say about free doors when when they do that. Like like you can you can kind of implement your game plan regardless of terrain. You know, you try to get those cover when you can when you need it, right? Like you can still do that. You know, especially with order march, we can march in that terrain pieces. I think I think there's a lot of things I see in there. That, like honestly, I think it's a very different list, and I I would love to play it. Honestly, it's me it sounds a lot of fun to say, hey, I'm gonna throw my doors into this. And if, if the opponent hasn't answered that question, right? There's no more caterpillar where every cavalry unit has pathfinder, right? Like you, right. you can say, hey, do you have a way to deal with all my units in terrain? And if not, then you're gonna take a whole bunch of hindered charges, and I'm gonna have this massive counterpunch that you can, that you have to be able to deal with. I think, I think free doors do that. I think they do a couple other things. That's pretty cool. So I, I, I honestly, like if I was, if I was starting from scratch, I'd probably start with free dwarfs. It's like explore those builds. I think there's more kind of uncharted waters in the free dwarfs to kind of play this list. And I think that's what I think of free doors. I think I don't think necessarily say it's better than Imperial dwarves right away, but I think there's more interesting like exploration options there. At least that's how I look at the list myself. Yeah, I agree. If the if the Stone Claw were not irregular, if they were regular and unlocked, they I think there's a chance they could become sort of a power army. Um, I think that's gonna hold them back though from jumping up all the way to the top of the the army tier list. They're still gonna be good though. I think though they're pointed correctly. Yeah, yeah. It prevents the spam too. Like I think I think I mean as funny as it would be to see like an army of only like Stone Claw riders. Like I don't think that's interesting to me. I don't know. So like that's not a dwarfless anymore, right? It's just this is like a that's just a, a flying, you know, circus, right? Yeah, it's scorch wings without the scorch. Right, exactly, right. Let's call it what it is. It's a flying circus, right? Like, like you might as well play the clown noses at that point, like on your units. Like, it's just, it's just not, it's not dwarves. Definitely, it's like. So I'm kind of glad. You, I'm glad you can do that. To be honest, like I think that'd be kind of silly. So Aramis does ask, you know, are Imperial dwarves and free dwarves separate enough to give different play experiences? And I think Alex, you answered that resoundingly. Yes, they're, they're completely. But what says you, Mike? Yeah, totally agree. 
totally agree. Like I mentioned earlier about board control, I think that you're putting pressure on with different with different tools, right? The shooting with the Imperial Dwarves versus the 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 speed and the uh, ignoring terrain with the free dwarves, right? Which is interesting. I, and that dwarf a dwarf list would have speed and ig- ignoring terrain as it's you know it, as as the the strengths because it, it goes against the type right it goes against the the stereotype of what you would think a dwarf right. would you get that line like what they're short distance sprinters right it's like you know it's like i kind of like that it's like you know it's yeah. like they can, it's kind of true in free doors like that's that's awesome that's right? it like, like yeah they're gonna come at you i don't give a fuck there's a train or a, a force in the way they're gonna they're gonna run right at you and you have to deal with it so like that that's cool and that's i think that's cool that your opponent has to like you know like I'm going to march and, and pivot and, and, you know, good luck dealing with that unit. That's true too. I mean, you combine it with the order march and it's legit, right? I mean, your way, you know, what you want to see is a, is a table full of flat um, ponds and, and, and uh, woods, right? Cause then you're just, you're, yeah. oh yeah, you're, you're playing all day. You guys still do like a lot of thought terrain, right? In Texas, like we get, you're putting ports in the middle, like every time, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Every day, twice on Sundays. Adrian Scott does have a comment that he doesn't see free dwarves very much on the tournament scene. Do you think these changes are going to maybe incentivize people to start bringing the free dwarves more? I would think so. Over in the UK, I know that there's a lot more free dwarf love um, because they're, they've cottoned on to the, the pathfinding Brock riders over there. Um, and I just think that the meta that we have over here isn't, you know, isn't, it's not your best loadout. Well, some of the shooting is not conducive to uh, guys with a lot of light armor. Absolutely not. Right. The defense four gets punished with the 18 inch or the 24 inch shooting. Right. But I don't know. I, I think you might see more here in the States, but Tom, I want to know what you think, because I mean, you, you, I think are in one of the more competitive metas in the, in the U S John green in my region's already planning out a free dwarf list. Um, I think it's really easy just to crank out a couple of units of the, of the stone claws and everybody loves the Brock model. So you know, anything where you can avoid painting infantry, I think that's going to be a, pop, a more popular army than, than it otherwise would be. So now that the door, the free doors have a large cav option, I think um, I think you'll definitely see more of them. And But it's not hard when there's zero, at least in my meta. So anything more than zero will be an increase. With the potential increase in phalanx, how's that going to impact things like the Brox and uh, the Raven Cavalry? You charge the stuff that doesn't have phalanx, and if it has phalanx, you shoot it with your grenades. I I don't know. I I know phalanx is cheaper. I know it's good. I think that you can just work around it. To me, it's like like the the balance. If you're a free dwarf player, you're like listen to this. You want to figure out your list. I think the balance you need to figure out is how much shooting and how much combat do you have in your list. Because again. All those panics units, they get shot off the table. They're all defense for idiots who fucking sit there and get shot, right? So like like you need to figure out how much shooting they need to bring where I can I can look at that failing unit and go, okay, I'm just gonna shoot that unit and kill it. Like no, no big deal, right? Versus like, you know, I'm gonna charge things and kill it. So like you gotta figure out that balance to me of like, you know, do you take multiple ranger units and shoot them at all? Maybe you take zero and shooting at all and you say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take enough shield breakers that you have failings, I'm gonna throw my shield breakers at them, right? They're gonna murder. So like you got to figure out what what you're going to do and how to balance those. Cause I think every good army kind of has that decision point where like you're going to deal with phalanx in some capacity. How do you deal with it? And and I think dwarves have plenty of tools to do it. I think you just need to figure out how in the list design phase, you know, what answer you have to. Jesse Garrett, you know, if all they get is ordered March, I think they will actually be as good as people think they are. But pre 
Clash of Kings 24, they're a paper tiger. Competitively, in that landscape, how do you guys see this army ranking up against a lot of great competitors? Man, I think they're going to rate really highly. I think they're going to be as, if not more popular on the scene than they have been. Um, yeah, it's some, they, they don't win a ton of tournaments. Um, a lot of that's dependent on who's, who plays them in any given season or any given tournament. But But I think they get so many buffs that it's hard to tell how good they'll be, but it's a good bet to bet on an army that gets, you know, five to seven major buffs, I would say to the army list. And two new scenarios that played to their, you know, that help maybe mitigate some of their handicap. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Agree with that. The scenarios will help. I won't monologue too long here, but I mean, (laughs) there's some validity to say, like, you know, you look at dwarves at masters, right? Like they they didn't necessarily crack like a top five placing, right? Like, like there were a lot of dwarves that were in that, like that sort of like, you know, maybe four and two, like, you know, three and three, but like with highest foreign, like, like they're in that, I think there are a lot of dwarves in that echelon where like, they were kind of near the top, but they didn't crack the top, top podiums. Um, and I've seen that in Dwarf List. I've experienced that same thing. I mean, I I, I was able to win TNT with Dwarves this year. So that, that was like the one tournament when I got. But other than that, it's been it's been kind of that same realm of like, there's always one bad matchup. There's one bad scenario where like just things don't quite li- line up. And, and you're just like, you know, I'm playing Green Lady again on Invade and they get first turn. Oh, fuck. Like, you know, like everything just went wrong. Like, it's like, it's just like, a, you're fighting this really uphill battle. You know, and I, I do think that, there's order march is a big enough rule to change that generic like like there's there's one less oh shit scenario situation where you can't deal with it anymore and i think i do think dwarves you know it, it's fair to call them a paper tiger or like they look stacked on paper but you can't deal with it but i, th- I think it's just a, a kind of like you mitigate some of those really bad situations and, and dwarves just become really really strong overall i think i think dwarves have the capacity now to win i think they, they can win the right situations um you just you just need the stars to line a bit, um, and and you know yeah it's just I think it's just kind of a, a thing of chance where like now it's like it's a low lower chance for them to, to do well maybe compared to other armies, but I think that chance is going to go way higher, and I think you will see a lot of dwarves play well. But I think that's kind of my answer to why dwarves aren't winning every tournament now. So I think that there's just kind of a lot of randomness and scenarios, as there should be, right? I don't think dwarves like should be you know there should be some punishment to playing a slow army. I think so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how it develops and how it goes. Um, I think if you're a dwarf player, you're in a really good spot. I think like you should, you know, there's a lot of cool tools to play with, a lot of different styles, um, and I, I encourage a lot of dwarf players to experiment. You know, I think like you know, I think I think I'm really curious to see what a dwarf list look, will look like a year from now. Like that to me is is really fascinating, and I think and I hope there's a big variety of, of options. And I'll paraphrase Roger. Uh, he's basically lamenting the fact that you guys that dwarves have the fewest amount of units that hit on three plus in Malay. Is that a, is that a hindrance? Is that a problem? I personally think that for, um, for their infantry, one of the things that makes the um, uh, formation and auto include is the fact that you get the BSB and that gives the, that gives elite and you have units that now have melee three. Yeah. Two regiments of bulwarkers and a horde of ironclad. Right. Which, which normally don't happen in, in the army. And so the fact the shield breakers have, have, you know, melee three and crush two is is a big improvement because of that offensive output. But I personally think that more of the dwarf infantry, which remember moves four and will not get the charge off unless you sacrifice a bunch of other units to make the charge work, 
you're countercharging. They should have they should have melee three. They should, when they hit back, hit hard because they're not going to hit first, right? Is my personal opinion, right? And that's one of the reasons why that that formation is an auto include, right? Because it gives the it gives the army something that it does not have. It does not have a melee threat like that. But you know, now with shield breakers with the extra crush, and you know, I maybe I'm maybe this is a new day. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think that the doors are the best variety of infantry maybe in the game. If the only thing like I mentioned earlier they're missing is I wish they could the Iron Guard could swap to to CS1 and go down to defense five. Damn. Um then they'd really have every type every combination, of combination, right? Yeah. Every combination, yeah. Yep. So I I don't I mean lore perspective I I don't know about that but I I really love the dwarf infantry all of it and it it's really cool now that shieldbreakers have CS2 everything has its own unique role in place. Dave Fanny makes a comment you get to buff one unit and nerf one. So Mike what's your pick? What are you buffing and what are you nerfing? This is going to be controversial maybe but if I was going to buff one unit, I would take War Machines. You place them in a spot, and as long as they don't move, they have unit strength one. I think that that would be, that would be something. So you put them, and you say, like, you know, you, you put them in place, they get plus one defense or plus two nerve, and then they have unit strength one as long as they don't, as long as they don't move or pivot, right? And what would you nerf? Spear Levy. I would nerf Spear Levy, because who cares? <laughs> to make them like, worse, so they have less reason <laughs> to even take them. Right. I uh, love it. Uh, I mean, I'm nerfing. If I have to like nerf something, I'm nerfing Faber. I think Faber is, is again. I literally think he's the best unit in the entire game. I think he's got a, a such a unique package that like he's insane. I, I think um, you know. So that if I have to nerf a unit, I just say that it's all principle. Um, I'll buff. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and buff Berserkers on foot. I want to see that unit make more of an impact. So I, I just want to buff them just to make them kind of unique and cool. Same question, to you Tom. I would probably nerf sharpshooters, not because I want them to be, because I know they're on the the RC watch list for this year, um, and I would want to be involved in the process of lessening that nerf as much as possible if it's going to come. Um, so that's what I would nerf. I would buff probably the Warsmith. I, you guys have kind of talked me into it. It's just it's not necessarily that it's bad it's just not cool enough especially compared to the um the halfling engineer which has a bunch of different options and and ways it can buff other units so you can make that more interesting adrian scott asks what units do you think all dwarf players should be painting this year if you're going to add something to the list you should you should you should add those uh stone claw riders this the kits are gorgeous Right, even if you don't play free, free dwarves, go buy it that kit, go paint it up, make your life better. It, it's gorgeous. I'll set my, I'll set my sensor. Yeah, I think false corridors. Oh, you got to paint up some bulwarkers. Um, I got three hordes in my list. They are so good. Such a good answer to the meta defense five phalanx. They're cheap enough. You can actually take multiple hordes now. It's just going to be so so good. So, did you put Randy's army on commission? Is that how it's going to work? Like, you're just going to? Is that like on the retainer? What's no, I'm going to build my own. I'm building my own. So scenario-wise, guys, what scenarios work good for dwarves? Dominate all day, every day, twice on Sundays. Pile in the middle, fight me there. How about the flip side? There's got to be some that you guys struggle at. Now, I know Order March is going to help. I'll go first. I don't mind Invade, and these guys can argue with me. I don't mind Invade because of the play style that I have, but I hate Raze. I hate it. Having to get on the other side of the table to burn that token and keep units behind to guard, I just... I. It just it makes me layer the army in a weird way, and I, I'm just giving up flanks and, and rears all day when I try to play this scenario. 
Yeah, raise is really tough. I think, uh, I mean, raise and invade. Uh, it's just it's it's not that you can't win. It's that against certain matchups, certain armies, it's it's almost unwinnable, it, especially if you don't get first turn. Um, I think controls the door's probably best scenario. Um, either control or dominant. Yeah, I, I agree there. Control and dominant again. It, it's it's really that's not not going first, and which I hate. Like it's because like you're playing green lady on raise and you don't get first turn. It's like that is a nightmare. And and like even invade too. Like those those are just really bad. Cause like because I can like I can kill their shit or whatever. Like I can kill their army, but can you do that and do the objective on six turns? And the answer is usually no. So like it's just tough because like you really need that seven turn a lot of times. Terrain, how much do you want to see on the table? And you know. How do you how do you use it effectively? Dwarves don't have a lot of Pathfinder unless you are playing free dwarf. So you, at least the way I play it, the more open shooting lanes, the better. I love the terrain setup at uh, at Masters in Omaha this year. I mean, I think I think Mike will agree with this. If you have an aggressive dwarf playstyle, one of the things you should look for if you're a dwarf player is you want a, a sort of deployment zone that's kind of free of terrain. Like, and by that I mean like. The worst thing that can happen to dwarves is that your unit can only go four inches for the first turn and sometimes even the second turn because you're stuck in this fucking terrain piece that like blocks you. What you want to see with dwarves is the ability to move your army up eight inches first turn. And that that is like your ideal setup. So like if you're if you're looking at terrain boards, you want to see like what deployment zone can I put my most units in to move eight inches first turn and really establish a line as close to the center as possible. Cause that's, that's where you really get in trouble with doors is that like you have this terrain piece that is the kind of six out deployment zone and your horde is like moving four inches, then it moves four inches. And then like, maybe you get out of the terrain on the third turn. And, like that's a nightmare. It's just, it's just like, that's what you don't want to see. And that, that's what really, that's where you get in the trouble where like, I can't play raise cause I, I don't have the ability to even get to that you know area. So I, I think that's, the biggest factor and i think that once like if you start like to me at least like when i started realizing that and started playing around that like i was able to play a lot better as far as control and for scenarios like so i think that's the biggest thing to look for totally agree with that totally agreed there's nothing worse than having uh you know terrain right outside your deployment zone that you have to slog through i think also that however i do like playing with a lot of terrain against against some armies because they may not have pathfinder and i'm like i want you to charge me and now be hindered Please. And on the counter charge, I'm hitting you, you know, I'm hitting you with at full offensive capability. You're slow, you're counter punching regardless. So you might as well be doing it out of terrain. Right. But I put units in a spot so that they'll die slow. I don't put units in a, in a spot so that they'll fight well. Mike, you going first or second? I'm going first every single time. Every single time I'm going first because we don't have enough units to, to in my opinion, you need to be able to, to Alex's point, move up and kind of dictate where we're going to fight. So I need to move up eight. I need to move up eight and, and make the board smaller. I need to take my sharpshooters and put pressure on turn one. I need to maneuver in such a way that I can counter if they're, you know, you can see what they're going to do. If I move second, I'm on the back foot most of the time. And the joy of going second for a lot of scenarios is oh, that's cool. I have these units. They'll be able to move and go to a, go to a spot and, you know, counter a spot on, on control or take a token in the last or, you know, objective marker in the last turn of the game. Up until now, there's there's no units left at the end of the game for me to do that with unless I have like a, a king of large beast available to run around and do something. But with ordered march, maybe going second won't be so bad. I think I agree with Mike. Like there's a very there's very few amount of situations where you want to go second. I mean, I think control where like maybe your opponent deploy like so there's always opponents that deploy very weirdly where like 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 they're almost like expecting to go second, right? So it's like, hey, I'll give you first turns because like your shit's all hot anyways um in like control and like maybe pillage or like 
some situations, but almost always first. Yeah, I think that's that's like you say first, it's never like wrong. I think it's like maybe like equal to like second in the worst case scenario. You can't afford to go second when you make speed four. Um, you and when you have as much twenty four plus inch shooting as we do, um, it's it's always a good idea to plank a few wounds and enforce the other guys to to move up and charge you. Alex, is this army new player friendly? I don't know about new player friendly. I think it's like you you definitely have to have some experience, I think, but um I think there's like sort of a, once you get past that initial new player now with like playing scenarios, I maybe maybe yes. I think maybe maybe yes. I think I think there's it's definitely I think it's definitely mid player friendly where like your units are just so tough that you can kind of throw them out there and like they kind of just get like flanked. You're like, oh, I don't even care if you flank me. Like I'm I'm defense six, so you're not even gonna kill my shit. So like I think there's there's a middle range you need to like understand to like play well, um, but I think I think like yeah, so it's like it's mid player friendly, I guess not not new player friendly. That's kind of how I rate it. Yeah, I think that it's it's hard for a new player to get their head around how to compete in scenario because you have to think a couple turns ahead for the scenario. I think that it's I, th- I but I do think it's new player friendly insofar as you have built in toughness right in in the in the army. You, so it's, it's, yeah. it's that resilience is forgiving when you put yourself in a bad spot. It's like, oh, look, you flank charge my guy with defense six and he's still there and he turns and fights like it's, you know, it's it's not as catastrophic as as others as other armies. I, I think it's it's not at all new player friendly. They're, you're doing damage in weird ways. Um, it's not like you're just walking up uh, an ogre palace guard horde or something and charging and taking things off. You are. um mitigating that for the fact you don't have that in a lot of different ways that things need to be in the right spots at the right time. So no, I don't think it is. There's some synergy there between this and empire of dust in that regard. I think. Yeah. I think, I think EOD does what dwarves do. And I think they do it. They have because of surge. I think they do a lot of it better. Hot takes is EOD super new prayer friendly. It's brainless to deploy an EOD army. I could literally deploy every single uh, empire dust army for the person to get it right. It's like you take the same units, put them in the same spots, every single scenario. I, I don't know. EOD, I'm very anti right now. I mean, I think the biggest issue with dwarves, like you have to know when to play kind of wide, when to play tight. And I think that's, that's like, to me, the biggest like thing to learn. And like, it's like you play tight every game. You're, there's players are going to take advantage of that and smoke you, right? Like, you know, it's, so I think like that's to me the biggest skill to learn if you're a new player. Like learn learn that ability, like how to deploy properly. And I think once you figure that out, you're you're good to go. Alex, what point level does dwarf play best at? I think two thousand is fine. Two thousand or higher. I don't think yeah, I don't think it changes. Nineteen ninety five doesn't hurt dwarves at all. You're not relying on three of anything. You know, so being able to take two and then still have a you know, still have the core units do some work is is strong. I think two thousand is a good point level for them. Yeah, I do. I do take through everything, <laughs> uh, so I need that extra five points. Uh, Tom, you got a list? Okay, so so my list is a twenty three hundred point list. It is three hordes of bulwarkers, all with throwing mastiffs, three sharpshooter troops, a regiment of brock riders with uh, boots striding, three flame belchers. Two battle drillers, two steel juggernauts, Faber, and a dwarf lord and large beast with the brew haste. So, the idea is you form your line with uh, three bulwarker hordes. It's hard to multi charge them effectively with the phalanx. Um, 
you put the sharpshooters, you know, in the back behind the bulwarkers, you put the flame belchers right behind, um, sort of in between the sharpshooters and the bulwarkers. You stick the two battle drillers in between the, the um, gaps between the hordes. And then the four scoring heroes just play scenario and provide inspiring and some some extra chip damage. Um, it's pretty much what I took to Masters, but I think it's a lot better um, and a lot scarier. There you go. No, that's good. I like the list. That's that's um, I think it, like I think you don't have to change too much with the Imperial Dwarf list to make them good. Um, I'll go next. Yeah. I have Imperial Dwarf list. This is also similar to Tech to Masters, but kind of I think with some new changes. Um, I had the formation, so I'll say that first. I think the formation is absolutely bonkers with the current incarnation of it with elite and elite effect and infantry where it affects like all your shooters too and everything like that thing that's crazy so formation i have the two regiments of workers the horde of ironclad i gave them a hammer measure force i have the bannerman i gave him the um the loot of insatiable darkness for bane chant which i think is crazy and affects again most units in the army I have two units of iron guard i have three troops of sharpshooters two still behemoths one's galox fury Stone Priest with Shroud of the Saint, Bane Chant, and the Reigns of Life. Um, and then I have Favor, and then a Dwarf Lord and Large Beast with the Tower Overtiring Presence for the Unifront 2. And, and um, yeah, I think the, the main game plan is kind of um, you kind of form this very nasty center line with behemoths and regiments of dwarfs. Um, and then you just kind of really just, just, just shoot the, the biggest threats with the sharpshooters. And then you have that nasty. Uh, throwing dogs on every unit, which I, I guess I didn't mention, but the, every unit has throwing dogs combined with the behemoths just provides a really nasty punch short range. So I think it's just, um, again, it's, it's like uh, 14 drops, just a lot of resiliency, healing. Um, just I think it's, just, it's, it's a very well-rounded list and kind of compete in all phases. I'm going to actually, I, I stole the list from my, my club mate just to give a different take on dwarves. So, what, what he took to Crossroads was um, three hordes of Earth Elementals, three regiments of Earth Elementals, two greater Earth Elementals, uh, Kragath, and two Kings on Large Beast, and a Stone Priest with, um, uh, with uh, the Surge and Bane Chant and the, the ability to the Stone Shaper. And that was his list. And I think that that if you want to go completely opposite of of something else, that list actually does a lot of work. It doesn't have huge surge, but because you have a lot of square stuff and everything essentially except for the regiments can turn 90 and get pushed into something with surge, it's pretty legit, right? So I find it's one of those ones. It's it's this is this is okay if you take one but if we triple down on it all of a sudden it becomes a question that that has no answer from a lot of people right from a lot of army lists so it's 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 something different that you can take right and it is surging into flanks is what is what kills stuff i guess to be honest it's it's the fact that when you get it when you charge into something you're kind of standing there and then the great earth elementals are placed in such a way that they can see your flank anyway you know what I mean? Or if you charge, there's always another unit to be like, take that, right? So the surge is nice, but he doesn't rely on it because most units are going to stick around for for at least two turns. You can't it's you unless unless you're playing Green Lady and he gets multi-charge in a single thing, fine, you killed it, and now everything else comes in and chomps. It 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 plays rugby, 
right? It all, it, it takes a third of the table and it runs up that third and goes, this is mine now. Right. So it's a different take. Doesn't have hardly any dwarves in it. The Kings on large beasts do um, scenario work and allow you to get flanks and, and get flank charges as well. Right. And provide the, the leadership that you need. It's really quite a cool list. Alex, what army do you not want to see when you're playing dwarves besides eight hordes of scorch wings? That's not even a terrible match. Like, I mean, it's bad, but it's not that bad. I'm trying to think. I don't want to see. I think. I think demons are actually surprised. Abyssals are actually one of the tougher matchups, to be honest. Um, if they play well, they kind of have a combination of speed and like hitting power that like really like is in a weird point. Like Molochs are kind of like scarily difficult. Like unlike flying, like big flyers, you, you, they, they kind of hide well. You, yeah, it's hard to deal with them sometimes. So I think that's. I said like Abyssals is probably one of the tougher matchups, like something like that, which again, thankfully you don't see that often. They're on the, the radar for next year, right? Right, right. Same question to you, Tom. What do you not want to see besides EOD? Yeah, I was going to say EOD, just because of all the crushing and small base sizes, it's hard to deal with that with dwarves. But um, other than that, I don't necessarily want to see Ogres because their speed six is suddenly it's slow but suddenly it's infinitely faster than you can move and they hit pretty hard and so that makes it tough sometimes and mike same question to you the forces of nature we cannot outgrind that i can't outgrind that list whatever damage i put on gets immediately removed yeah and then there's also earth air elementals the, the bad touch now we should mention greater air elementals are getting nerfed by my two attack you know they, they got a bunch of nerfs. If that's the case, I like that matchup now. Like, I think that they're on that weird precipice. Like, they, they kind of hurt, but, like, if you nerf them by a bit, then, like, that's like, takes a lot of their fangs, like, out of their bite, right? The problem that I have is not the fact that I'm getting flank charged and rear charged all the time. Because, to be honest, it, it, it sucks, but it doesn't suck super bad against some things. What really is the problem is that whatever damage I put on gets, gets removed, right? So, there's no, once I'm in the grind, they're out grinding me because they're kind of, they're a little less tough than I am, but there's a boatload of healing and other stuff within the list that makes it so I can't remove units. We don't do shock very well, right? Even Gallic's Fury at, at most does what, six, seven wounds. So you're not putting on like, hey, take 15 wounds and pick this unit up, right? I mean, once again, it's one of the things that makes the formation so good is that one horde of Iron Guard can, or Ironclad can do some work like that, but nothing else on the list does that. So against them, I have a hard time being like, here's a bunch of units that got to charge into a single thing, pop it and turn, right? Either because of movement or because of the offensive output. It just isn't there. Final thoughts on dwarves. Tom, you start us off. If you're a dwarf player, you should be really excited and go buy the Clash of Kings book. There's a lot of global changes that are really beneficial to dwarves, um, as well as two new, whole new special rules that are essentially dwarf only rules um you got to share them with your evil cousins but other than that you've got two new awesome rules to play with so be excited yeah i think that if if uh if you want a traditional fantasy army right because everyone knows elves and dwarves and men right and orcs and but the cool thing is that you can put your own spin on it i mean we we talked about the army list earlier right and the difference between um all three of our lists are very different right you can play dwarves and have flying ravens with dwarves on them you can play dwarves and have it all be rocks you can play dwarves and have it all be angry dudes on badgers 
right? So there's a wide variety of unit types that you can take within the list. Yeah, we harped on the fact that the infantry is movement four, but there's a lot of stuff that's movement 10 and eight and, 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 and other movement, right? And other ways to play. I think that it offers you a very varied experience, especially between Imperial and, and Free Dwarves. Where if you build like a fifteen hundred point core and sprinkle in this or that, you get to play something very different on the table. I've said in the past, and I'll say now. I think I think dwarves are they're a fun army to learn. I think I think if like you want to learn Kings of War, you want to play dwarves. Like you definitely have to take a very unique approach to it. Like I'm actually learning that when I'm playing other armies now. Like if I play another army, I'm like shit, I gotta untrain my brain now to not like do these dwarf things to it. But like. Um, I, I've always said doors are very rewarding to like, I think, learn and, and play and like do well. When, when things finally click and you're like, oh, I did this and I, I planned for this and it happened and it, like, this is cool. Like, I'm, I'm scoring this objectives in the right way. Like, I think that's very rewarding. So, to me, I think, um, you know, if you're playing doors, stick with it, like, get through that hump and, and, and learn how to play them. I think, you know, with all the changes we have coming up, things look really bright. So, I think, um, I think you'll have a lot of fun. I think, you know, I think it's really rewarding to, to finally get there. Well, awesome, guys. I appreciate the, um, the efforts that you guys put in tonight uh, to record this Army review, and I'm sure the listeners are going to really enjoy it. So, Tom, you want to take us out? Thanks for joining us tonight, and remember, always keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge fifteen or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 